This, he's a very bad person, and uh, I hate every single thing about him. Literally every single. Oh no, we're live. <laughs> oh, we are live. Holy crap! Well, just about to start. It'll be up in just a second. You are now live. The internet can totally see you. Hello, people. How terrifying. But yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, it's been exactly like a week, but slightly longer, so it feels like it's been years. That's, that's how it goes. <sighs> it does feel like a bit, actually. It does. I've been missing it. You get a lot of like, you know, as soon as you go over a week with EFAB, you get like people being like, hey, when, when, <laughs> when's the next one? The like, fuck? we just did one that was 12 hours, and it's like, I don't care. When's the next one? <laughs> It's getting popular these days. There's a lot of people um, jumping in the chat. How is everyone? Hello. I mean, people like EFAPPING. What can I say? Yeah. Who doesn't? It's weird, for sure. I don't know what's wrong with people. Ultimately, I don't want to judge. Do you guys want to judge? I don't. Well, sometimes. I mean, uh, I was about to say, like, yeah. yeah, but <laughs> I wouldn't tell anybody. We're going to judge him. It's fine. <laughs> You're allowed to judge. Um. So yeah, uh, f first thing I should say is that uh, Rags and Wolf are both unavailable, I'm afraid, so... And that's very unfortunate, I miss those guys. I know! That's the Every single time you turn up, Wolf happens to not be able to turn up. It's just like, what's going on? I don't know! It's almost I don't like... Wolf Maybe there's some kind of message like he's there. trying to avoid you. <laughs> it seems like that, but, you know, um... He, like, on one of the other EFAPs I was on, um, uh, so, like, he gave you a shout-out, so huge thumbs up. Thanks, Wolf. Appreciate it. And then there was uh, this weird, really weird argument ended up in the comment replies. Someone, Some guy was attacking me for a subliminal messaging and promoting my book or something, and he was like... Oh, oh I, re I remember reading that. Yeah. Man, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that was... that's really subliminal, just... Telling I people, hey, I made something. Can you check well, it out? I, st I started off with hints that I was like just flashing a book cover, and then I went back, like, oh, hell, what was that? But Wolf ripped into him savagely. I, just, uh, I couldn't help but laugh the hell out of it. It was glorious. Sorry. Love you, Wolf. Appreciate it, mate. <laughs> you know, you are loved and respected. We can't have that kind of attitude. I know. I thought it was weird though, because like subliminal, as if like you're manipulating your audience without uh, you know without them knowing or something. <laughs> you will buy oh, this gosh. book, even though at that point was it even buyable at that point? No, it wasn't. It was just damn kind those of subliminal messages. I mean, how dare you want to succeed? <laughs> you know, you should just reserve yourself to failure. That's what I did, and it worked great. Yeah, <laughs> swordman bad, I guess. <laughs> but actually, swords are pretty cool. They are. I've heard about them. You, you, um, you, you can't criticize swords. <laughs> well, I mean, that's like your opinion, bro. I don't know. Isn't it all subjective? How dare you? How Is dare there you an objective swords? cool factor to swords? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we all agree on that. Yep, yep, oh, my yep. goodness. So. Aneurysm. What is our roster today? We've got no new guests. We've got a flurry of old ones. How wonderful. The longest, I believe, longest standing guest outside of Jay or drawing with Jay is Mr. Fringy. How do you do, sir? I'm doing very well. Wonderful. Good to, good to have you here. It's been a while, actually, since you've been on something EFAP related. Yeah. Other than that weird time we popped in to help read Super Chats. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> 
Yeah, that was, uh, that was a great use of my time. Like, we were there for four hours. Just reading super chats. Next up is the returning master of medieval mischief. Oh, I just came up with that. Well, that Ooh. alliteration, sir. Yeah. I, see, I could be a writings, a writer, authorer. <laughs> That's the one. Um, there, there you go. How, how, how I, are you, I, I man? You haven't, you, you've been on, this is your fourth EFAP, technically. How weird is that? I know! Yeah, <laughs> I, gosh. Something, something's wrong with me, clearly. Um, I'm going great. I'm going, I'm going really good. Mm. For, for many reasons. You like Spider-Man, that's, that's, that's one, right? Well, I, yeah, I do like Spider-Man, depending on which <laughs> version. But, Depends you know, on what you mean by Spider-Man. Yeah, I know. But yeah, lots, lots of things to keep me, keep me happy at the moment, so yeah, yeah. things are good. And uh, finally, returning once again, I have no idea how many EFAPs Das Bullshit has actually been on. You, you came early, and then you like intermittently jump in, and you've made some pretty awesome memes, one of which will be featured one day. I'm thinking... <laughs> well, yeah, Fringy's seen it, because he had to see it, but uh, <laughs> how do you do? How do you do, sir? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, I, I, what have I been on, like, three now? Eric Taxon, uh, yeah, about three. Good well, to be back. I no, always enjoy being here. That's what I mean. You got, it's just a full cast. Everything, it's no, no things can't happen. Um, but, but how are you, Mola? No, no you can't ask, ask that. That's cheating. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm the one that doesn't have any feelings because I'm the host. The, the hosts never have feelings. You ever watch like well, Who Wants I, to Be a Millionaire? Do... do they ever ask the hosts yeah. on that how they feel about winning millions? They never get to. They, they don't win millions, they just earn it every episode. They just... Isn't there, That's probably um, a little too high. But... In the newest versions of it now, like one of the lifelines is Ask the Host. That's what I've heard. Oh. If you would it, yeah. is it not in your interest as host to sabotage them? <laughs> like, the company you work for is like, don't let them win, you asshole. <laughs> okay, you should you should host hey, one I, of them, but all about like medieval mm, stuff. I, that would be true. I just saw something cool in the chat. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate it, man. Sorry, that's okay. Yeah. Chat, chat are wonderful when they're wonderful. They are. <laughs> um, they're glory. So, today's EFAP, uh, I guess it, it, people have already spotted in the title, it's Spooderman related. We actually still haven't managed yeah. to get a Far From Home related fucking podcast yet. It's been ages, because uh, at first Wolf and Rags hadn't seen it, and then I think it was Rags hadn't, and then like Wolf was away and stuff. I was just like, this is just going to be that one now. So, um, at one point we'll talk about that. It's been long enough that most people would have seen it, I imagine. That'll be great, oh, there but... Is, there's much to say on the subject. There's a, there, we want to like have an addendum for the previous EFAB talking a bit about like why Homecoming's not not terrible from a movie standpoint. Thought it might be worthwhile in actually talking about, you know, what happens in the film and why it's like decent outside of what happened on the previous EFAB, which was a great exploration of comic readers versus film lovers slash different values, I suppose, or different standards, framing, lots of different words could fit in there. Um, well, and interesting, I actually do want to explore those arguments in a bit more depth as well, because I actually feel there was some validity to what they were trying to say, and so I have uh, my own way of trying to frame that argument, and I'm interested to see what you guys say on the subject. Well then, okay. yeah. Um, All right. In that case, I guess we should just try and get started with Homecoming, because otherwise we're going to be here for a very long time. But um, so I don't know. We'll st we'll start with. I got to bring it up briefly in the um, 
in the previous podcast, but we'll see what you think, Shad, because you're going to be the main person to sort of fight against it if 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 preferred yeah, if preferred maybe you'll agree well see i should i should just say this i mean i said it on on the previous efaps i liked homecoming i gave it like a seven or eight out of ten um but i actually do understand the arguments people have been uh, uh, proposing that are that go against it and in actual fact it's those very same arguments that made me dislike far from home a lot more than other people uh, i saw these uh, kind of uh, indications in homecoming but they were very minor and i was able to ignore them and enjoy the film overall because there were some interesting uh i guess you could call them risks but they were trying some different approaches with the peter parker character and i didn't think they were necessarily bad i thought some of them were certainly out of character with the previously established mm -hmm. peter parker character um and in that sense, if you were wanting a more traditional Spider-Man take, you could have take issue with it. But I did like some of the things that they were trying, and uh, and so I was open to it and stuff. But I think they really they took that kind of theme and then went off the rails with it in Far From Home. So 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 I'm going to argue the point that I don't necessarily agree with. I'm playing devil's advocate, and the issue that happens when I do this is that people generally think that this is definitely my opinion because I can end up arguing quite strongly for this view that I'm not fully on board with. I just want to give validity to the opposing side, and then people think that's what it is. No, I like Homecoming. Okay, I want. I want. I hope everyone will remember that. Very well. So I figure. Okay. okay. Good place to start would just be Peter Parker's character. So, um. Uh, uh, ignoring any sources, if uh, I know how this sounds because I've said it so many times and it didn't mean shit in the previous podcast, but I'm going to say it again. <laughs> Not can, pretend for a second that nothing else exists. Uh, how his journey is written, only considering his time in the MCU continuity being Civil War and Homecoming. Um, obviously, I'm not saying you're not allowed to consider Far From Home. I'm just saying um, what happens in Homecoming with only relevance reference to Civil War and Homecoming being, um, I see the film about being is, is establishing his motivation, like the why of being a superhero. Um, I don't know if like I should uh, sort of invite everyone to sort of give their ideas about what they might think that it was in the film or how well they, they did it, but I kind of talked about it last time, the whole um, Civil War, he has like the baseline, what you could call philosophy. Of um, and and some people have a problem with the fact that he's got this idea rather than us seeing where it came from. Um, if you if you don't do things when bad things happen, when you have the power to stop them, then you may as well make them happen. That whole idea. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people have drawn that the MCU was trying to imply that something happened with Uncle Ben, and that would have given him that sort of perspective. I I don't know that um, that's necessary. I, I think that that's his sort of perspective regardless. It may have been Uncle Ben, it may have been that something happened there, it may have been in the six months of heroing or before that that he came to this conclusion, but it's very undeveloped. You would expect that. Well, you would kind of just expect that's what happened. I mean, if this is a Spider-Man movie, the unspoken parts of certain, you know, actions, history and stuff like that, if it isn't mentioned in the film, the default assumption is to be, well, what is already established with the Peter Parker character. And so you'd assume the Ben, sorry, Uncle Ben event has already transpired unless they explicitly state in the movie that something different has occurred and it's not canon. So I don't blame <clears throat> people for having that assumption that, you know, Uncle Ben should have already been done. We've just seen it twice already. And so my, my own take was on it. They, they didn't need to rehash the same kind of thing. Like how many times have we seen 
um, uh, Bruce Wayne's parents get killed, you know, in Batman and stuff. And I think that it's satisfactory for both people who are too hyper aware of uh, third party content and people who aren't aware of any of it at all. Um, would you agree with that? What do you mean by uh, hyper aware of third party content? So, like, if you just watch the Raimi trilogy and then you just watch the Amazing Spider Man duology, is that what that's considered? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> like, and then you watch Homecoming. Duo? Duo? Just. Is, is it is it not considered a duology if it's a completed two? It's not complete. It's oh, well, you, you know what I you know what I mean. You know, what I mean. like the cut they, out. They call it the Alien Quadrilogy before the next one was made. So, like, um, uh, yeah. so like point being that uh, the film functions and the the origin quote unquote of his philosophy is is uh, it stands if you have no idea what Spider Man is or who Uncle Ben is or how any of it relates to anything. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 sorry. What you're saying that um, I'm saying it's a Peter it's Parker's a, perspective stands irrelevant of what happened with Uncle Ben in the MCU. It stands movies. if you're aware of the third party information or not. The, the reason I I believe they wrote it that way was because uh, it would work as both. So, if you're coming in with all of that awareness and then you go, oh, you probably learned that from Uncle Ben. I'm like, who's Uncle Ben? Didn't he just? I figured he just learned it, and you'd be like, oh, well. Uh, yeah, no, I guess that well, works. See, see, I'm not sure. See, I'm not sure about that because the core theme of Spider-Man, which is very well established, is, you know, the great power comes great responsibility and it, and is basically the spirit of the character right there. And so if you have events where he's starting to betray that, well, that would bring into question, did the Uncle Ben event happen? And, not, and knowing if it did would help inform your perspective on his actions later on. And uh, he's mostly you know, like he's mostly consistent in Homecoming, but it's in Far From Home that I have the issue with, um, mm -hmm. where he starts to stray from the core Peter Parker character. And uh, and so, yeah, that that's where the absence of the Ben, you know, Uncle Ben thing starts to uh, have question marks, and that's where it's a bit more problematic. Even though I hate using that word, I've decrupted that damn word. But sometimes <laughs> it's useful. Uh, I mean, my my view of it is that um that when it comes to Ben, is if you'd never heard of Spider Man and you watched Homecoming or, or you watched Civil War, you wouldn't know who Ben was. But the story still works. It's it works whether or not you're aware of Ben Parker's existence. Um, but I mean, on the point of like somebody dying and you don't necessarily fully absorb their lesson i think that's entirely possible yeah um, um i do think like because uh Mauler, you started this entire kind of uh, explanation with uh, uh the groundwork that if you're just looking at this as its own single thing irrespective mm -hmm. of anything that's gone before and honestly i'm not sure you can do that um uh, like, of course you can, but I'm saying that the fact is there is external material that defines who this character is. Oh, yeah, is. I'm, I'm saying so, theoretical for now. We'll get to whether or not you okay. should. I'm just saying theoretical for yeah, now. okay, cool, cool. So if it were to stand on its own, if the other content never existed at all, the what we're given is a kid with what is essentially quite an unrefined base for philosophy. Because if you told me, for example, Molly, you should live by the mantra, if there's something you could do to stop a bad thing from happening, you should be doing it, otherwise you've basically caused it. I'd be like, mate, by that logic, I'm causing a lot of bad things to happen. Like, if I was to expend every last piece of energy I have in favor of making other things better for other people, um, 
then it would be pretty difficult to pull that off, firstly, but what I'm doing right now would probably make me Satan by that logic. So him saying it... Well, I don't know. I, I, even that, I think there's arguments to uh, um, oppose it, because what about expending sufficient enough energy in right. helping others? But this is the thing. The philosophy energy, alone you know, is, is relatively vague. That's this kind of my point, is that it's very admirable, it's very altruistic, but it's almost childish. And um, that's what he has with Civil War. Now, Homecoming, I see as a story where it's uh, it's like refining it, because he spends the whole film going headfirst into saving people, but then he finds that there are several scenarios in which he shouldn't be going there, he shouldn't be getting involved, he's ruining things by um, approaching them. And so I'd say by the end of the film, he's figured out that it's about when and where to, not just about why. Right, and that's your view on Homecoming, specifically. Yeah, and I went on that yeah. sort of small rant in the previous podcast about like all of the sort of parts to the film that I think are trying to support that journey, that he's more concerned with making sure he's a quote-unquote hero, he's labelled. He's doing everything an Avenger is supposed to do, instead of thinking about like the, the specifics of each context of how he enters each of the fights. And of course, Tony Stark's going to have a problem with that, because his whole lesson in previous films has been about not being reckless with the power <coughs> you have. And ultimately, okay, I would that's... actually argue that it all comes under the umbrella of with great power comes great, but without saying it at any point. Yeah, and that's a solid, that on top of it, it is a solid character arc. It's consistent, it falls together, and that's why it works. That's why I liked it. Doesn't mean that there are um, uh, points of criticism that people can put against it, and uh, and I'd like to perhaps try and argue some of those points to see if they're, they're you know, more valid than pe many people have regarded. Um, so that's, you know, that's something we might be able to do. About Homecoming? Yeah, about Homecoming specifically. Yeah, go for it. Well, first, I, I want to kind of go back on the uh, the premise of this whole thing about looking at it in its own kind of mm -hmm. um, self-contained thing. And so, to to uh, you know uh, um, begin this kind of logical thing, I'll take an example to an extreme and see, see what you guys think. Okay, so what what movie could you say is better, or is there even a point to try and determine if one is better? Uh, Pride and Prejudice, one of the, looking at, say, one of the better film adaptations, or The Return of the Jedi? I uh, haven't seen Pride and Prejudice. So... Yeah, I, I haven't seen it either, unfortunately. Wow, you uncultured <laughs> I think, I think, <laughs> oh, no, don't, don't leave. I think my mum would have shown me it when I was really young, but other than that, they forced it in school at one point. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> my, I guess my point is, these are both incredible, incredible stories. Like in terms of the characterization, the plots, the execution, they're, they're great on so many levels. So how, like comparing them against one another is so difficult because they're so different. Mm -hmm. They're catering to a different audience. They're, the whole purpose behind each story is so, so drastically different. So you can't really say, one is necessarily better than the other, but you can say this. Pride and Prejudice is an absolute terrible Star Wars film. And Star Wars is a horrible Pride and Prejudice, you know, Jane Austen Regency romance. And so it's a matter of perspective. And I, I mentioned this to Mola um, when we we're having a chat before, that you're, you're only able to determine 
um, you're only really able to uh, understand something or even categorize it with a specific point of reference. Uh, Mount Everest is huge compared to, say, me, but if you compare it to the size of the Earth, it suddenly becomes puny. It's small. And so the point of reference with these films that we're looking at is Batman. You're expecting, or first and foremost, a superhero movie but also a Batman movie. If you went into a Batman movie to watch a Batman movie and you got The Flash or Superman, it fails at one of the primary reasons for its existence to be a Batman movie. And so with that point of reference, you would say this movie is bad in this specific my, context. My response to that would be, okay, so I go to the movies, the, the screen says I'm going to go see Spider-Man. I go in and I see a movie that isn't that, and it's really good. Like, it's just, it's well-written, well-shot. All I could say is, that was good, but it wasn't what I wanted to see. And because of that, you could say it is bad, because no, it wasn't what, no, because it wasn't what it was supposed to be. By the very um, name of the title, it sets up a point of reference, an expectation of what if this is If I could offer um, a different counter, you said that I, I wouldn't yeah. be able to call, or at least I wouldn't concede that you can't call that Re Return of the Jedi or Pride and Prejudice are better or worse. I need to see it, um, and then I would try and figure out as best to talk about how consistent the plot lines or the character arcs or the, the will building is, like all of the just basic elements of like drawing up a story. What you can say, and this is not in relevance to which one is the better Star Wars film, you can say that A New Hope has tighter writing than Return of the Jedi, like by far. You, I actually oh yeah, you can. personally prefer Return of the Jedi, but I think that A New Hope is actually the better film, or at least a uh, stronger film, oh, tighter true. film. There's, there's, there's a lot of categories to go over. Um, but good that's lord, that, that's a subject for a whole well, other stream. The perhaps, first, like, that's I would want to, because I'm, yeah, I would want to try and figure out the validity of that. You could, yeah, be no, right, I, uh, but I know which one I like more, and I have this naive assumption, which could be very short-sighted of me, that I tend to like things because they're better. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's so... totally fair. That's totally fair. Um, <laughs> I like the the you know many people have gone over it, but that that opening like half hour of Return of the Jedi where. It's very difficult to nail down just what the hell they were trying to achieve and how many better decisions all of the characters can make. Um, and, and when you try and figure it out from like in post, once you've seen the whole film, you're like, what were they trying to do? What was the goal? And you look at the end of, of Empire and you're like, how did they go from there to... Eh, okay. And you try and ignore it. Then there's, you know, th there's a lot to it. While um, I feel like the other two, from a basic perspective, is... Uh, is actually a lot there are a lot more consistently written and that's probably how i would go about trying to pull which one is superior um but in terms of a piece of writing what about like and so i guess this is another kind of thing to try and explore because your standard as i've come to be familiar with is mostly like consistency you know you know mm -hmm. um logical connections between character motivations plot and other things like that um don't you think that there are other elements outside of that that can be objectively quantified as to the quality of uh, something? Uh, yeah, it depends what standard you're using, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you can be objective to a standard, but I think that essentially consistency and progression is intrinsically tied to storytelling. Or if there are other things that are intrinsically tied to storytelling. Possibly, yes. But there is no story without a progression of events, because that's what it is, right? That that is absolutely true. Um, 
so uh, like uh, I've been thinking about this mm -hmm. um, and I've been wondering, you know, what are some other elements that could be considered pretty, you know, um, uh, connected to the quality of it? Um, character likability. I, I don't know if I agree with that because, I mean, I think a good example, a lot of people like Ray. I don't, so I couldn't <laughs> argue unlikability because a lot of people like her. No, no, yeah. See, this is, I, I know that a lot of this does become subjective, but I do feel, even, even having said that, that there are certain general uh, standards that make a character more likable. What, if, what if I'm not going for likable? What if I'm going for unlikable? What if I'm going for unlikable at the start and likable at the end? What like if, Joffrey. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So maybe I should replace likable with uh, effective, perhaps, or well, I, I guess effective is a different thing altogether. It, 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 it is. Like... It is. But like a character that serves the plot in such an effective way can become likable because they are so effective in the plot. Like Joffrey. Do you like... mean? Do you mean they're necessary or that they? Well, let's look at Joffrey. Right. Um, Joffrey is a brilliant character therefore i like him i don't like him as a person but as a character that needs to serve the role of a story is brilliant therefore i like him right okay um what what if somebody said um yeah he is brilliant but i hate him and that was the that was the point that they were going for i hate him but that's why it works well, me, for example, in my short time watching Game of Thrones, I found Joffrey to be really forced in terms of how much, you know, how evil he, he is. Hated character. Mm -hmm. he, he seemed like they like like they hammered it into your head. You're supposed to hate him. Look how bad he is. Oh, look, he's just beating them whores for no reason. Oh, it's like to that for me, it felt like like he was really forced. And I just I was like, ah, oh, they just want me to hate him. Man, I don't know. You know. Right. Well, no, the, the, see, the see what you've transparent, right? So what you've raised right. there, no, this is good. What you've raised there is a, a good solid argument that goes against the uh, overall quality of a character that then can make a movie less likable, less good. Like if you're just trying to make, you know, judge something for its quality. And so my point isn't really about Joffrey because I actually haven't seen Game of Thrones, but I'm, you know, okay. using secondhand information. My point is, can the quality of the character be intrinsically tied to the overall quality of the movie? And I think yes. Well, yeah, but then you need a framework for judging. Well, exactly, the exactly, of the exactly. And so the framework is, I think, is always going to change dependent on the expectation and what is what the character is supposed to fulfill in the plot. Well, the whose expectations, though? Who's well, no, no, no. Like, like for instance, the hero. Okay, as soon as you have a protagonist, there are certain expectations that are intrinsically tied to what an a protagonist should do for a plot. Such you as, can subvert such them. As what you reckon? Like for, you know, yeah, like if you're going for an idyllic aspirational hero and stuff, there are certain beats that help achieve that better than others. And so it will become a very di like different thing dependent on, I guess, the different character type. If it's a villain, there are certain things you would hope to want the villain to. You could have a likable villain, you know, like Loki, or you could have a despised villain that you really want people to hate, like Joffrey and stuff. And if they're achieving what they were meant to achieve in the plot or what the character is supposed to be, and you can understand that through context fairly easily, I feel, you can then judge objectively if that character um, has achieved well, it. Men too is an interesting one because what if the what the writer meant to do was just crap? So they achieved their goal, but it was a bad idea, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, so that, I'm referring to general standards in storytelling. And so, like, again, protagonist, there are certain things, e even separate to what the author wants, the greater kind of audience that's going to be reading this is going to have certain established expectations uh, just based on general understanding of story. Yeah, but general means it's not universal. No, no, but there are percentages that become fairly solid. I mean, like... Yeah, I think about quantum mechanics as off-random as that is. We, it's impossible to know the exact state of a, you know, subatomic particle until you observe it. And and but and when not observed, you cannot predict where it will appear. But what you can do is know the the, the uh, likelihood of where it will appear, and yeah, that becomes. And, and so you, you, the percentage, the, the like the percentage becomes the objective standard. Like you know, and so if I was to convey this to uh, um, uh, literature now that an effective hero the you could say these qualities generally make good effective heroes okay now if you're going to break from that standard i'm not saying it's impossible to make an effective hero but generally breaking from that standard makes less effective and if you were to like i know we can't do this but if you were to judge every single hero in every single story and list these qualities and stuff like that i do feel the heroes that are worse okay yeah on many different levels will be those that have broken from that standard more often than not that's the percentage what are the what are the the standard um ones that you would say like what are the standard traits well, again, it all it always depends on exactly so, the type of character you're that if I can, supposed to be. What I think is going to happen here is he's going to ask you for one for, let's say, hero. You provide a standard sort of attribute for a hero, then he'll give you an example of a hero that doesn't have that attribute, and then you'll say it's not a you know complete rule, it's just a general rule. Yeah, so yeah, then, I, I, exactly. But it'll bring him back to the whole exceptions. like... Yeah, like, and I already said that. You can have exceptions, but my point is that generally when you have a look at most of them, you will find a general standard of certain character traits that have been successful with the hero archetype. And uh, like, for instance, Far, I mean, Far From Home is going to be a great example because in that specific you know movie and the portrayal of Peter, I feel that they made certain deviations from the type of character spider-man has already been established to be and you can say that it was bad because it changed from what was already established to who the spider-man character is so it's bad in one instance and irrespective <clears throat> of what has gone before and what has been established as spider-man it was also bad because these character traits do not reflect positively on him as a character making him less unlikable um, well, for the yeah, type but, of hero it's established for him to but be then then the counter argument would be the the whole relatability argument to which his responses and his actions are extremely relatable and then somebody could just say well from the relatability framework and relatability is another one of these sort of generally accepted rules someone could just say well he's relatable and believable so he's good and this and is exactly what yeah you're exactly right and this is why i brought up the pride and prejudice and uh you know return of the jedi thing because that entirely depends on the point of reference of where you're judging it from. And so the question is, what is more important for a heroic character to be relatable or for him to be heroic? Now, Spider-Man is already relatable, in my opinion. And if they want to make him more relatable at the cost of his, uh, you know, idyllic noble character of what Spider-Man is meant to be, I would say that was a poor decision and resulted as in a worse character as a result. Well, we can go into the specifics of why when we start to explore far from home. Mm -hmm. um, right. 
So, sorry, I got a crying baby. I, okay. I should have also prefaced, yeah. prefaced this, everyone, that my kids are just getting up ready for school and stuff. So there might be some background noise. Yeah, that kid is far from happy. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, um, well, he's hungry. So, so my gonna... point is, because there are always specifics, and we will go into the specifics of Spider-Man, because this is kind of my foundation for my views on what happened. Um, but let's like let's go back to the, my broader argument about um, can the quality of the character being in a thing that is intrinsically tied to the quality of the film. And I feel, yes. Well, I mean, the quality of character can be tied to film. I think has generally been tied to the whole consistency argument, but, um, but I guess my thing is it's so, but well, we'll, I guess my counter. Yeah. yeah. My counter is that you can have a very consistently written character, right? That does not fit in the story at all, or does not fulfill the purpose he was meant to fulfill in that story. And also can just be wholly unlikable. You are not in, there is no, you are getting far less entertainment value out of watching, reading or whatever, being present in a scene with this character than if they were not. And so I would say that this means character is a very intrinsically tied thing to the quality of a story irrespective of the idea of cons internal consistency well I, I guess my thing is is um so you're talking about the hero the hero archetype and sort of the the qualities of a hero archetype but i can just think of so many examples of heroes that completely sort of buck that archetype whom everybody yeah, like, I, I i agree completely like, there, there are exceptions um, to the standard, but does that mean the standard isn't real? Yeah, because if, if, so like, if, you can, if you can look at a plot hole and say, oh, well, the story still works, then like it's literally no longer a plot hole. Because yeah, like it's an unbreachable standard. Plot, yeah, it can't be breached, which is why it can be assessed objectively in the same way as a lot of science. Hold on. I still have... This is how early I'm awake. My normal alarm just went off. Um, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it's the, the idea would be that when we try to set objective standards, these are, um, I mean, you look at science, the idea is to set an unbreachable standard and, and the goal is always to work towards an unbreachable standard. It's like when you brought up the quantum thing, all I'd say is I'm sure the scientists are quite keen on getting to a point where they can be correct 100% of the time with the metrics that they have. Well, on that note, I, like if we were, if we had infinite processing capacity, I think it would be possible to break down every, every detail, like uh, no matter how small uh, of characterization of consistency as well, of all the elements that make a story good. And you could put it on an objective scale, but because Wait. there are so many factors to try and consider Just that I, I think to, it's impossible. I need to hear yeah, Fringy sorry. answer this question for you, Shad, right? So Fringy, uh -huh. can you have an objectively consistent character to, to this, the sense of per, uh, perfection, absolutely no inconsistencies whatsoever, and they still theoretically be liked by nobody. Yeah. 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 Because what if you wrote a story where it was only, that was the only possible outcome, you know, where it's like, yeah, they're consistent, but nobody likes them. Yeah. So that would make the bad, the story, and, that would make well, a bad story, wouldn't the, it? Well, no, because uh, well, if if everyone on planet Earth disliked them, that does not mean they are unlikable. Other than they they weren't liked by anyone on Earth. They, they, who knows? Another baby's born tomorrow, and they like the character. It'd be like, oh, well, there you go. It's but see now, see, like when you're determining if something is good, okay, like like <laughs> this comes into their idea of what creates value. 
gold is only valuable because there's a majority of people who actually say it's valuable and this is the same with quality uh, and so i would say that um uh, when it comes to like story and character and maybe there are ways to argue against this one um what determines a story to be good you know i do think majority consensus plays a part in it but i know the counter to this is that a lot of people like the last jedi <laughs> well so um, and you might be right before you go on you might be right about that theoretically but even if you were the point where you just highlighted for us is that if ever we said well most people don't like this character so they're bad and people could be like well most people like a split on the last jedi so how can you say that story's bad and we'd be stuck in like the land of never making conclusions. Well, what if we're not stuck? Because if people do then come with the, you know, counter that there is a lot of people who like it, you can then start to apply other intrinsically tied elements to story to really try and find out if it's good or bad, consistency being a great point of reference to determine quality. And so perhaps, you know, even in those instances where the majority consensus fails that's where you can rely on other things but it perhaps might not say that like majority consensus is completely invalid because i do feel that like the uh the general qualities that determine if a character is good or not are reliable there are ways that you can break free and stuff but if you had a movie where all the characters were Mo were un nearly universally disliked by most people with the very few exceptions of one or two mm -hmm. you could s say quite objectively this is a horrible film i wouldn't well, say the that thing is you'd, you'd, you'd have you to wouldn't? no i would i would have to clarify i'd be like this film is yeah. despised and then someone's like is it poorly written I, uh, and if it let's say by any standard i've constructed with consistency within my channel and the way that i've, I've gone over it with like fringy rags wolf etc I would, by all accounts, have to be like, well, no. And this has happened before, by the way. Homecoming is the perfect example. I was told by everybody that Homecoming was god-awful. I watched it and I was like, okay, um, it's not, though? And then people would be like, what the hell? And that's kind of what got all this started. I was like, well, if I'm to remain consistent with the standards we've all been discussing over the past 40-something EFAPs, like, yeah, the, the characters are very consistent. The plot line is all based on cause and effect. There are a few conveniences I will hand you, but no more that should ever judge it to the point where it's become like an abysmal failure. And then I'm like, why is it that people hate it? And I'm like, oh, there's a lot of people mentioning this whole comic argument. What's this about? And I've looked into it and I was See? like, oh, motivation, very clear on why people hate it. And um, I think... Well, I, well, so, oh, oh, sorry, oh, sorry. I think. All right. Um, well, on the, on the majority thing, it's like, that's... Um, couldn't that be sort of broken down into macro and micro scales, at which point you would start to question, I guess, like, you know, where, where the cutoff is and why. So, i.e., the majority of science fiction fans don't like this character in a science fiction story, but the majority of regular people do enjoy it. It's like, well, then which one do we use as the reference for the majority consensus? Or, like, uh, people in well, a country no, this, this is, this generally is like it. Like this is actually a great point of argument because, like, I would like to discuss this a bit further just for my own understanding yeah. as well. Maybe mm -hmm. you guys can help me out because Twilight, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, good example of that, of a book that, that there is a lot of people who hate that book, okay? But there are far more people who love it, okay? And it's, it's success that, like, in my mind, has to, you know, is connected to something very significant. People will say it's poorly written. The characterization is unrealistic and things like that. Yet it is so loved still and so successful. What has it done 
Because in my mind, if, if it is that successful, it has to have done something good. Now, the, the, the thing that's killing me about this argument is that the same argument could be made to The Last Jedi. That well, the same I'm argument dying, could be made to I'm Transformers. Yeah, that's I'm dying inside. But the thing is, like, well, the same argument can be made with many of the Fast and Furious movies. I love a lot of the Fast and Furious movies, knowing that so much of it is bad, but yet there is so much about it I like. And if the, if I'm liking something in it, in my opinion, there I feel you would have to be able to break it down and find certain objective elements in it Whoa. that you could Wait. say, this is why people like it, and yeah. this is why people like it. If I grab onto that and then repeat it in something else, I should be able to make something else that is also likable. And if, and if it's uh, a, a consistent kind of element that you can identify and then reproduce, that makes it objective in my mind. Um, what I was going to highlight is our processes are clearly slightly different. When I find that someone likes something but it's inconsistently written, I'm like, I'm curious what it is that made them like it. So say, for example, uh, there's a piece of politics yeah. in the in the media that agrees with them. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Or the, the person was cast for like, uh, like the, let's just say it was a really likable actor at the time. Like, oh, they like it because it's him. Or um, it's just a sequel of a franchise that's really popular. I'm like, oh, they just like it because it's popular. Or Transformers, it's like, oh, they just like the CGI, the explosions. Like, as long as I can find a motivation, I'm fine with it. I can move on. Um, but mm -hmm. one thing I, I, I thought you'd be interested in asking me by now, I think you'd eventually get there because of, like, most people do. Um, a couple people have already. But it's like, if you've identified objectively good as completely irrelevant to making people enjoy it, then what the hell is the point of it? Um, and my take is always that it's like the baseline so that we can actually discuss the mechanics effectively. Whether or not someone likes that, um, if I was to, you know, like explaining Peter's journey, uh, in, in Homecoming and someone's sitting there the whole time, like, that's not Peter though. I'd be like, oh, I'm not really talking about that. I'm just talking about this journey, which is really recognizable or relatable or, uh, set up and paid off or transmits in a very, uh, sensical way. Lots of little like highs and lows, and so once you highlight all of these things as actually existing, like being there, someone might be watching the video and going, "Huh, that's pretty cool, actually. I didn't notice that." And then maybe if they watch it again, because I don't know about you guys, but I've watched reviews where they've actually made me hate films or love films in further watching, because <laughs> it's stuff you don't notice or stuff that you did notice and ignore, and you recognize your own biases, like, that's part of what I think is really fascinating about it, when you actually figure out a reason for why you were blocked in terms of liking or disliking it, which has happened to me as well. I'll be like, oh, fuck, I actually like that. Because, like, I always tell people, like, I love Batman and Robin, it's terrible, but it's Arnold Schwarzenegger being happy as hell, and I, I, I love the shit out of that actor. Like, I don't really care that that's my bias. I, I can accept it's poorly written. Yeah, but see, <coughs> even so... so my opinion, I guess, is because I agree. I like. I absolutely agree with uh, the idea of consistency being intrinsically tied to if something is good. Completely. My personal take on top of that is that I feel it's too narrow. I do feel that there are other elements that are intrinsically tied to a story that reflect on its quality. Uh, characterization mm -hmm. being a very important one. And so going back to that example of you could have a perfectly consistent film, but if all the characters are unlikable, okay, and they're doing you know, thing horrible things, uh, and uh, and uh, so as a result, that film would just be horrible, and you'd be thinking, <coughs> you know, now it, when you say what is the point? Well, maybe that's when you again could bring up a new standard that might be able to 
try and redeem it in some yeah, measure. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes sense. Like, we've talked about it previously, but the idea that some guy's writing a story and he's like, what should I have my hero do? And it's like, have him be proactive. And some other guy's like, you don't have to have him be proactive. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know, but people typically like Gen proactive heroes. Exactly. Generally speaking, a proactive hero... Which we... I don't think anyone here would disagree with you on that. No. But typically, well, people like proactive heroes. The problem well, is that good. typically... I typically isn't... Uh, well, see, that, again, I guess it goes back to the per percentage thing, is that I even feel that typically is it, it sets a general standard that I is think, objective. I and think if you're, typically if you're sets a good guideline, but not a standard. It's like, it's, it's kind of like all the writing rules, like three-act structure. Like the three-act structure isn't objectively superior to other structures. It just generally works well, which is why you're recommended to do it. And it's the same with like, proactive characters or active versus passive characters or um you know things of that nature or traits or you know it's a kind of like it's the advice you see a lot when people talk about writing it's like yeah that's decent advice it's um it'll probably do well for you but it's not it's not an objective standard because i could just come along and say well i like passive characters no and, so and i then you'd have my, to argue my, the point yeah. there my reply to that is that um, I do feel it's an objective standard, but because it's objective, if you understand because you know, if you understand the benefits of uh, an active protagonist and how they benefit the plot, how they engage the reader and stuff like that, you can then know when it's appropriate to break that standard because you can then understand it so well that say in this instance, it is better for the service of the yeah, plot but, or the but, um, narrative for him to be not, you know, um, uh, proactive in this instance. And so again, this is a, you're, you're, you're understanding very objective, you know, elements about characterization and how you're working them into a plot to make a better story overall. Well, my, my response to that would be, um, you can't break, you can't do plot holes and have it be better than if it didn't have plot holes. Plot holes are, just flaws they no, are inarguable or... flaws whereas like what if what if i oh, wrote on, a story... hang on. Let, let me jump on the plot hole thing i mean no there are ways to make plot holes like you can put a plot hole in a movie and make the movie better by having that plot hole in it for was actually to to bolster shad funnily enough but the, the, well i'm on both of your teams with this one technically speaking <laughs> It's not all bad to have plot holes if you have something like Spaceballs where something impossible yeah. happens and is played for laughs. However, it is a flaw in the storytelling designed to evoke laughter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's still objectively a plot it's hole. Still, yeah. But, but it, see, there's the thing, the new standard then, like the quality, you're gauging the quality of the film based on how much it makes you laugh. Well, this is I, the, this no, is no, 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 no. And by it achieving that purpose, it is then more successful, better film as a result, and it is better because it well, had that plot hole the, in. The, 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 point, the point that's being made, though, is that the plot hole is still a plot hole. It's, it's something that can be identified clearly and, you know, it, you can present the evidence to explain why it's a plot hole. Someone can't then turn around and just say, well, I prefer, like, I like it, and then it means the plot hole doesn't exist. Whereas when it comes to characters... You know, you could have a you could have a passive character, and then it's like, well, this character is passive, so they're bad. And then someone says, well, I like them, and it's like, well, then what do you where do you go from there? But see, the counter to this is then, wouldn't it? Wouldn't the uh, 
counter to your argument about plot holes only take one person somewhere to say, I like that the plot hole is in it. Yeah, but the plot hole still but, exists, but, though. No, no, but see, if you're saying the uh, the objective, uh, you know, um, uh, what am I trying to say? So a plot hole is bad, objectively, is what you're trying to say. But if then you're then saying the uh, the purpose or value that it has in a story um, is determined by how people react to it, what if somebody came into Spaceballs and what and thought that, or at least not not that they thought they're like, I want this story to make sense from beginning to end, and then they watch it, it wouldn't achieve that purpose for them if they were taking it totally seriously because the plot hole still exists. Yeah, I'm just trying to understand, uh, you know, because you might have a point here, or I might have just lost my well, train of thought. I, what, what, so, the point that I'm kind of trying to get onto. Hmm. Plot holes are a very clearly identifiable issue because it's a break in logic, and logic is a is a standard that's more easily defined and can be more rigidly adhered to. So, like, okay, so we have a story. It's like uh, John woke up. John walked to the shop. Um, he spontaneously combusted and turned into a pile of ash. John got a sausage roll from the shop, <laughs> walked home, and ate it. And, and you know what? You've made a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> And it's it's funny, right? But the the the, lo the logic of the story is broken it's because fucked. it doesn't make sense. It doesn't and make sense. The interesting know, like addendum that to that story. then is Fringy's highlighted there are no stakes as well because now anything is possible, so we have no idea how to understand. Yeah. Like, so dramas suffer miserably from plot holes. Yeah. So I agree with and you then, here. So yeah. now I'm trying to apply your argument to the broader context of what we're discussing yeah, about sure. mm -hmm. being able to judge something for its quality well, on objective standards. To and roll, so I just want to highlight, right, because this is the thing, I'm actually, this is really good right now. It's just going to, I'm not sure how to steer this in terms of the purpose of the EFAP as a whole. And I was going to say... <laughs> we're, we're getting is, pretty deep, aren't we? Yeah, well, we're literally we're talking about the fundamentals of writing, which is amazing. It's just yeah. that, like, fuck, I did promise to actually do some other things today. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> but we're kind of led there, or like, uh, unavoidably, because uh, my criticisms from Far From... To, you know, on Far From Home rely on these very elements we're talking about, right? Yeah, that, that's that's um, fine. I mean, my, my view, at least on... Your perspective is the things that you're saying about you know uh active versus passive and the traits that people generally like are good things to keep in mind when it comes to expedient writing in the sense that um it's it's you know it's, it's easier to approach a story even if in a straightforward way based on what people like and don't like and for the record okay, we've made a lot more progress already than last time yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so, so, so like, yeah, just to, just to kind of, I think I know a better way to try and say, you, I could not say universally that um, an active protagonist is always universally better, only yeah. generally better yeah. on a standard. But the way that then I would apply it is that I would apply it specifically on a case-by-case -case basis to determine if this that, yeah, specific that's... character in this specific story is worse for being passive or active. And so yeah, no, it, when, exactly. as soon as when as soon as you apply it specifically, I feel that objective standard can come back and can be relied upon to determine if something is good, which would then also mean in my mind, if characterization can be an intrinsically tied element to a story to determine if it's good separate to uh, just consistency of the plot. And, uh, and I mean, it's not just consistent because I know how important that is, but mm -hmm. I still feel that there are other separate elements to that that can be very objectively, 
you know, you can look at very objectively to determine if it's good or not. Um, I'd say that I'd say that arguments of I guess of um I do agree that using a framework is better and tailoring the framework to you know on a case by case basis. The issue only comes in the disagreements in the the framework. Well, the disagreements that one would have in the framework of like a, a good example would be um we saw it'll be in one of the videos that we're watching where someone said that um Spider Man Homecoming is a comedy first and a superhero slash action movie second. Like, how do you then, that changes the way that you would approach the framework. You're absolutely right. And this is a good point we're bringing up. So I think you could say and defend this point fairly strongly that Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home should be a Spider-Man film first and foremost, which then sets up the, you could say, the most important point of reference to judge the film by, could you not? Um, well, yeah, but couldn't couldn't I just then say, well, this is my book, um, and it's called Google Blocks, and um, you need to judge it first and foremost as a Google Blocks book, and then that would probably make the book better because I made it. You know what I mean? Like, no, like, you actually where- do have a point there because even with what I said, and I like, so this is me reiterating your point in my own words, is that saying it's a spider-man film does not make it immune to review on other standards like consistency characterization and stuff you're absolutely right there so i agree with you but it doesn't mean the standard the point of reference you're judging it by for being a spider-man film is disregarded it's a very okay well standard. actually um i saw someone in the chat bring up something that's interesting they said what is a spider-man film and i think that's Aha, a good point we, because... we can get wait, to wait. that we can get to that yes we, we that's right. you're absolutely no, right this, you... this, this is important but <laughs> so, so, so like the one thing i really 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 want to do is talk about what homecoming does well in terms of writing irrelevant of spider-man um, yes. And yeah. if, say, for example, I said, "Shad, don't you not? Do you not think this is pretty good?" And then you say, "Well, uh, I, it it changes depending on if we look at blah blah blah." And I'd be like, "That may very well be perfectly valid, but are you able to forego it just for a bit?" <laughs> just- okay. Yeah, per- best example that I think we can bring up in this regard is the scene where Spider Man's getting crushed by the pillar. I think this is also a strong point of contention that people have because people don't like it because he's crying, yeah, comes across as weak, yeah. and then some people really like it because yeah. it shows him as relatable, vulnerable, struggling yep. to overcome a thing, uh, and so on and so forth. And so what we're seeing here in this instance are two very different point of views, right, that are actually based on two separate standards of, you know, the standard you're judging it by to determine if it's good or not. Um, and so... Uh, this is so my my own take on it. But before I go on my take, did you guys want to voice your own views on that scene? Is it and this is this, is this one of the things that you're trying to point towards? I more? was more going toward so the the broad strokes of what they're achieving in their whole story, as opposed to a particular moment, whether or not he did the right sort of. I don't mind talking about that in a bit, but again, mm-hmm. broadly, okay, like sorry. so, okay, going broadly. for like his journey as a character. Did you? Because you, you heard the, the last EFAPS de- debate. What did you think about um, me trying to explain his journey and understanding why it's important that he's clear on his motivation? Oh, yeah. There's a reason why I give Homecoming an 8 out of 10. Like, I liked it. Or 7 to 8. Um, yeah, I, I liked it, absolutely. There are some really good elements to the story overall. I do understand the criticism, certain criticism, not every, but certain criticisms people have with it and where it's coming from, and that their standard that they're generally applying is 
the first of the foremost, the established character of who Spider-Man is, and that's something we will go into. Um, the, the person in the chat was very right to bring it up because that's a really interesting argument I have personally, or I, I, I find it interesting. And uh, and so uh, I understand the counter-arguments. If, but even having said that, if you were to take away the point of reference of the pre-established Peter Parker character and try and look at certain things, there are certain things that I can see why people didn't enjoy it as much and there are certain and there are certain things that i found a bit annoying mm -hmm. but with what they were trying to achieve i also found satisfyingly enough almost to an enough of a level to offset my annoyance that i could say my annoyance doesn't really matter then if that makes sense uh there there are people in the audience Sorry, who desperately want to hear you and whoever else talk about why he's unfaithful and why that affects the film but there are also people out there really want to hear me slash other people here talk about what the film is doing well because maybe they don't know the arguments and also they may feel that they're not being talked about so like maybe if i shift focus I mean, like uh, yeah yeah but generally nearly everything that you say is working well in the film i'll probably agree with you so. okay well that's that that'll be great because i like people are desperate for me to actually talk about this because like why does more even like it and i'm like i struggle to actually find opportunities to jab in why so vulture why is he a good villain? Yeah. Oh, you, I thought I'm, you I'm literally, this is a free-for-all. Go for it. Anybody want to jump right. in? Um, I will Volt. start. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, people have been getting mad at me for not saying anything, but uh, <laughs> I, was, I honestly was just kind of listening to that and uh, just kind of taking it in, so don't mind me. But uh, I like Vulture because he starts off as, like, a blue-collar worker who just who did get screwed over. And like over the course of several, you know, eight years, he comes to learn of this technology and uh, he's trying, he's, he's, a, he's a sympathetic villain in the sense because he's got a family to look after and uh, he was able to, you know, care for them. He still loves his family very, very much. He does it for them. But in the end, he's also, you know, he, he's bad enough to the point where, you know, Peter does need to stop him. And the unfortunate reality is he's also a wedge in between he and um, he and the girls. So it it he was also a big call to action for Peter, who was ready to throw away the whole Spider-Man thing until he showed up and was forced to act. And um, so he's he's an interesting villain. He's not just the type that's just going to sit there and you know wring his hands together, twist his mustache, and you know I just love being rich. <laughs> I mean that's part of it, but he was doing it for a cause in the end, and it was one that you could understand as like you know if you ever have kids or you ever think about having kids, you think like you know what wouldn't you do for them. Yeah, I agree completely. Like his, it's almost he is evil for what you could consider a noble purpose, which is to support his family and stuff. And even when you see him like kill someone for the first time, wasn't that in defense of his family because Shocker was threatening to, yeah, you know, reveal everything, and that's why he killed him and took that step to being a murderer and stuff. I mean, and well, he so didn't mean to kill him. Understand. Yeah, he said, oh, shoot. Well, I wanted but to the, fact, the fact that he was comfortable with it implies that, one, he's probably not uh, unfamiliar with killing people, and two, that he's actually okay with that result, meaning that he was probably pretty close to it regardless. And yeah, it also sets up... It. 
Yeah, and and unlike the road to a villain, like even you know in the real world, is a step by step thing where it's one compromise, and then because that compromise has happened, it's easy to make that same thing. But that also makes the next compromise that little bit easier. You know, how do you kill a frog? You don't chuck him in a boiling thing. You you, you heat it up and let him mm-hmm. slowly, you know, cook to death. And that's the same thing. And you see that with this character as well. He doesn't jump to being a mustache twirling villain. You see the step by step progression of his compromises, and the shocker thing is a perfect example where. Even if you didn't mean to kill him outright, he certainly was okay with it. And that certainly makes killing someone later a lot easier as well. And so these are all really good, you know, um, uh, characterization elements, story elements that just work very consistently. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds uh, me of Walter White. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, Fringy, go ahead before I'll do a bunch of things as well. Oh, <laughs> um, so it's, it's a lot of things because I think he's the best one in the MCU, um, at least for the films. Um, Vulture is a is a character whose fate is very linked to events that happen in the MCU because Homecoming and Far From Home are the most well-integrated um, MCU movies, at least in terms of taking advantage of the world that exists. He's a character who was created by the Avengers. He's a character who continues to exist because of the Avengers and what's happening. Um, and that all sort of informs his design in terms of, you know, being a Vulture and then his sort of... Um, under the radar kind of uh those are more of the subtle i guess things that um kind of elevate it but the fundamental thing is that he's a character who has motivations that are very clear and understandable and reinforced by the world to the point that it makes it kind of difficult to root against him um because he you know his his logic is justified in a in a way that is clear and um understandable the fact that he got basically screwed over by the Avengers. Um, and then I, the twist as well. So giving him that personal link to Peter was able to set up um, probably what I would say is the really most important part of the story in terms of Peter's growth, where he has to then make the decision to be a hero, even at the cost of his own life, uh, like at the cost of his own personal life. Um, he's a great counterbalance to Peter because... When he says, you know, like, you and me are very similar, it's like, what's true? They are very similar. They're just normal guys in in the world, a world that's changed and has kind of left him behind, and then he had to change to catch up with it. I, I probably didn't explain it super clearly. I like him a lot, though. No, well, yeah, <laughs> the, this is the thing. It's, you're not writing a video for it, so you don't get to redraft, but, like, the... So, as as Fring said, created by the Avengers, that's pretty amazing to have in the film, like direct results. But this isn't the kind of ratcon we get with Captain Marvel, where it doesn't make any sense at all and clashes with everything we know. We're told from the get-go, he is Vulture, a guy who's going to pick up the scraps after every single event the Avengers create. Which, which throughout the film, I think there's like four or five instances where they casually name... Like, uh, they say something like a sub-Ultron arm is a, is a potential weapon to sell to this guy, and it's like, sub-Ultron arm? It's like, so Sokovia. So he's been stealing shit from Sokovia when Damage Control takes stuff, they drive it all the way into Damage Control's cooperative base with Tony Stark, um, and on the way, he'll pounce on their trucks, he'll use the technology to just steal a small amount, just a small amount, he's like siphoning them every time, just scraps. And every time he does, they repurpose it, they sell it, he moves on. So the idea is like, why haven't we seen him up to this point? It's like, well, that's his whole deal. He's trying to not be found. He makes it very clear in the movie. He's like, don't bring down damage control of the fucking Avengers. Like, Jesus Christ, don't attract them because we'll be over in seconds. And that's part of, again, what 
makes him so much more fascinating to me as a, as a villain compared to the others who are like these so stupid knuckle-headed enemies that like go face first into like Iron Man 2 Whiplash who's like I'm gonna take out Iron Man gets killed and then, and then he comes back in the end of the film with a super suit and he gets killed and you're like oh, okay and uh, uh, while Vulture's like smart about the whole thing he's like I don't want to fight Iron Man we'll lose <laughs> and it's just like huh that's interesting um but yeah, the fact that they make it clear from the get-go he's got a family and that that's part of his motivation. Um, the the fact that if you watch it on a second time through, you'll notice he's um, the sympathy for Spider-Man will come the second that the Washington Monument thing is done. Um, his threat to Peter's life is serious because we know he's killed people and yet he spares him uh, when he's holding him in the final fight with, with the, the jet drop and um, when he spares him in the prison when he doesn't give up his name. And I think it's tied intrinsically to the fact that he's not a bad guy. Um, he's defeated Peter. Peter can't stop him at the end of the film. And so it's like, do I want to kill this kid who protects people and save my daughter? It's like, no. He's not crazy. Yeah. Which, by the way, how many respect. fucking <laughs> villains in the MCU are just insane? Like, <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of them. And that's the thing that really kind of... That's why Vulture's really good. He's not insane at all. He's completely level it's a consistent element as well. Even at the end of the film, he protects Peter by not revealing his identity. So. Exactly. Well, I think uh, I think it's a good example because um because Molly, you often like to cite Ironmonger as an example <laughs> villain who was good up until he just lost his mind. If you guys remember Diabab One, everything's working just fine in terms of his position. That he finds out that Shield are coming to see his suit, and so he just gets inside it, cackles, and starts killing everyone. You're like, what are you? You're like, you're like a business guy. Like, why? What? <laughs> then there's there's the Ant Man villain who, in narrative, goes insane. <laughs> you insult me, Scott. <laughs> Your existence is insulting. And then you draw all the way back to him being like. Uh, this is what I'm willing to do for my family, Pete. Like, I will kill you and everyone you love. And it's oh, that car scene, man. I don't even oh, want to. Oh, that's great. Oh, my God. That oh, was so that good. Made, oh. Oh. <laughs> Just, um, oh. So, yeah, Vulture is an extremely strong part of, of Homecoming, I guess, was the point there. Um, yeah. I, I feel like any other points almost pale now because there's so much good to say about him, but. Yeah, I would actually go so far as to say that he is uh, better than Mysterio in my. I didn't like Mysterio, so I really like Mysterio. But I do agree that we can't. We gotta wait, 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 wait. So I like Mysterio, but not as much as Vulture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to think of, like, so the the way the way the film progresses then because i'm trying to think of other sort of uh bigger broad like i said broad uh, strokes about fact is a good is a good thing to talk about in yeah so um, like a lot of things seem to happen as a result of things that we're already aware of and then there's a domino effect there's not much in terms of like that happened and then this happened and you're like well what how do they connect it's that happened because this happened, and then that happened because this happened, that sort of thing. Well, it's, the, uh, it's, it's the South Park writing rule of um, butts and therefores. This happened, therefore this happened, but this happened, therefore this happens. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, uh, and drawing that Peter's motivation is to, um, not necessarily, because like, this, this is a part that people can get confused on, right? So, if his motivation fundamentally is to do good, then why is it that um, he's almost thrill-seeking slack? Well, not thrill-seeking, that's the wrong word. Um, what would you call it when you're gunning for um, appreciation slash trying to reach a label? 
selfishness? I don't know if that's the right word, because he's still... Um... Um, over, I, I wouldn't say overconfidence. I'm thinking um, overambitious. I think, I think that works. I'm trying to think of what word I would do. I'm just trying to be a little bit more expedient, uh, but... Yeah. yeah, that's what he's doing in the film, is he's trying to be the guy that he sees the Avengers as. And there's a supporting evidence for the film, like, for his, like, obsession with that. Um, not only the news reports, not only, like, the comment he has while he's in the warehouse where he says, like, what if people see me without my suit and they expect someone like Tony Stark? Uh, the fact that he's doing, like, impressions of the Avengers, the, 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 the he keeps identifying ah. himself as an Avenger to Ned, and Ned is like, you're an Avenger? And it's like, we already know that Tony's already said no at the beginning of the film he's not so why is he telling them that and it's like oh well it's the label isn't it it's the prestige um and so he... I will point out this is actually a point of criticism that some people take with the film oh I'm I'm gonna be arguing for a consistent journey not that it's um yeah yeah but the, not anything else the, <laughs> yeah 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 his motivations being that he just wants well just not but you know mostly wants to be an Avenger and stuff um, uh, so this is something we can talk about a bit later because I don't want to derail well, what um, I thought. But this is just to point out: this is something that people have taken issue with, and I see why. So is it because it's uh, not like the comics, because I have a counter. No, 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 no. Like I think that is a bit of a straw man to their position, um, because there is some validity as to why they would be comparing, and that's something we can discuss. No, later. but what what I mean is, um, if they're referencing the comics, I have an example from the comics that counters that. Yeah, but uh, all right. So we'll, we'll, that's something to explore. All right, well, later. Sorry, more. Yeah, like, keep going. Yeah. Go. We will keep definitely going. gather. Um, but yeah, the he uh, it gets so bad, right? That once he's nailed the monument part, that he he argues that capturing Vulture is his ticket to the Avengers, and so once Iron Man like flat out refuses all of it and expresses like immense disappointment, and he says like, "You, you want to do better." Peter sees it as he's lost his chance to be an Avenger and therefore a hero. And then by the end of the film, it's like, no, being an Avenger has nothing to do with being a hero. You're, you are a hero. You're going to choose to go after Vulture because it's the right thing to do, not because you're going to get the label of Avenger. And so that happens, and then the end of the film is basically confirmation where he's like, oh yeah, I've got what I want, but I don't really care anymore. That's not what he wants. And then, you know, I've highlighted before, but people see it as a contradiction in Infinity War that he accepts the whole Avenger mantle. But again, it's not... Uh, it, it's something that's thrust upon him because he's actually putting himself in massive danger to protect the world. He's an Avenger by definition. It doesn't matter if he's earned it via saving enough people or beating enough bad guys. And I think that if people watch that scene closely, you get the the fact that the Russos really do care because they really do. Um, he gets told he's an Avenger. He smiles like almost giddily because he's gotten what he wants. But then he like reassures himself that it's a duty thing and like stays stern and then moves on. The, trying to highlight that he's come, he's come a long way since his. Uh, and this is the thing you might be like, ah, oh, what, 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 why is this something he had to learn? Like, and it's like, ah, well, he's really young, and this is probably the beginning of his duty. Like, but it's we, we we'll get into that because I, I feel like that <laughs> might be what Shad might want to talk about. But um, it's consistent. Is is currently my argument. That's all. Okay. So it's 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 all all the pieces are there. The progression is there, and it completes once he's had his. Um, severe moments of being brought down second act style he's brought to his low point um so any thoughts basically 
No, no, I agree. I agree. In terms of when you're looking at consistency, you see a very, very clear, you know, causal chain of events towards the end. And the and the strongest part about it is that the end result does result in a stronger character. And so you see what he had to overcome to get to. But that does kind of lead into some of the thoughts about the characterization and why people might have an issue with it and things. But Again, I don't want to derail. Was there anything, any of the other broader strokes you wanted to point out that you liked about the film? Uh, I like that the film has another journey simultaneously, being the um, the recognition of what what it's going to mean to have Peter Parker and Spider Man in his life. For like the first third ish of the film, he's sacrificing Peter Parker for Spider Man, almost to the point where he doesn't want Peter anymore. He wants to identify as the hero, so he's like school is suffering miserably. He leaves like five different classes. He's not really talking to his friends. Uh, his social capital's like plummeting. And um, he says, he, there's a line where he says school is boring when uh, someone's asking if he's staying in it. It's, it's like the sandwich shop guy, I think. And he says that um, school's not going to be a thing. It's not going to be important once he becomes an Avenger. Like Peter's getting squeezed out. And then obviously the, the transition in the film is that Spider-Man gets completely removed. And it's full Peter. And he's having fun again. He's like, you know, Bill's the Death Star with Ned. He's he's being reliable with the the friends. He's he's in school. He's learning. He's doing a lot. It's just like, yeah, everything's going great. Then at the end of the film, it's uh the the like almost you could argue a choice between Peter and Spider-Man, but then I would say that the the part that we mentioned earlier, the uh the building falling on him thing, is where he's incorporating them both. It's like Peter is the motivation to be... He's who he is. It's the, it's the guy who says you, you help people when they're in need and you do it responsibly. Spider-Man is the vehicle that allows him to do so. So he needs them both. Or at least that's, that's a message I would have gotten from the film. Irrelevant of what I may or may not know about Spider-Man previously to this. I just mean as like a, a relative hero's journey, if you will. And um, yeah, those two put together is him at the end fighting Vulture. Is, is another thing that I sort of see as a journey in the film, but... Um, what does everyone think? Um, I wanted to comment on um, the Peter Parker that they've got going on now because uh, Tom Holland does a really great job both as portraying Peter Parker himself and Spider-Man to the degree of like, I believe that he's a nerd. You know, it's like the thing, the, the problem we have with the infamous Andrew Garfield is that he's got way too much social capital as Peter Parker. He's like handsome as shit. He skateboards. He does sports. He's got a girlfriend already, and he's got a ton of friends. And he's a popular kid. It's like, right? And you, 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 you want me to believe that he can put together all kinds of crazy gadgets and stuff? And he's a genius. It's like, no, sorry, it's just a little too well-rounded for me. But um, Tom Holland does a far better job of portraying a nerd than previous iterations that we've seen before. I would, I would argue. Um, Toby Maguire did a pretty good job as Peter Parker, but when he became Spider-Man, he kind of like he shifted his personality like pretty dramatically. Like, oh, now he's quipping. Okay, he wasn't doing that before. Not to any like extreme sense. I don't know. I didn't notice many quips in the uh, Raimi Spider-Mans. Um, you're think, out, uh, Gobby, out of your mind. Yeah, they, they weren't. They weren't. They weren't great. Uh, I, they, <laughs> that, that was, that's such a bad one. I mean. Compared to some of the uh, quips Spider-Man has been able to rip out in many right. comics and cartoons I've watched, like the, my my reaction to um, every Spider-Man except the Andrew Garfield, where the like 
I get your criticisms of Andrew Garfield and I agree. The thing that I liked about the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man was that when he was Spider-Man, he was a smart aleck and he would, you know, make jokes and tease and, and he came closest to capturing the Spider-Man biting wit that, you know, that is established as character is supposed to have. And I've found it lacking in the, especially the Raimi ones. And even in the, in the Tom Holland ones, the, the MCU what, ones. You, what, you think it's lacking in the, the scene where they're at he, bank? You know, like, so, so what they do with the MCU one is he's more geeky and nerdy. It's like, whoa, man, you've got a robot arm, and I really saw this old movie once, and all this stuff. And so he's very geeky in that sense of Spider-Man, but is not throwing out the jokes. The, uh, what? He's not throwing out the jokes when buddy, I think this and throws the big door back in. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like. Head. The the you bank scene. He's referencing the bank oh, scene, yeah. which has a lot of um, like he. I yeah, think he yeah, says. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, Hulk, good to meet you in person. I thought you'd be more handsome. Yeah. Um, when he's yeah, referencing exactly. the, the robbers who are wearing the Avengers. Oh, yeah, mask. yeah. So, yeah, that, that yeah. scene, yeah, that was a good Spider-Man scene in terms of his wit. I agree completely. Um, I, what about the fairy? But... Well, sorry. Yeah, is it oh, a fairy? Sorry, uh, yeah, it's a fairy. Because people fairy were saying that it was like, British of me to yeah. refer to it as a fairy, and I was like, I'm pretty sure it is a fairy. It's, it is a fairy. It's a boat, you guys. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, uh, what he's, what he's like... He hits uh, uh, the the new oh, shocker, and then he's like, um, he says something like, "Wow, the other guy was way better with that." I mean, dude, you're just disappointing. Like, honestly, uh, I'm shocked. shocked. He said, "Honestly, oh, right. I'm shocked." Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I give that credit. Maybe I'm just not. Maybe my memory is just, you know, I got Alzheimer's or something. You're not. Um, you're not the only one who feels that way. Uh, I just don't know yeah. if it's something else that's making that feeling come up, or if it's a matter of uh, it, it the quicks aren't good enough. Like it might have been far from home. Like, I, how many quips were in there? Uh, far from home had less quips in the um in the so action that, scenes. That might be painting my perspective a bit. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, That's there fair. were less quips yeah. because he was frustrated with the whole scenario. He's trying yeah. really hard to go on this vacation, and he keeps being forced into. Being also, wait, Spider-Man, we're gonna. So he's not feeling too. Quick. We're gonna go over far from home for sure. I just want to say, so I don't want to spend forever on homecoming now. So I'm very appreciative of, of how I, of what I've been able to say today because I don't want to talk too much it's going to annoy people but um, one thing we've got to do to be fair criticisms of homecoming um, anybody and anyone can can drag as many out as possible at this, oh, so just it's just fine, find some am I the only one Wait, who's going to bring well, it up Shad same rules though same, same rules <laughs> any of the ones uh, in terms of consistency um, oh, why oh, is the boat still afloat well in half that, uh, this, I don't know, uh, yeah, I mean, that might be, a, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it would, uh, if you had the two halves falling, the, the webs holding them together and then pushed back together fully by robots that are actually, for all we know, thrusting right, yeah. both no, forward. With how open it was, it would have sunk like sink. a stone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, fair that's fair enough, that's fair enough. But it... It was taking on water too. Like the the cars down below were getting flooded and everything. It's like, mm. oh, now it's above water now. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, the, the water should not be gone once it seals up. The one thing I will say <laughs> yeah. though is that the criticism for me would then be is like these people should probably be dead. And it's like, well, they're surrounded by fairies. So even if it was going underwater, like they would have been rescued. There's like twenty fairy other ships or whatever. Uh, yeah, the water didn't go as far as to go into the crew quarters or anything like that. I don't but it was know. Flooding yeah. the cars. 
real so life accounts don't, don't tend to generally agree. There was that like ship liner that you know, not it, it only tilted on its side or something. In uh, it was near Italy or Europe or something. Yeah, like, no, I know and, what you're talking and, about. Yeah, and a lot of people still died, even with like um, you know. Admittedly, that was a cruise ship with like four thousand yeah. people on it, whereas this is yeah. the ferry that I imagine. Yeah, and, and as so, thing you just said, uh, like the car part was underwater. Everyone was in like the midsection. There was a couple of people yeah, in the car part. Higher. So we can assume there should have been a few deaths, maybe. Yep. All right. So, so what you're, what you're so saying is Spider-Man's a murderer. Yes, he is. Mm -hmm. Disgusting murderer. Um. <laughs> uh, what else? <laughs> well, see, my criticisms aren't on the consistency side. That's why I. Do oh, I just want to make sure we we go if over really, it at least. Look, if I really think about it, it's been too long since I've seen it. You have the advantage of me, sir, because I would need to watch it again. And I don't know. Maybe if I watch it again, I'd be able to point something out. But. There are a couple complaints about convenience, arrogant. like he's running the security program and he gets the door open on the 270-something try when there could be like potential, I don't know if they say there's like potential thousands or not, but there's a lot of potential outcomes and he got it on thingy. So by probability, he literally gets a better result than he could have, but it's still not a, what I would call a convenient one, you know? Um, and then there's other conveniences like um, that him and Ned put together were able to hack Iron Man's suit. <laughs> a lot of some people think it's a plot hole that they can do that. Um, other people see it as a convenience. I see it as a, a minor convenience because there's plenty of information supporting that they would be able to do that. What information? Just out of interest. So Peter's a teen genius who loves technology, and he's in. I believe robotics lab is one of the lessons he takes. And then he's comboed yeah, up. I don't know. If I was to be devil's advocate here, I'd say I'm not sure that equates to being able to hack something. That just means he's, uh, you know, good at building things. He's got good mechanical skills, not necessarily well, yeah. computer hacking. Well, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing you here, Shad, but you, but you and, didn't and, let and, me finish. And, and, sorry. Sorry, I'm referencing the <laughs> I love you. It's okay. <laughs> so he was, he was tinkering with the suit. Uh, the hacker, if you will, was Ned. The one on the computer. He was the right. one that was doing all of the, okay. that stuff while Peter was just accessing the suit with us. Yeah, he had a couple of tools. We see yeah. Ned do it later as well when Ned uh, backdoors the phone network. For, yeah, um, Ned is yeah, so. Yeah. And the suggestion is that together uh, it's feasible that they'd be able to do that. And then you just have to call upon real life situations where uh, high school students have hacked government like high value programs and stuff. Well, good parry, old chap. Um, but. Okay, so, I mean, again, the, the counter to that is, like, w Tony Stark's tech and, you know, um, uh, digital protections, you would expect to be much better than the average government. Tony Stark hacks the government pretty easily in the first Avengers one. And mm -hmm. so, again, I could see people saying Ned's ability to hack Stark's tech to be a bit of a stretch. Um, I settled for minor convenience. I don't know if Fringy would settle for that. Um... I guess it's a little bit convenient, but it's not a plot hole because we see that he's pretty good at doing that several times in the film, and they're both smart kids. And I, I don't know, there is precedent There is precedent for people being able to, like, okay, yeah, Tony Stark's really good, but somebody would figure out a way to get in. Somebody always finds a way. There was, there was a yeah, guy like in my Discord going Rocket, over. Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe, um, but, uh, but yeah. There was a guy in my Discord trying to explain it from like a hacker's perspective. Apparently, he had like a lot of experience in the area. And he was like, "It's absolutely more than reasonable, even with the the foundation that it's a fictional genius." Um, 
Just because like know, everything, like, that's you, an appeal to authority. No, 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 no. I'm not saying I'm right because I I was sharing this anecdote because I found it interesting. He was he was saying like every all code works on fundamental levels and that they're all crackable. You just need the right you know like accessing here to to say like a bigger, smarter, better person made it. Therefore, it's unhackable or even harder to hack isn't necessarily true. That's what he was talking about. But I wouldn't. I don't know if you guys know anything about hacking because I don't. <laughs> well, then there we go. Friend. He describes things, but, you know, he, then he starts talking really big words, and then I get lost. Mm -hmm. um, well, my opinion, I do think it's actually a larger contrivance, but because it has so... It's such a small thing in the overall plot and stuff, and... Because uh, um, uh, not, not too much is hanging on the fact that he has access to the suit, and there are a lot of other ways that they could have written it to make it. I wouldn't um, uh, necessarily possible. concede that, because... Really? This, activating the suit gives him Karen. Karen identifies... The Chitari core is a bomb, and him knowing that gets him yeah. to the monument in time to save his friends from death. Yeah. Um, yeah could he have found out it was a bomb without Karen, though? Potentially. Probably this not. is the thing you'd have to change the know, writing getting, at that point. It's getting hotter. Oh, well, I mean, it's not. You wouldn't have to change too much to. No, I'm suggesting that um, we're dealing with what we've got, right? So, yeah. but but necessarily he may have found out. Uh, through just hanging out with the and well the thing is we don't even necessarily know that they all would have died if he hadn't turned up there uh, half of them get saved before he gets the the web on them um we don't yeah. like we assume they died i don't know either way uh yeah that's a flaw uh undeniably it's just to what degree is sort of the minutia there um another one people feel is that tony's security was too low on his uh, his transport ship at the end of the film, considering the world he lives in. Oh, that okay. uh, the yeah, ship the in the finale. Yeah, the one that has his like gear on it and stuff. Um, was he even doing anything on a software end of things? I thought he was like just you know physically getting in there and cutting his. Um, I I know that um the tinkerer he there's like a decoy drone that they. So the decoy drone gets sent, and from the perspective of Happy, the decoy drone is the plane going on course. Whereas what when he gets in the ship, he you know reroutes the uh the sh the, the plane to go where he needs it to go. Yeah, um, and there's also like this has been like an ongoing like the the tech he's he's been like having this ongoing idea for this thing for a while now so it's yeah it's, yeah it's so easy the, to tell that he's had this idea for such a long time that he's like he he put a lot of enthusiasm into making it work really really well and yeah so the, the pros invisible. it was invisible wasn't it right so uh, the, i'll just to, to make sure because like th this comes from um a lot of these these arguments are coming from one dude which he knows who he is if he's listening to this yes i appreciate you for bringing these arguments up because my god i was getting tired of my comics so thank you, person. You know who you are. Uh, the the <laughs> argument was, in in favor of the event happening, you've got... Tony's been doing this for a while, so we assume it's just something that's functionally working, having these jets doing this, because it's not the only shipment. It's, they say it's the last one. Uh, secondly, he's carrying gear that is considerably underdated compared to what he's probably using now. They say old Hulkbuster armor a prototype shield and Thor's magic belt, which... Can I just say, I'm really annoyed I didn't get to see Thor's magic belt or the shield. Like, they, <laughs> I know, that, right? That sounded really cool. Like, where, where are they? I mean, um, Thor's belt actually comes up in the comics in certain areas, and so I was hoping that that could be brought in, but, yeah. 
the uh, so another argument is the, the the ship does the ship the jet does have defenses. It's it's invisible. It's got strong armor, and um, it's got a guidance system while being monitored on radar and visually from Happy. So it's like this. It's not undefended, and it's being attacked by someone who can phase through walls. Has a guy who's like tinkering with alien technology for eight years, according to the film, but it's more like five years. Is it in continuity, Fringy? Is it five? Yeah, about yeah. five years. So um. There's a lot of reasoning for why it would occur that way, but their their argument is like, why the hell isn't there a guard on board? Why isn't there uh, more defenses significantly compared to what we're getting, considering how much you should be defensive of this gear? So what do you guys reckon? It's hard to argue the point, because uh, it's taking assumptions based on um, character's perspective on the value of this and stuff. I mean, I know uh, there's a lot of instances where if you think that no one knows that this thing is happening, you could disregard having defenses at all because the defense is the fact that it's a covert, no, who, who on earth could find out about it in the first place kind of thing. Um, and look, I see, I see their point, but I do think it's hard to substantiate it with any level of validity. Mm-hmm. Well, not to mention, it's like, if you're going to put stealth on, then why would you fill it full of guns and turrets and shit to take people out as well, you know? My argument so, like, as well was, be a stealth type jet, you're gonna try- why stop it? Like, so if they said one bodyguard, I'd be like, wouldn't you just be arguing there should be two? And if there were two, it's like, why not four? And if there's four, why not eight? How many is too many? No, no, I'm not sure that's entirely fair. No, I'm not, I'm not I mean, saying that's what they'd be doing. I'm saying that's what we should be asking. If we're going to ask why isn't there X, no, it's because, like... Because one guard is obviously better than none. And, yeah, but two's uh, better than one. Well, the, the thing yeah, is... Yeah, is, yeah, uh, but that doesn't guy... discount the fact that one is better than none. And well, so, the thing yeah. is, is, if you have a guy who can get on board the plane, one guy is probably not good enough. You know, like at that point, you might as well cut your my losses. point. My point is that uh, it's at that point, like, why wouldn't you have an Iron Man set of drones surrounding the ship with invisible gear or whatever to really make sure it's okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cost. I mean, like, no, even the counter argument. Really apply. Two, no, no, no. Two is better than one. That doesn't discount the fact that one is better than none. It wouldn't have hurt anything for them to have a guard. I get that. I don't think it would have hurt them to have a lot of things in addition, but I don't think but that again, the situation I, uh, really again, called for it. That that's separate to the point. It doesn't discount the you know the use the utility of at least having one. Yeah, but all more. Yeah, still doesn't discount like the utility of having one. That's the point. Well, <laughs> I mean, I would say but, one is, is like just saying because you could have had two doesn't mean you shouldn't have one. No, that's not. Yeah, but that's my point. Is that yeah, maybe we should have one, but why would we stop at one? How many should there be? Cost effectiveness. Just but it's Tony that, Stark. Even even enough peace of mind. Give him, give him a right, 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 right. That's a, important. Peace of mind. So, why would we not assume that he has peace of mind where it currently stands? Well, again, that goes back to what I was saying before. You, uh, this is you can't, you wouldn't be able to substantiate this point because you, it's taking too many assumptions based on what the characters felt about the situation. We don't know. All right then. Um, and then, other than that, yeah. I think. I don't know. I, I think that you'd start to get really um, sort of minute details after those, and they're pretty like they could be argued just small in the first place. So, um, but yeah, again, this is only focusing on yeah. No, I was, was going to say I, narrow kind of perspective of I th- consistency. I think, I think we're 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 good on that. So I let I, I officially let you free, Chad. What would you like to talk about in terms of <laughs> other criticisms than the framework uh, I was providing? Oh dear. <laughs> gonna take a lot of effort <laughs> um 
Cause uh, all right, all right. So let me let me let me try. Let me try. Okay. Now, having said this, this is me again, just trying to uh, share why I feel certain other criticisms can be valid. Not necessarily that I agree with them, but I get where they're coming from. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I'll, I'll, I guess I'll start with this one. It might not be the strongest one, um, but it does go back into the uh, concept of. Uh, by the very virtue of this being entitled Spider-Man, it's a Spider-Man film. And, you know, then how do you establish what a Spider-Man film is? Well, I think that's not too difficult because Spider-Man is a very distinct character type, but it does lead us into a more broader argument about how much adaptation can a character receive before it isn't a, like it isn't true to that character anymore and as a result you can say it is bad because i like i'm not sure you can just say separate those two entirely if the purpose of the film is to be an adaptation and it fails at that it does fail at one of the very reasons of this film existing and so i think it's a fair criticism then to say this isn't a good batman movie spider-man movie or whatever and so the question is how much variation is allowed before um, we can then say it's bad? I think one of the first things are if it's a contradiction on what the character's meant to be. I think that's a, a fairly valid one. And I get an example I'll give, right? I'm not sure if you guys like bolognese, spaghetti bolognese, but is there a food that you particularly love? Uh, we could just use this as an example, though, spaghetti bolognese. Pizza. Pizza. See, no, pizza won't work because pizza's too broad. Spaghetti bolognese works because it's a very specific dish. Okay. Can we go with um, how, about, how about this one? How about this one? Because you, uh, I think I know where you're taking it. So let's say mm. sushi, and you make sushi. You make it with um, instead of rice, you use pasta, and you wrap it up in a tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you don't exactly. add fish. You're getting exactly what I'm saying. And yeah, like, so, yeah. sorry. You have spaghetti bolognese. How many changes can you make to it before it's not spaghetti bolognese anymore? It might look exactly like it, but if the taste is different, someone who is expecting uh, spaghetti bolognese could rightly say, I, am, this I imagine is... it would be the absence of spaghetti would be the... Uh, well, well, that could be one of the core things as well. Like, <laughs> um, Because you could even make it out of icing sugar and make it look exactly like normal spaghetti bolognese. But as soon as you taste it, right. it's so different to what you're expecting. It might, ha- might look like it, but because it's different, and again, this comes back into the point of reference that I was talking about. The point of reference that you're judging it by is, is this good spaghetti? Not is it tasty? Sure. Because yeah. you know it could be tasty as anything, but it's not spaghetti bolognese. Ergo, this is crap spaghetti. But it's so. This is what I mean. Like, how much variant do we allow? And now, if we apply it to Spider-Man, there is a core to Spider-Man, like that defines who he is. And it is the great power comes great responsibility. But there are other tangential, fairly important elements to this character type as to what he has been established. Has there been? poor you know adaptations even in the comics that betray that absolutely but that doesn't sorry Um, yeah i don't i really don't want to take you off your rails but i was just one curious question in the case of the bolognese um if you'd presented like the most amazing shepherd's pie and i ate it and i was like this wasn't terrible uh spaghetti bolognese and the the way is like okay and then i go but it was really good food like really good food and he's like oh well you know all right uh translated meaning Homecoming's a really good superhero movie. Maybe not a good Spider-Man movie. 
Is that ah? But see, this is important though because it does uh, depend on what it is supposed to be again, but also the the expectation as well. If you were just after a tasty meal that satisfied you, it was good. But if you were really in the mood for spaghetti bolognese, like like that's what you wanted, and you got something different, even if it was good, even if it was brilliant, it didn't satisfy your desire to that's have good bolognese. Note. I was about to say, wouldn't wouldn't the food still be good, as in like yeah. well made and well constructed and every standard of a shepherd's pie? But, but it's it would bad not, spaghetti. But you didn't enjoy it. It's, it's not, not what, what you wanted. wanted. It's not what you wanted, so it would be subjective. Because what if no. I said well, that is what I wanted? I wanted you to surprise me, so it's good. It's like See, getting a Godzilla know, movie, but there's like no Godzilla. So would you be yeah. willing to? Would you be willing to call it spaghetti though? Well, the thing is, is um, I think, I think. No, right, and so even though, hang on, even even the subjective thing, I'm not sure that's actually subjective. If you are legitimately in the mood for spaghetti bolognese and you don't get it. Like, how is that a subjective thing? What you want, you didn't like No, 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 objectively, it is bad spaghetti. That's the point. Well, well, the thing is, right, like, so bad spaghetti, I guess if we get to specifics, right, so what is... (laughs) I love that we're talking about food reference. Yeah, no. This is is peak um, EFAP right now. The the thing is, is, um, (laughs) the thing is, is when it comes to defining Spider-Man, what if I just came along and said, well, I think spectacular Spider-Man is Spider-Man and that's what it should have been. So it's a bad spectacular Spider-Man adaption. Okay, so the um, the answer to that... Or a bad Amazing Fantasy, you know, 15 adaption or a bad um, Spider-Man 726 adaption. You know what I mean? Like, what what, what are we using? Yeah, the answer to that is that the overall consensus would define what it is and you and an individual wouldn't get to break that definition and so the person who makes you know icing sugar spaghetti wouldn't be able to say this is true spaghetti because everyone who looks is like and understands what spaghetti is like no it's not you you can call it what you want it's not spaghetti um well i mean the difference would be that spaghetti has a very clearly defined like spaghetti is defined what it is yes that's why i chose it and so does yeah, Spider-Man. Spider- not really because uh, no, yeah, no, no, no. Yes, he does. No, yes, he no does. because somebody no, could disagree with you and say, "Well, well no, then, I'm, I'm then we could get in, point of yeah. reference." Then we can argue the specifics here, and uh, I, I hate appeals to authority and stuff, but uh, like. Because, you know, I've read the comic books, love the comic books. Oh, sorry, I love the cartoons as well and everything like that. Looking at all these different, like, you could try and say some are different interpretations, stuff like that. There is a very, very clear defined character type that is far more one, common. One thing. That establishes the, what Spider-Man is throughout all of these mediums. By definition, so, that's, that's subject to change then. Well, yeah. I, yes, this is the thing, because... I do agree that it's good to try and experiment, like trying a different spice and spaghetti and stuff. And so this is the question. How much variation is allowed before it doesn't become spaghetti? And uh, you said something interesting in the last, it might have been the last uh, stream, Mola, where uh, the Batman idea came up. Can Batman not kill and stuff? And you said you felt it would be more important to trade, to stay true to the spirit of Batman. But that's very significant what you said there. I don't think I would have said that. Um, the uh, I wrote it was, down. I, um, I wrote this down. When you said it, I was no, like, no, no. "Okay, you that's sure, Are you sure?" I said that, that, that. I don't believe that. You said. You said. Isn't it more important that Batman's values remain intact? That was your quote. Yeah, but that's relative. So if in in his yeah, co- in, in, in his continuity, his values might involve killing people. I don't yeah, recall Waller so, saying that he had that he couldn't kill people. Yeah. When so I don't use the word well, spirit because so no, no, it's the, too the spirit is, is too undefined to me. Is, yeah, 
no, the Batman thing is interesting because Batman, like, if you look at who Batman is, okay, he's not necessarily defined by that he doesn't kill. He's defined by his war on crime, his, you know, desire to make sure what happened to him in the past doesn't happen to anyone else. And this is where you can challenge the not killing. Yeah, but then um, there are other people who say based, that no, no, defined but by The thing is, you're challenging um, the an established element of Batman's character based on something that is more true to his character. And so you are able to argue that a change in this instance makes him more like what Batman is defined as. And it's in, the whole change is based on making an accurate Batman. This is the argument because if Batman's you know desire is to stop people going through what he did, well, a logical you know chain of events then is that if he killed the Joker, he would have saved a lot more lives if he did that the first time than you know um, saving his life and locking him away and letting him break free and stuff. And so there's an argument that can be had there that a change can make a better Batman. Because it's based on what Batman is. This is my point. And so, and the, and the point is, is that Batman has a very clearly defined character. I I don't agree. I don't agree that Batman. Like I don't. And this is coming from someone who's read a decent number of Batman comics. Because you can just right. always. I'm interested. To... Tell me why. Well, well, I, Dark Knight Returns is probably a great example. A lot of people cite that as the seminal Batman story, the best one. And he's not the same Batman. He does kill people. He's a lot more hardened and jaded and cynical and brutal. Um, and then you have other people come along and say, well, Can I just interject here? Because what you just said there actually works in favor of my argument. Um, I don't think it does. No, no, no. Because what are you defining as Batman is? Like a, an argument can be made that him killing, okay, can serve his the the purpose of batman better than not killing it's not undermining the the defined character well it depends because is. it depends because some people have the view that batman's fundamental conflict is that he won't kill people even if it's the, the thing that he probably ought to do if he were to be expedient you know like yeah, but, the, the question but the, of whether the, or not the, he you should... can yeah you can argue that in an objective way by simply saying why doesn't he kill because as soon as you say, why doesn't he kill, you will come back to that more true <coughs> element of his character. And then you could say, well, just on the logic. Will you though? Because what if, what if you, if, if the fun... Sorry, you, you cut out there, mate. Oh, if, if the fundamental philosophy of Batman is I need to stop bad things from happening to people, it's, the killing like argument the, is the definitely a valid... Yeah. yeah, but then the killing argument becomes way more easy to justify. You kill them and then that's the end. They can't do anything anymore, and yet that's not, and yet that isn't like that. That isn't necessarily the fun. What what the fundamental is of Batman is both variable because um because people have different views on it anyway, but also because when you've got eighty years of material to pull from, it's going to be different. Thirties and forties and fifties Batman is different from eighties Batman, which is different from current Batman, which is different <laughs> right. from all star yeah. Batman. I think even the TV is, you know series, I mean? like the, the TV then, series, is. It's, so I get yeah. what you're saying. Okay, so the point that that I'm trying to uh, reach here is that is there a change that is that's too much to the point where you would say this is in Batman? For instance, if right, Batman okay. becomes an axe murderer instead of a vigilante trying to, uh, you know, um, uh, fight for justice, like he, like he legitimately starts killing innocent babies. That's well, I, I guess, um, I guess, uh, oh yeah, go ahead. 
uh, what if he doesn't kill, but they completely changed why he doesn't kill? Does he stop being Batman then? Maybe. That's uh, that's an interesting, you know, uh, proposition to explore. Like, the, the motivations behind a character are very important to define who this character is. And changing those motivations can undermine that completely, which is actually my issue with Far From Home. Um, because Spider-Man, going back to Spider-Man now, his motivations, who he is, is more defined and more clear than even Batman, in my opinion. He, well, um... he is a very well-established character, and uh, and for good reason. Why? Because it's great. His, his character type is just awesome. There's a reason why so many people love Spider-Man, why I loved him and everything, and it's this isn't, I don't feel, nearly as subjective because... These the, the the makeup, the character types, motivations that constructed this character type are so great. So and it's an asp and I was talking to Maul about this before. The, the character type of Spider Man is a type of aspirational hero example figure where he is uh, more uh... noble than the average person, and uh, and I, that is established in very many iterations, which has more solidified who Spider Man is now. Am I open to some exploration? I honestly am. This is why I was a bit more open to Far From Home than other people, because Far From Home is more vulnerable. He acts more like a kid. He is, uh, people say it's more relatable. I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily think that's an improvement per se. It's an interesting, different experience that I'm glad I experienced seeing a Spider-Man that gave into remorse and fear and he was crying under the thing. But that was different to the established character. And I don't necessarily think it's better. It was interesting. I was open to seeing it. And so this is like an example of a, an, a difference, a variation that, yeah, I'm open to seeing. I'm not sure if it directly contradicts this character type, which is why I'm still willing to say, okay, yeah, maybe I'm willing to call it Spider-Man still. Let's see where they go with it. And then Far From Home happened. And I was like, oh, okay. So, um, uh, so in the early issues of Spider-Man, there was a part where Spider-Man wanted to make money, so he wanted to join the Fantastic Four. Um, <laughs> so he infiltrated the Baxter building, he fought the Fantastic Four to show off how cool he was, and then he was bummed out when they told him that, they, that he wouldn't get paid for it. Is that... That's in the comics. Yeah. Yeah, your point. Like Spider-Man thing to do. <laughs> yeah, you're, you know, this is the thing. You're absolutely right. And I mentioned that there are examples in the comics where the the established character type is, you know, contradicted, and that's bad. Okay, is it's it bad being, though? No, no. I mean, no. It, it was. It was. A, it was a. If it like this would come into the uh, in even inconsistency argument. What if, what if somebody like, came along know, and if said... If the character is established to put other people's needs before his own and he has these motivations, stuff like that, and then he does something that outwardly contradicts it, that, that's bad writing. Well, it's an inconsistency. Here's the thing that's you could say it's a plot hole. Well, yeah, but this is early in the comics, so couldn't somebody say, it is a, it is a contradiction that Spider-Man would put other people before himself because, as was demonstrated earlier, he wants to make money. And he will make money by fighting the Fantastic Four and be showing no. himself off. You know what no, I mean? No. Like and that no, came I... first, so the contradiction comes afterwards about him being. A... You see what I mean? Like no, I could just well, I, I could do this. This is it. like, for instance, if the MCU type of Spider-Man became the only Spider-Man adaptation that was ever made to the point where there is more content of the MCU Spider-Man than the previous established one. 
that would then overweigh the previous one. And this would be what Spider-Man is defined by the fact that there is a larger amount of content defining this character is. And so clearly the, the level, the amount of, uh, you know, um, stories and everything to trying to establish what this character is, has great influence onto how we define who the character is. And so small little, you know, tangents where he contradicts this doesn't, break what the established character is and is this way because it's good now uh, like very related to this right is when people stray from this character type okay i'm open to them doing it like with uh, homecoming but because the established character is so damn good there is a much higher chance in my opinion that they'll actually make an inferior spider-man of an inferior version of spider-man for specific reasons like character likability even consistency and stuff like dimension the thing you brought up for is an inconsistency that contradicts you know the character type and stuff and so um it's not to say that they can't try an experiment but the fact that the what we already have is so good yeah, it does make make me wonder why but right, uh, right. There, there's, there's a chance sorry, you could I'm, improve on it yeah yeah no i sorry i was just i'm just reading the chat because um like the point that I was making was that um, where right? So you you go earlier and Spider Man acts in a certain way, and yeah, he was trying to get money for May, but it's not very responsible to fight a bunch of heroes to prove to prove how cool you are so that you can get money. You know that's that's not particularly noble. Fighting a bunch of heroes to show how cool you are, and yeah, you're getting it for money so that you can help someone out. But it's still not it's still not like a hundred percent altruistic. But but the point that was trying to be made there was um, okay. So you you look at what comes earlier, and Spider Man is defined a certain way, and it's probably a little bit different to what it is now. Why would like the the frame of reference that's used to say, well, this is what Spider-Man is, changes depending on what section of the history of the character you're looking at. No, not the section. No, no, not the section. The the overall consensus, the general well, majority that the character type has been defined as. Well, then I think, well, I think at that point you're going to lose the argument. No, no, I think your Mario argument is, no, I think your argument, like, let me, let me just say, I think your argument is like saying because spaghetti was made differently in one instance and it didn't taste like spaghetti means that you can't define spaghetti to taste a certain way. And I'd say, no, of course not, because spaghetti has a defined type, same with Spider-Man, and even exceptions to when it wasn't true to that doesn't break the standard. So... If if the argument is well, the the more popular view of what he is is what he defined as, then that's an argument that the comics are going to lose because more people watch films than comics. No, because yeah, uh, they do. No, 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 no. Because I wasn't talking about the amount of people watching and and deciding who he is based on how much a group of people like it. I've been defining his character by how he has been portrayed more largely in the specific iterations the character has arisen. Comic books, cartoons, even other movies. So theoretically, if Tom Holland made a thousand films of his version, would he then be faithful because he'd be the majority representation? Probably, yeah. I, I said that before. Like, but if, that wait, 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 but if that's true, if that's, that's true, yeah. why does it matter, dude? Ah, why does it matter? Because I think even having said that there is one different to another, you can try and judge one to be objectively better than no, the I other. Just, 
What I'm referring to is that it's like it's literally based on like a ticked box. It's not even like something that meaningful anymore. This is I'm I'm saying this is why it matters. The previously established Spider-Man, in my opinion, is a far superior character than the especially the Far From Home one specifically. That's a that's a fair argument, but it's a different argument. No, no, it's related because it reinforces why you would want to stay true to this the comic book version because it's so damn good. Wait, but okay, and, I'll, and I can I give, give it like, and we'll get to there, but we'll get there uh, as to the specific arguments why the you know established Spider-Man character you know is better and uh, you know comes off better and would have been better than say other attempted variations from that. And I think that's so. Say for example, we watched the new. Uh... I don't know, whatever film, it's just like an action film, espionage spy thing, I could be like, man, this main character, like, he's just worse than, like, Ethan Hunt, or even James Bond, or, um, just name a, <laughs> name a spy espionage I, thing. I, I get where you're going. Well, I, I would, going, I could but... make the argument, though, and, and, and I think yeah, that yeah, you guys would be able to is, hear it. Yeah, the problem is the fact that this is named Spider-Man. It creates a, an instant point of reference to judge it by. If, if this was a new, a different superhero movie, that there was no, like, things generally are able to uh, um, become seen as good if it's they're standalone and they don't have something where like, especially something that's really good to be compared against for instance you could eat spaghetti and it could be really good and you think it's really good and you could say this is the best spaghetti i've ever had but that opinion is going to change instantly when you taste a you know version of spaghetti that tastes so spaghetti like but is a hundred times better than the one you ate before and so now because you have a better point of reference as to how good spaghetti can be the previous spaghetti you tasted was crap and that goes back into your kind of spy analogy and stuff um and so the fact that this is called spider-man instantly creates a standard an expectation to be judged against people in the chat have made the argument apparently it can Apparently, Hang on, comics yeah. can be inconsistent. Like that, the comics can be inconsistent, and like yeah, that's yeah. literally no, I, the point that I made. No, and no, people no, are I making it like that's not my point. I don't understand what's going on. To rewind, <laughs> I, I, I want to do a sort of overview. So it was about making him accurate to Spider-Man. It's like, who is Spider-Man? No, it's, no, no, no. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Let me do my whole thing. And I know you, you okay, might have okay, problems with it along sorry. the way, but this, this is. Okay. I just want to do the whole thing. Okay, I'll, I'll key you okay. in. So, um, uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man suffers because it's not like the Spider-Man from the comics. And they're like, so, so specifically, there's a few arguments to tackle with that one. It's like, uh, which comics specifically? Because if the comics are inconsistent, that's a problem. How how close does he have to be? And what is the spirit? You know, etc. We've we've gone over a couple of them. We came to who he is understood to be by the majority of of people, similarly to the Bolognese no, no, thing. No, not people. Not people by the majority of uh, um, uh, the stories works. written. Character, the works exactly. okay so the Not majority the of the works so then yes. um once we've identified that it's th that subject to change based on just the amount of tom holland content you said it was the better written is is the preferable yeah yeah so theoretically there could be one extremely well let's just say the spider-man you like what if there was only one issue of that and the rest of them were like this really awfully written sh show and you said to me like well, the well-written one is inconsistent, so I don't care. Like, with, with, with the majority of the works, and I'd be like, Bashad, that's, like, the best one. No, good point. Interesting one. Generally, we like to define what something is by its best version, don't we not? Not its worst. Sure. So, yeah, I, I kind of agree well, with I, that. I guess the thing is, it's like, because for the adaptation argument, what if, you, what if we take something that's bad, you adapt it and make it good? Would you good. then say that it's... it's 
Right, but but this this is the whole thing. It's it's where you need to try and make the separation between good or bad adaptation and good or bad oh, story. No, no, because I feel they're actually very tight. Yeah, interesting. I don't. I well, think, um, let me explain well, why. And I'm just kind okay. of just reiterating what I said before is because because it's called Spider Man, we now have something to judge it against. Okay, if we didn't have anything to judge it against, it could be that one of the best films we we have seen. But by instantly having a point of reference, the other Spider-Mans, we can now compare him. Okay, how yeah. noble is he? How heroic is he? How is he this? How is he that? Is he comparing to the character type that's been established that is already so damn good? And if it's not meeting up, we can say, well, this is inferior. It's not as good. Agreed. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Agreed, though. But what if what if we live in a world where there's only one issue of Spider-Man and it's Tom Holland's version, and there's this other whole set of comics called... Um, arachnid man right it's completely unrelated but we're having this conversation today and i go guys far from home is pretty shit and then you go why and it's like well have you have you read arachnid man it's basically spider-man but it's way better and i i would i might be right i might very well be right and i could argue how they've done the arcs way better the characters have much more stakes or etc etc but um you guys would be like, okay, but can you explain what's wrong with with spider-man and his own story and i'm like well i'm i want to reference him to a better character which is fair, but yeah, see, then you're comparing writing, yeah, not comparing the, adaptation. The, the, the response, yeah, the response you would be able to say in this instance is that, and say, that's fine, but it would, it's still a good Spider-Man movie. You can't say that if Arachnid Man is. Yeah, Spider-Man. no, we're willing to now, concede. Now it's connected. Yeah, we're willing to connected. concede it might may very well be a bad Spider-Man movie, but we're not willing to concede that it's poorly written. I'm also well, not willing to concede that it's bad Spider-Man. No, no, no. See, see, I think. I think you actually might be able to say, um, have a different, you could judge it differently that it is poorly written, again, based on point of reference. Now, Mount Everest is only big when you compare it to yourself. If your point of reference now is Jupiter, it's very small. And so if you're comparing the writing to something that's already existed, that is yeah, the same the massive, the massive uh, of Mount Everest is identical, regardless of whether you compare it to Jupiter or an atom. It's the same no matter what yeah, you compare. Again, to. this goes back into a more philosophical argument as to how do you de- define something as good? And it has to be compared to something else. Moller's more general um, point of uh, reference is consistency. And I agree completely. I just don't think it's the only one. Characterization is another big, important one. And the character of Peter Parker is the point that most people are scrutinizing here. Yeah, and, and the arguments you've been presenting to us ultimately, to me, come across as suggestions for better writing, not suggestions for a better adaptation. That's a coincidence. How do you mean that's a coincidence? Because so in the case of Arachnid Man, be- it's not an adaptation, but it's better written. Just because Arachnid Man is called Spider-Man, that thus means it's a better adaptation. It's like, no, it's about the writing. It was always about the writing being better in that comic. It wasn't about the fact that it was meant to be Spider-Man. Do you, you know what I mean? I'm trying to understand it, because when I look at the Spider-Man, Arachnid-Man comparison, like, if you never saw Arachnid-Man, you could, you, you, sorry, what the hell? Night Monkey. <laughs> Night Monkey. Night Monkey, yeah, okay. Night monkey now. Uh, yep, yeah, alright, right. so, if you never saw Arachnid-Man, and you only saw Spider-Man, which we are, you know, is the comparison to the MCU one, and you thought it was great, that's great, you know, it could be the best movie you've ever seen, but as soon as you see something better than it, you now have a point of reference to compare it against, and it can legitimately you can is like you look at it as like, well, it's it's obviously a worse film than I, uh, you know, assumed because I've I've now seen a higher standard that it could have achieved and it didn't get there. Um, I'm, so I'm trying to highlight like uh, when you say that 
comic man is better than than film man i'm like uh there's many ways you could argue it that's one of them you could say the 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 colors guy is better than the other different colors guy the comic version is better than the film version um the, the these things are all sayable but the important part is the writing which is necessarily considered the the better or worse writing what i'm trying to highlight is this doesn't necessarily have anything to do with adaptation well, see, I think it's intrinsically connected because it creates a standard that has to, that it will always be judged against because it's the same thing. But having what said that, never as well, seen Spider-Man we, before, and it's the only yeah, yeah. I, I've already given examples. Seen. If you never seen, yeah, again, because you don't have the standard. Well, yeah, but but what I mean is like, what I mean is the um, they let's say you get somebody who's never heard of Spider-Man. They watch the film and they explain, this is the writing, these are the characters, this is what works, this is what doesn't, plot holes, pacing, etc. And it's like, this is the conclusion based on assessing this film on, as its own thing. And then you're like, okay, well, here's, here's the Spider-Man comics. It's like, okay, um, that doesn't change the assessment of the film because the film was assessed based on what is in the film as its own thing. I'm going to crack through this because I know I can do it. So... When we said who who Spider Man is, you can you can reference the comics, you can talk about his spirit and that it's inaccurate compared to the film one, and then we get to talk about why that matters or why but, whatever. But I also but you'd said be, wait, 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 I'm gonna be making a different point okay. overall. So okay. uh, you can make that argument and we would we would be discussing the spirit versus the other spirit and an accuracy to the spirit. But you, uh, we moved on to the majority of the works. Which again is another consistent argument if we can judge it, but then the idea that it changes based on the the amount of one other one uh, was changed then into you said that the but that Spider Man is better and it's better because it's better written I would imagine not because it's better uh, as an, a, a previous incarnation. There's nothing. What right. I'm trying to say is remove adaptation from this argument and your argument still stands. Yeah, yeah, like because that's what I'm saying that. Um, uh, the uh, the MCU one, and my my issue is Far From Home, is an inferior Spider-Man that I could make an argument for, irrespective of the comics, for X, Y, and Z. But because the comics exist, I have a point of reference to show yeah. this is how better it could have been. Because this but is I better. would say that, especially you, Fringy Eye, and, and potentially Das Bullshit, I'm not sure how familiar he is with like lots and lots of stories, but we've got references all over the place for like loads of different types of vill villain for example like why is vulture so much better than um uh, oh, ironmonger yeah. oh, like oh we'll talk about his motivation his connection to the character his place in the world how it's much more meaningful than just bleh like i want to take over the world i'm a crazy person whatever so if we had never seen anything before and we saw ironmonger on his own we might say like well they, the film said he was crazy so it's pretty consistent i guess <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's not partic it's particularly thin. And w I wouldn't need to say, ah, but it's a poor adaptation of Vulture or something like this. It's like you're not making an adaptation argument, you're making a writing argument. Well, I mean, I think, I think it's funny, right? Because um, Vulture in, in Homecoming isn't really an accurate adaptation of Vulture from the comics. Yeah. Like a lot of people don't no, think Vulture's very good. Um, he's kind of like a C tier villain. He's kind of like on the level of Shocker, you know? And I, yeah, appre yeah. I appreciate and can, the argument that, say that the comic guy is better written, by the way. I think that you may be right. It's just not something that... I, uh, to say something's better than another thing doesn't make the thing bad. Oh, I don't know. That, see, that again comes right into how do you determine value. Like, um, 10 out of 10 is a lot, okay? If 10 is the highest number. But suddenly, if it's 10 out of 100, it's really low. The number hasn't changed, but because True. you're comparing against something higher... But you agree with the concept, though, don't you? 
Something well, being better than another thing doesn't make the thing bad. In isolation. Uh, we'll see. It, that's really hard to, it can, to it establish can. categorically because it's only dependent on your standard, what you're comparing it against. And so that's tough. I'm not sure. But like, what I'm suggesting is it both can and can't. Like, it just, it depends on the context every time. Perhaps, like, perhaps both, you know. Um, well, you know what I mean? Like, you know, see, seven is yeah, better than like, six, but six is still above five. So it's like above mid. Yeah, yeah, I know, exactly. And the the issue is, like, I guess it's if, okay, this might this might make more sense. It's if a higher standard exists or not will determine if you're right or not, I would say, Mauler. Um, because, like, 10 out of 10 is is high because there's nothing like you can only be higher if something else exists that's greater than it. If nothing else exists that's greater than it, absolutely, um, then it can't change. But mm. if something exists that is greater than it, well, then uh, you can't help but inform your determination if it's good or not based on the we usually always compare things against the the highest the most successful like you know it's the uh, world record that we're comparing everyone else's times against and as soon as that world record is raised that then instantly changes the status of every single record that's gone before like the first world the world record that was before that was the best the best unbeatable but as soon as someone pushed higher than it it's not and our objective ability to judge the value of the previous record has been permanently changed. Uh, yeah, so like, say, I don't know, you you had a sport where you had to drop a bunch of balls into a hole, and the guy who had the record for 100 was that, and then for a million years no one could beat it, objectively he's the best, and then some guy does yes. 102, and it's like, whoa, he's not objectively, well, fuck it, some guy does 1,000. Like, not yep. only is he not objectively the best, he's not even close to objectively good at this point, at least yeah, within the standard exactly. of the results. Exactly, and I feel you can't escape that reality even when looking so at So that's what me and Fringy, and potentially a lot of other people, and maybe they w other people wouldn't, uh, would be you've created a standard that is subject to change, thus subjective. The plot holes one no, is not no, subject to change. The, the current state is the objective standard, just because it you can, can change. You can be objective you, you to a standard. It is currently. Because kind of what you're trying to say here, I feel, is so even far from home. Homecoming, is, you can argue, is better. Is you're saying this is good because we are not regarding the higher, you know, record that's been already established. And it might be because you haven't read the other comic books, you haven't had an experience with it. I don't know. Like, and I don't think that's entirely fair to say. But it is like saying the uh, the record of the 1950s 100 meter run is still the best because it was best in that time even though we've surpassed it now it's like you're trying to disregard the higher standard it's being compared against and i'm not sure that's fair but i wouldn't uh not maintain what you just said i would call it the best it okay. would be the best by definition um if 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 uh, homecoming was the only film that existed would you be like would you concede it's the best film in existence i'd be like it's also the worst film in existence it's like okay now there's two I'd be like, yeah, we can we can keep the standard going, but objectively, you know, good. I'm usually referring to just storytelling being consistent or inconsistent because of all these other ones, which we've feasibly uh, fairly brought up, like um, an assertive character versus a passive one. All these different sort of modifiers. I agree with you that typically one one factor may be more admirable than another or more likable for an audience, but um, none of these things will objectively be superior to another because of the fact that there'll be exceptions depending on writing and context, which isn't a problem. I don't know. See, see th that point right there, I'm not sure I agree with. 
Um, because the exceptions are usually the exceptions that by well, definition well, means I, I they are not I, the majority that which then establishes I, the general consensus to be objective over i think um i think a good counter would be so we have gravity we have our theories and understandings of gravity and how it works and it works in a way that is 100 predictable basically mm -hmm. like um at least in in the normal sense if i dropped an apple and it went up like <laughs> <laughs> if it went up, it's like, cool, now this theory no longer works. It yeah. needs to be completely redone. It's no longer a standard that works. When one exception disproves the rule, the rule has to be completely re-examined. So why unless, would it be- any... unless, unless you're able to find out that 60% of the time, no, you say, let's say 80% of the time, when you let go of the apple, it will fall down, and 20% of the time, it will fall up. You well, it means that your theory is deficient. It means your no, 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 theory no, no, is no. deficient. It, it goes it back to the, no, no, it goes back to the percentage thing. It means that you're able to still judge an objective standard based on no, the No, no, it doesn't. Once, once, you, once it becomes entirely unpredictable, like once it becomes unpredictable and unexplainable, it doesn't work anymore. The theory is no longer objective. It's now you have to figure out a new theory. No, because, no, it's not you, because you can work on the percentages. Of course you still can. No, no, you can't because it's no longer an objective standard if it doesn't uh, work like, for instance, all the time. Quanta, no, quantum mechanics, we know that. Yeah, we don't have right. Full picture. But, yeah, we, but that's the thing. No, we know what we don't have the full picture. We're working off the percentage scale that we know uh, this th it's this percentage likelihood that a particle will appear here. And so we're working off an imperfect thing, but it still works we're able yeah to and you could so still much. be objective yeah, to but, it but what, what i'm what i'm saying yeah, is so I'm, more like the science is working towards a 100 percent sort of standard for those things they're not like well you know 80 20 that's pretty good we'll leave it there you know what i mean to, like, wait to clarify then right just to make sure because i feel like make sure all of us are on the same page and all of chat and i think we all understand the same thing we're using different words so two streets <laughs> one is lit up one is not uh, sixty percent of the time, going down the dark one will kill you. Ninety percent of the time, it won't. On the light one, objectively, take the light one. It's the better road. Yes. Objectively, yes. you'd be like, yeah, but you can die ten percent of the time. It's like yes, meaning that objectively, it'll be more likely that you'll survive on that road, but it will not actually be objectively the better one in every case. That is what you're saying, right, Shad? Yeah. Yeah. So we're saying that when you are trying to analyze something and you've identified that ah there is a light road in this and there is a dark road in this the light one is better why the light one is typically better that's not why it's better though you've just identified why it's typically better but hang on that's fringy's that point would make it better yeah but that would make it better though no it would make it typically no, better you have to analyze it yeah okay but then that, that sorry then you would have to go into the specifics yeah like uh, to determine exactly which we which we can going. we could yeah. do we, we could go over the tom do, holland spider-man versus the comic spider-man and i think yeah, that's fair yeah, exactly yeah but um It'd would you not agree at that point though if you identified an arc with loads of like setups payoffs all talking about all the journeys and different things comparing it to holland would you not eventually agree that we're not even talking about adaptation at that point? You're talking about quality of writing with character versus character? Well, see, I don't know. I'm not sure you can just disregard like. I'm not disregarding. I'm asking you an honest question. Would that not be what we would be doing in that scenario? Okay, well, so hang on, repeat it again. I want to understand. So if, if you chose this character from this comic book saying, this is the one they're adapting from, and it's a poor adaptation, let me explain why, and you explain to me why it's really well written in the comic versus poorly written, 
in the film, then you've, ad you've identified a well-written character versus a poorly written one rather than a poor adaption. But aren't they, the, aren't they the same thing? Well, I guess that's our point, I mean, is that you could have by, a poorly adapted thing that's actually better written. Yeah. Oh, okay, let me try and process that. So you, on uh, your, you, like, so on a different scale. And, you know, I could agree with that, but the, then the point of contention would be, is the MCU one? Yeah, no, and, and that's a conversation to be had, yeah, I agree. Because, yeah, because I feel absolutely you can improve upon source material, and, and generally when you improve upon it, most people will happily define that as the new standard. Like, if, if this MCU Spider-Man was actually better than the comics, I think most people will say, this is what Spider-Man is. This is the thing we're going to judge everything against from now on. And so, so then the quantity argument becomes irrelevant then. Well, no, I think it's a bit of a balance, having said that. Like, it would have to be pretty darn, like, good to be able to uh, de define... But what, it, so what in, in if so that scenario instances. took place, if we argued, let's just say, for 10 years, it took really long to identify every single factor, and you eventually said, and I'm not saying this is possible even, I'm just saying a theoretical, you said, huh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man is the best version of Spider-Man, but it's still badly written because it's a poor adaptation. Would you, would you still maintain that? No, um, if, but... If Tom Holland was able to be established to be a better version based on, you know, many defined objective things, yeah, but that's kind of what I'm judging it already on, that I feel judging it on objective standards already, it's inferior. And my, and one of the points that I'm comparing it against is the previous Spider-Man. Hmm. Or, you know, the established Spider-Man. Yeah. If he was better, I'll be happy with that. I, I want, like, the, and but, yeah, I, I want all the things I like to be better, to be improved upon if they can, it's very difficult when it's already very good and generally attempts to improve on something that is brilliant usually results in an inferior adaptation or inferior, you know, version. All right. Spider-Man is unique in how good it is. Like, like as a character, there's a reason why it's popular. I like it. I'm not, he's not, I mean, when I say unique, that's going too far. There are other things that are equally as good, but yeah. Um... Would you like to, so we can move into Far From Home. Oh, no, wait. Actually, so is everybody, <laughs> as weird as this sounds, <laughs> would everyone like to watch a small video? It's only 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I would <laughs> love to, my friend. <laughs> yeah, don't feel bad if you haven't, like, if, for people who want uh, Das Bullshit to talk more, like, I, don't, I haven't talked a lot either. It's just because the reason we're all here is a very specific reason and if if the reason is being fulfilled it's not on me to interrupt it just because i haven't spoken enough you know yeah like i don't want to force myself to talk too much because like to be perfectly and totally honest with you, it's like we had gone to that conversation once went to one and then looped straight back around to where we left and so it's all like well you know i've already kind of given what i wanted to say in like these short bursts but i don't really have a whole lot of attachment to the adaptations even though i did grow it's... up with spider-man cartoon in the it's a big ongoing argument. We will not solve it in this stream, but I think we've. I think we've we made good progress. We got. Deep, I think oh. we have. I really do. I do yeah. agree. Yeah, I do agree with Chad that there does have to be a certain aspect of something in order for it to be a proper thing, like Spider-Man and Batman. If it's Spider-Man, he has to have the costume, and he has to have the webs, and he has to climb on the walls and stuff like that. But then, like you know, just how far do you? bring it you know it's like does he does batman have to kill or not kill does is his 
does his reasons for doing what he does have to be the same all the time? Because I feel if we go too far, then the adaptations will be too close together and well, we won't have any interesting stories. And yeah, and I would concede that you're right, but I would always identify it as a poor adaptation. It may still well be, it may still well be written. It may still well be well written. English is hard. Yeah, and I absolutely agree. And on that point, I say that Homecoming is very good in that respect. Like, but, you know, but, having, so... a, having a 15-year-old Peter and everything. Just to get a quick answer from you, Maula, so hopefully we won't go too far on this, mm -hmm. but if the purpose, the intent of uh, um, the writing is to be a good adaptation and it's not, wouldn't you say then that that's a failure in an element that, of the writing? That would highlight how important intent is and then the concept of death of the author, I suppose. Yeah, I guess what would happen if John Watts said, no, I wasn't trying to be accurate. It's like, well, it's good now, I guess. Hmm. Well, again, then, then the obvious answer then is why the hell even call it Spider-Man? Yeah, but, but, then, but what, that, that's moving the goalpost at that point because it was, well, what's the intent? And the yeah, I'd have to ask, said whatever the answer to, to that question is, does it change the result, getting an answer to that question? See, I I'm not sure, like, because by the very virtue of it being called Spider-Man or Star Wars or whatever, irrespective of the intent of the writer, he's not going to be able to escape the fact that it needs to be a Star Wars movie or a Spider-Man movie and stuff. And it actually speaks more to the fact that if they intentionally diverge from what these properties are, it's far more likely it's going to be bad uh, or received, even received as bad and stuff like that as a result. And that reflects on the writing. Like, I, like I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess we're just repeating ourselves now. I'm still not sure that you can separate the oh, well, I mean, value dude, of something if, from the quality of writing. I if think you convinced that's an us, element of its quality. If you convinced us, or we convinced you, it's going to redefine how one of us, one of these sort of sides, looks at media as a whole. So it's not something that's going to come in a couple of sentences in an I argument. <laughs> and I hope, I hope chat understands that. By the way, this is a very like. I love this conversation, but everyone's like, oh, you just... It's like, calm down, calm down, it's okay. I think they've well, kind of I had enough, they're really looking forward to the video. They're really <laughs> looking forward to They really want us to cover the video, so... The, the, one, the reason why we had to do this before the video is because... He's gonna make certain statements, me, sh me and Fringy are gonna go one way, Shad might go the other. And so it's good we've got our foundation done so we understand why we go the other ways. Also, someone said, the intent is important, you can't critique a book for not being a movie. A book is a book, a movie is a movie. You can't critique a book as a movie because that would be critiquing a horse as a car. It's impossible. <laughs> you can't do that. If someone was to do that, they'd be wrong, they'd be incorrect, they'd be invalid. It's not a standard that applies, there is nothing... I mean, I guess, if they, they'd be right, to a degree? But it would be something that not many people would, well, would, would even uh, want to listen out for. I think another one that I saw... Well, well, just just, now, to, just to yeah. go on that, that's exactly what I was saying with the comparison between Pride and Prejudice and um, Return of the Jedi, okay, is that these are two very different things that are held to two very different standards. And so, you know, how can you compare them against? Well, I mean, if someone, what was the, like, what was the comparison if a book to a movie or if a horse, you can't complain if a horse was not a cart or something like that. If you're trying to sell the horse as a cart and people get a horse instead, they have, you know, absolute validity to complain about it. I, I like that one. Uh, if they were to make an adaptation of Mauler that advocated for subjectivity, would it not be a bad adaptation of Mauler, regardless of how good the writing is? I agree. It would be a poor adaptation <laughs> of me, but it could be very be well written. It could be a good but, but, story. See, yeah. but see, my point, my point right there is that that intrinsically affects the uh, the ability, like 
your uh, judgment of the quality of the writing is inherently connected with what it was supposed to fulfill. And if it's not fulfilling, I concede that it affects. Oh and, has, oh, and he has ten minute videos too. I concede that it affects intrinsically the a vast majority of the audience's ability to enjoy it, but it doesn't affect the quality of the writing. Well, See, quality being the, the of, operative that's word. That's one of the elements you're judging the writing on, is how effectively it's adapted. When we say objectively, we're trying to remove that element entirely, how much people Honestly, are enjoying I'm not, it. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure you can. By the very virtue, it's called Spider-Man or Mauler or whatever, you, that standard is connected and you can't break, through, break past it. You have to Wait, change but, the name completely. But you agree, like, say, for example, Finn saying um, it's impossible for them to track us through hyperspace, and then the next scene saying, yes, I mop the engine oh, of the hyperspace. Sorry, I just... Sorry, I just saw a chat from my editor. Uh, Oz is in chat. He's not me, guys. He has my symbol, and it might tell him <laughs> university. Don't believe him. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, Oz. Sorry. So uh, Finn saying um, it's impossible for them to track us through hyperspace, and then in the next scene saying yes, I can take us to the hyperspace trackers, um, whatever thing to disable it. We highlight this is a plot hole because he lacks information he's supposed to have in the previous scene for a dramatic reveal when he, he's had the information the whole time. This also brings up another issue of him not having warned everybody previously since he's aware of it. We don't need any feelings, we don't need anyone's reactions to identify that as being a flaw. You'd agree with that, right? Yeah, I agree completely, and I don't think you need anyone's feelings either to uh, say that if this is called Spider-Man, it's going to be judged against every other Spider-Man that's gone before, and it's... And it's quality to be a Spider-Man thing because what Spider-Man is is fairly established objectively. Um, uh, and if it fails at certain beats, even in small areas and stuff like that, that it, you can absolutely judge the writing quality as a result because it's called Spider-Man. You can't escape that. As soon as it's called Spider-Man, you have linked it to comparison, um, which is going to be a way in which you judge the quality of writing um, separate to you know, uh, consistency. Um, we probably need to highlight the argument of continuity then as well. Like, uh, a good you, you bringing yeah, yeah. in adaptation arguments, we would consider them irrelevant because it's a separate continuity. But it's still yeah, called Spider-Man. It's still called Which... Spider-Man because he's got the suit and the, the power. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. And again, it goes back to the whole how many changes can you make to spaghetti for it not to become spaghetti? And you know. And I'm an I'm a spaghetti stuff. extremist and, uh, where I can say <laughs> you can call it whatever you want. It will not change the quality of the food in terms of craftsmanship, depending on. Well, yeah, you know, sorry. like if it's in a bin and it's all fallen over, it's, then it's, it's not a, really fair. Yeah, but it's a very interesting argument, and uh, we are repeating ourselves now. Yeah, so whether it is something or whether or not it's good, two different things, and we've uh, yeah. we've gotten. I think uh, yeah, I think we have. Somebody's both not very in. Effectively... Somebody's not in the watch together. Who is it? Yeah. Who's the naughty man? Oh, that would be me. I'm sorry. Yeah. Hang on. You're a bad person. Yeah. I, I think you guys have argued your points very effectively, and uh, I guess now it'll just be well, up to. They're gonna. Uh, I warn you. I sat there and I didn't do shit. Go me. <laughs> <laughs> so. The video we're watching is called Homecoming is a Bad Spider-Man Movie by a man named Itop Films. Um, now, the concept, as we've been discussing it, the concept alone of it being, uh, that could be interpreted as it's inaccurate to the comic book Spider-Man, which is not necessarily something that we will be arguing against. It's the evidence that one brings in. Like if I told you, Game of Thrones is a bad adaptation of Lord of the Rings because uh, this character is inconsistent with knowledge they had in this other scene. You might be like, what does that have to do with Lord of the Rings? You've just highlighted bad writing that can actually be confirmed or denied. Like, it could be like, no, they knew that because of this, or they didn't know that because of this. So, he's going to bring in references, and we're going to decide whether or not they're actually valid references for the supporting his argument. 
is essentially the all idea. Right. That's what we do with all videos, pretty much. Yeah, let, let's get into it, eh? All right, exciting Did times. You... <laughs> yeah, so what <laughs> are we finally doing? watching a movie. Two hours, we did it! <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's fun? Is the chat are blissfully unaware that me, Friggy, and Shad have had- This is probably our fourth conversation on this I topic. Know. Yeah, we're talking about this a lot. But what they <laughs> may least... not understand is that we've got fuel for days for talking about this, I because know. it's our fundamental interest. And, uh, I, I was trying to hold back certain, certain, you know, wild cards, and you guys parried well and stuff, like the whole, um, their the Pride and Prejudice and, um, La, uh, Return of the Jedi analogy and the spaghetti analogy. I was holding those back for the, for the live stream. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I parried that. Uh, I parried that movie analogy with Lunarizunu. It's fucking. It's a. It's a great weapon, man. <laughs> Is everybody ready? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Here we go. I'm getting an ad. Oh, you are Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. Oh no, no. Uh, okay, it looked okay, like good. an ad, but it's not. Uh, no. Yeah, it's, it's I saw the same thing. Spider-Man movie. Now, before you start smashing uh, your keyboard, calling me a hack, chill out, grab a joint or a beer, or a freaking Benadryl, I hate these let me explain. by the way. Like, <laughs> I hate when they're like, oh, before you do this, it's like, shut up, man. You yeah, you know. Oh, you let me decide when I do this. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, you, I preface so much in so many of my videos. You're just trying to get ahead of certain arguments, you know, yeah, no, that are coming yeah, your yeah, way. Exactly. No, I, I get it. I think Spider-Man Homecoming is a good movie, yeah. it's fun, funny, heartfelt, and contains one of the strongest villains in the entire MCU. Hey. The acting is pretty solid from pretty much every lead, especially Tom Holland. Holland perfectly embodies a youthful teenager. The writing is entertaining throughout, and the pacing is pretty perfect. The movie never drags and never moves too fast. Man, this this sounds like it'll be right up your alley, uh, Shad. All Seems right. to be, he's, he's on board well, with it, it is, but... Is, is, uh, yeah, it's well, uh, going good so far. I walked out of the theater thoroughly entertained and excited for what's to come. But then when I got home, something was off. One might even say my spidey senses were tingling. So I did as any man does when he is confused. I turned on my favorite flick, Spider-Man 2. Now you're probably saying to yourself, you my dear fellow Araimi fanboy. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, this may be confirmed or denied as we go forward, but uh, there is such a thing, and it would probably mean that they're unable to view past or future Spider-Mans beyond Raimi, um, which isn't necessarily... Well, it, it could be that the Raimi film for him has established a higher world record that he's comparing it against that others might not be considering. So we Perhaps. See. We shall see. Bitch, you are biased. Indeed I am. So take this video as an opinion, not a fact. And yes... It depends if uh, you say factual things, my friend. We'll see, bud. We'll yeah. see, Jojo. If I say it's my opinion that two plus two does not equal four, <laughs> it's like, I don't know that, okay. We get, yeah, you can absolutely still challenge the opinion if it's wrong. Video well, it's just, can't... you know, you can say things that are just provably false, whether no, you say you... it's your opinion or not, you know what I mean? Yeah, the defense of it is saying, don't take it personally if you disagree, well, because where that's the, absolutely true. Where the defense works is if Shad says something like, what did you think of Far From Home? And I go, I really liked it. And then he goes, you're wrong. I'd be like, I'm not wrong. What? I, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, you can't. Exactly. Like it. Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't even make sense at that point. I wouldn't. I wouldn't need the defense. Um, Spider-Man: Homecoming featured the Penguin, and it was bad. It's like, oh, but that's my opinion. <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa, okay. I'm open to so it. So take this video penguin? as an opinion, yeah. not a fact. And yes, video essays can be opinions. How many flippant argument essays have you written in school? Essays can be biased, and yes, I am biased. 
I believe Spider-Man 2 is a cinematic masterclass in character story directing tone and everything in between. Back to the point. I watched Spider-Man 2, then read Spider-Man Blue and the old Ditko books and came to the solid conclusion that... Spider-Man Homecoming is not a great Spider-Man flick, let alone a good one. Not a good Spider-Man flick, let alone a good one? Implying that it's not a good Wait. flick in general? No, no, not a good Spider-Man flick. It's still comparing it against the Well, uh, so the sentence no, was, it's not a good Spider-Man flick, either. let alone a good one. Wait. Yeah, great. and he, he, he just, he he just started badly. the video okay, saying okay, it was okay. a crazy Wait, wait, wait. Let me hear it again. Right, I might right, be wrong. So I might be wrong. Yeah. may have heard that wrong. And the old Ditko books and came to the solid conclusion that... Spider-Man Homecoming is not a great Spider-Man flick, let alone a good one. Oh, so he's yeah, saying it's not even a good Spider-Man flick. Okay, okay. No, he said it's not great, not even good. Okay, so he's still comparing against the standard of okay. what Spider-Man is. Yeah. All right. Okay. But he's the he's only Spider-Man who embodies the youth of a teenager. Yeah, I know. He's actually a high schooler, not a 30-year-old. Yep, gotcha. He quips like Peter Parker. Toby never quipped. Well, you're wrong on that one. That's a cute outfit. Did your husband give it to you? But high top, that was it's the like opinion. only one. It's like the only one. <laughs> uh, don't you? Don't forget the Gobby one. You did say oh, Gobby. Yes, there's, there's probably there's, there's got to be more than that, right? I feel like there's probably uh, there's more, there's more than that. There's plenty more than. I I want plenty. I want to get a list now, guys in chat. No, I mean, give us a list of the quips in Raimi. Is there oh, any? Well, is there any in the final fight when just just as he arrived? Does he say anything to Green Goblin? I can't remember. I don't think so. In the final fight, no, he he pretty much beat the shit out of him at that point. I mean, he, he like was, when he arrives he at the, the bridge, does he say anything like "You're an asshole, Gobby"? <laughs> there's like no in Spider-Man Two. There's like I the one I remember is um when Doc Ock comes to the bank and is fighting and he throws a bag of money at him and he catches and throws it back and says, "Here's your change." Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, said that I don't. That, that one's lame. All right, there's not. There's just that was lame. It didn't. Didn't. It wasn't funny. I like, don't think it's I, that I, bad. I, I refuse to acknowledge that because of how poor a pun it was. Right. Maybe it was the delivery. Like yeah, maybe that's just your opinion, to watch one and two again. I would honestly <laughs> though, with with high top tens to he argues the whole um we'll go into this in a little bit later, there's a tweet. But he argues the whole like no perspective is right or wrong. Everyone takes what they did. So you can so the person saying he doesn't quip and he said, Well, you're not right on that one, I'd be like, Well, that's their opinion, isn't it? That he didn't quip. You know what I mean? Like it's it, obviously he doesn't apply to that standard because no one should. It's 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 silly to be like nothing is provable because there are things that are provable. Absolutely. Be never quipped. Well, you're wrong on that one. That's a cute outfit. Did your husband give it to you? <laughs> Anyways, Spider-Man: Homecoming is not a good Spider-Man movie for three big reasons. Consequence. Oh. oh. <laughs> calm calm yourself. Calm yourself, Ring. Do we wanna do we wanna discuss this before we have Sorry, his input? Hang on, hang on. I saw two. Consequences, the suit and what? The MCU. And the MCU. The MC what? Well we'll we'll let him we'll let him argue it, but okay. no, I, I'm assuming you guys have heard this one that there's no See it's funny. Sorry, go yeah. Uh, well, you go ahead. My thing's going to be like an intro to something. I was going to say, I'm, I'm mostly on board with him, but his reasons I might disagree with here yeah. he, when he goes into the specifics. Um, yeah, so this is... And I, though, going so far, because like I said, I, 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 Far From Home is nowhere near as bad as... No, what the hell am I saying? <laughs> it's nearly as bad as Far From Home. Okay. Far From Home is the one that I have the issue with. So... Coming is far more defensible. A lot of people... So, Shad, would you make this argument? 
uh, Spider-Man Homecoming lacks consequence for any of Peter's actions in both the short term and long term. No, I wouldn't make that no. argument. Um, okay, I'll have to stand I wonder, in... Well, well, I wonder if his argument is going to be the type of consequences based on the type of decisions Peter is making is different and therefore not true to the true Spider-Man. That might be more defensible, but we'll see. Okay, well, you know, yeah, okay, we'll uh, we'll let him, because that's two different conversations, so I can't, we can't account for them all, yeah. we'll just let him decide the conversation. Yep. Yep. In this movie, Peter makes a plethora of mistakes. He indirectly destroys the sandwich shop in Queens and no one dies, not even the cat. He seemingly doesn't feel- Yes, but the robbers get away. Yeah, and he oh. didn't mean to do that. But you would say it's convenient that no one died? Uh, there was one guy there. The idea that the laser hits his shop oh, in one on. line. Can we go back to how big the explosion was and the lasers yeah, yeah. shooting and stuff? In this like, movie, Peter makes a plethora of mistakes. He indirectly destroys this. So that's... That's... Uh, okay, so if well, no one is in there, maybe. Yeah, it, it's it's at, it's at night. it didn't look like or... anyone's in there. The, uh, the assumption would be that... Because it is his grocery store, whatever the guy he saves, but the assumption would be that he's not in the main area he would be well, in some kind of back no, room you wouldn't expect him to be in there if he was in the main room he'd be dead because <laughs> that's yeah, probably yeah, quite significant yeah. and a lot of those places if they live in their shop they live upstairs typically yeah, yeah. Um, well he is downstairs remember because in the scene he's on the like oh what's your emergency oh spider-man's fighting the avengers that's yeah, true so that's true yeah oh Oh, um, he's, he should be dead then. Well, if, he, I mean, if he's, if he's in there, if he's lucky. in that building, when that happens, he should be dead. Well, you can say it's, like, convenient that he's lucky, but I, I wouldn't say it's really a problem. Well, yeah, so... People have um, survived explosions before. You can, you can absolutely say... This could be a valid point of criticism if the guy. No, no, no. I was going to say you can happen. say it's convenient the guy didn't die, but it's still not without consequence because the robbers leave. They get away. Because of Peter's mistake, so he's, he has to face consequences still. Gee, it's been too far since I watched this film. Because what, like, does Peter run out to try and see what happened in the explosion, and let their robbers go because of that? Like, ah, uh, he goes over to the shop to to see if the cloak's okay, and then he pulls him out. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. So, um, just to stay stay focused. Yeah, the uh, is there no consequence for Peter having destroyed this building? It's like, well, he has to go and make sure the person's okay because that's entirely tied to his character, and by doing that, the robbers escape. Which completely delays his ability to figure out what's weapon until much later, you know, up until the party when he gets to like, the floor. I'm not trying to be um, some kind of apologist here. I'm literally just like, that is a consequence, yeah. right? Like, what are we talking about here? It is consequence. Right. See, see, my uh, my point, if I was to be annoyed with this, which might have validity, I, don't, I generally am annoyed by heroes that are only doing solving problems that they themselves are creating that's a it's generally a bad you know hero because they're basically a bumbling idiot causing as much harm as they are doing good and so i generally yeah that rubs me the wrong way and and then it's kind of a balance how many mistakes they're making how much good are they doing things like that uh, and so this is a problem that peter caused is it well i guess technically yeah, it's him that. and the robber put together the, 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 robbers, is, um, the robbers had the gun in the first place and the, he is i mean this is probably the least consequential thing that happened yeah, when this is the opening to, of the movie. Not to the deli owner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yes, for him, yes. But I mean, in terms of the plot, this is... If some random superhero to tried to stop the fight on the BP across the road and blew up my house as a result, I'm fascinated. and the robbers got away, loads I of people, thinking... Loads of people in chat are arguing that the robbers getting away isn't a consequence. Like, it's not... It doesn't count. How does it not count? Are you guys, like, unaware of... 
So the idea is that Peter wants to stop the bad guys. He lets the bad guys escape. That's, um... Like, that's not well, good. Well, the argument, the argument could be made that more harm is caused by his attempt to interfere than sure. if he just let yeah, the others it, do. It, Which would yeah, be another... That yeah, that's what the film is about. He keeps screwing up, and then there's um, collateral I would concede, I would concede that the consequences could have been higher. Yeah. But I still think it's invalid to it's say there are no consequence. consequences from this yeah. moment. Are we all well, agree, at least agreed on that. What... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just gotta make yeah. sure. Well, see, I'm trying to determine, like, so this scene can be considered good because it serves a larger narrative of him trying to be a better hero. Um, it's not a scene you could cut, I don't think. I think it's an important scene because it, it establishes he learns. You can define consequences um, yeah. literally any reaction to any action. So he's trying to prevent robbers from stealing money, and he prevent he fails to capture them. That's pretty consequential. Would you guys not agree? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it, yeah it is. But I, I think I agree, that, I agree that. Argue that the, because the guy doesn't die, that the consequence isn't high enough. Yeah, which is bullshit. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, if I was to criticize this scene, I would try and approach it from the angle of, is it necessary and what is it doing to establish... Peter's character it is either being metric, I, oh, I don't know, but but to be effective, to be competent, to be incompetent. So I'd need to judge it according to all those different things. But as to saying there's no consequences, no, that like I wouldn't approach the criticism from this angle if that makes sense. It isn't mm -hmm. a grave consequence. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Let's continue. Yeah. Okay. Consequence. Yeah, sorry. He makes a lot worse ones. In this I movie, remember. Peter makes a plethora of mistakes. He indirectly destroys the sandwich shop in Queens and no one dies, not even the cat. He seemingly doesn't feel guilty that he destroyed this man's livelihood. Everything's fine. He ditches Ned at Liz's party and then Ned Um, I suppose uh, there's a validity to that, I can agree with. We yeah. don't we don't get any scene for him to reconcile that it, that has happened Didn't to that. Didn't they man. show on uh no, they went to the day, remember? They went to what, sorry? Um, he's walking, he's talking to Ned, he walks past the shop and he sees the shop is destroyed and there's a little moment there where he's like, he's, he's sort of recognizing that. They kind of have a joke at the end of that scene too, but yeah, there is a scene where you see the shop the day after it got destroyed. I don't disagree I don't know, yeah. though that the idea that there's no, maybe we oh, could have, yeah, yeah. we yeah, could have used it sure. maybe a scene where Peter gets to talk to the guy. Um, yeah, I think so. So I agree with that. Um... He destroyed this man's livelihood. Everything's fine. He ditches Ned at Liz's party and then Ned forgives him the next day. Everything's fine. Yeah, so well, don't... Because Ned knows what's up. <clears throat> yeah. So, the, I've heard this a lot, that, and, and I always ask the question of like, so what should Ned have done? Like, just not be friends with him? I'm confused. Ned has a problem that he did it, but Ned understands immediately. It's like, oh, you did it because you were nearly killed and you are trying to help people? Okay, I get it. Yeah, and the consequence yeah, is the loss of social capital, too. Yeah. Peter, as a result, right. is now less trusted and less relied upon and many more people. And before someone says they're not significant consequences, this movie is scaled down entirely. It's not about life and death. I mean, there's still a death in it, but that should highlight how different this movie is. The fact yeah. there's only one. It's a, it's a friendly neighborhood sense. Mm -hmm. So the consequences uh, are in... Well, Go ahead. Yeah, the counter to it as well is that the fact that um, Ned was able to, you know, get over that so quickly is a character-building moment for Ned, the character himself, to make him more likable, more appealing, to establish a right. friendship yeah. and stuff. And so there is a logical counter to that. So. 
Well, I mean, not to mention Ned. You I mean you've seen Ned geek out over the whole fact that he knows who Spider Man is and everything like that. So he's he a good friend. Understands why he has to do it. He, and, and he is a good friend. He's stuck by Peter the most out of all of his friends in the world. Why would he suddenly ditch over like something that he even understands is going on? So it was, it, it was highlighted to me that um, isn't it significant that the the robbers are still out there with those weapons? Like that's still a consequence. I mean, I'm pretty sure we conceded, conceded that. I was just it is it's pretty bad. They're horrible weapons. The fact that they blew up the deli is like, oh, shit. <laughs> you might want to get rid of them, I don't know. Um, but yeah, the consequence here isn't... Uh, it, this is my problem with the framing. So it's like, he's uh, he's left Ned behind, and Ned's just okay with it. No consequence. It's like, oh yeah, that's not the consequence of those scenes, actually. It's not in relation to Ned. It's in relation to Peter standing socially. Um, and if, if the film played out that Ned no longer oh, spoke and, to him... and the consequences that um, later on in the movie, that's how Vulture figures out that he's Spider-Man. Oh, he yeah. That's actually yeah. worth saying. So, so anyone... it's actually a really significant consequence to that one. That's Vulture, how he figures it out. The, the, the time he, brings, he tries to bring Spider-Man out as a party trick and then fails to turn up is a huge element for why Vulture finds out that Peter is Spider-Man. Yeah. Which well, is a well, heavy one consequence. One uh, I, I kind of have uh, the I, ha I have homecoming in in the background over here. One thing to note is that Spider-Man uh, doesn't even really fire that laser or anything like that, or does anything that particularly makes it an accident. The goons just cranks the knob and fires at him, and so it wasn't really right. it wasn't entirely Spider-Man's fault. I guess the argument happened. would be that Spider-Man being there had that right. scenario run that way, so he's technically right. responsible and for whatever the robbers do. Uh, outside of things they would have done if he wasn't there. Yeah, but he framed it in a way that said Peter fucked the thing up. Yeah, no, it's like, not uh, as directly okay. Peter's fault. I would agree with that. Right. Hey guys, sorry, I just need to go to the toilet. I'll be back in a sec. No problemo. Yeah, a lot of people are saying that the robbers don't turn back up in the film, therefore they can't count as a consequence. I find that interesting. Um, there's a living, um, breathing they're part world. Of the group. Yeah. like they uh, are just doing the job of like a larger body so it's not like you know he has a reason to go after these particular ones because they're just like you know the limbs of a large <laughs> dude i'm tired of this stupid objective versus subjective bullshit i'm sick of not letting people not finish their points and i'm tired of the hypocrisy and high egos damn <laughs> 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 Are you sick of these motherfucking snakes as well? Do we want to continue or wait for Shad? So oh, I was going to wait for Shad so he gets to hear the whole oh, thing. Yeah. No worries. But yeah, um, I mean, if you don't like the whole objective versus subject, I don't know why you'd be subscribed to me. That's like my whole thing. And, uh, oh, as wait, no, wait, wait. Sorry, I just noticed you're not in the same still frame as me, but it's on the still frame where Ned and Peter are doing their handshake. It's like, they're good friends. Why would... Why, yeah, why yeah, would yeah. I, I would argue like, that's very important, isn't it? It's, it's a highlight of how long-term the connection is and how thorough. Mm-hmm. Massive egos with a uh, massive in uh, <laughs> <upper> <laughs> Our egos throughout, are like, a lot of, of, of a massive. Debate, throughout a lot of that debate, a lot of people were arguing about pineapple on pizza. I found that kind of. 
Well, I mean, oh, and, I'd say um, pineapple on pizza is insane, but... Yeah. I think we said all this back in, like, EFAP, like, I want to say before EFAP 10, but, uh, yeah, we do pause people before they finish points, and if their point changes, once we've listened to the whole thing, we absolutely concede we were wrong. Yeah, like, oops, okay. yeah, but you, 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 you were making a joke, I get it now. Yeah, well, it's because it's Spider-Man, it's, it's Godzilla as well would be the other one. Yeah, it's like, um, it's the yeah. format, so uh, people often say, like, you should watch the whole video beforehand so that you can know exactly when to pause and stuff like that, and I'm always like, oh yeah, but you lose the initial reaction thing, and um, ultimately you don't remember a video intrinsically when you do that anyways, it doesn't necessarily solve the problem. As long as we account for any sentence uh, that fixes a previous one or whatever, then that's well, the goal. We'll lose a lot of EFAP yes. too if we, if we just let it play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we would have missed yeah. the rhino milking. I mean, all, all kinds of things we would have missed. If we had <laughs> yeah, some of the best reaction moments wouldn't exist because we'd all have them uh, prepared. This stream, is very, uh, this stream is very appropriately called Every Frame a Pause. True. Yeah. <laughs> you usually don't defend bad writing, but now you are. Um, any inconsistencies or contrivances that have been brought up, we've argued over, uh, through and then conceded. I don't think we've been that bad on that subject. What do you think, Shad? Have we been um, overly defensive? Well, well if um, the quality of writing is intrinsically connected to its <laughs> adaptive value, then uh, there is a criticism to be made on the writing then, isn't there? Well, just, just saying. from the perspective of the consistency stuff, how have we, how have we fared, you reckon? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, for, for Homecoming specifically, I think uh, oh, yeah, well, pretty well. Once this video is done, we can jump to Far From Home and we'll be at past three hours by then. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a chuggy EFAP. Yeah. is Ned at Liz's party and then Ned forgives him the next day. Everything's fine. He shirks all his responsibilities and then gets detention, ditches detention, and then gets away scot-free. He gets uh, several more detentions. Uh, and he gets close to expelled in the film, that's the dialogue. Yeah, and the only reason he doesn't get expelled is because he stops being Spider-Man to focus in on school again. Yeah, and so this is, by my account, a poor framing of what the film actually has in it to support his argument. Yeah. What do you reckon, Chad? I think it's a weird punishment to expel someone for skipping class because that's kind of giving them what they wanted. Hmm. <laughs> oh, sorry, we talked about something else. <laughs> no, yeah, um, I, th I, th I agree with you. I think that's fair. He skips out <laughs> in detention. You don't expel him. You're like, okay, what the fuck's going on? Um. So, uh, we do we see the impact of the further detentions and stuff upon him? We don't see that. It's just nodded to. It, nodding to can be enough because uh, you know how important is it to the plot for us to see those detentions? Well, I thought uh, the there were a lot is... of well, there are a lot of instances where you see that he's kind of not paying attention and not doing like earlier in the movie he's watching a video on YouTube he's not really paying attention when he's at decathlon he's not really paying attention and then he skips decathlon and then like in even in his science class he's working on his web shooters rather than what he's meant to be doing. I thought it was reinforced throughout the whole movie. Yeah, no, well, I mean, I'm a, Shad, are you saying, like, we need to see, like, a grade report that's really bad sort of thing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This one I'm a little on the fence about, so... All right. I won't be a point in one I way think or the other. this has been, like, wrong, right, wrong, sort of, right now, for High Top. He shirks all his responses. Wait, wrong, right, wrong, wrong, so we'll see how the next... Right, wrong, wrong, I thought it was. 
It might. I'm not keeping score. I can't. <laughs> gets the tension, ditches the tension, and then gets away scot free. Everything's fine. He endangers the lives of the decathlon team after leaving them at the competition. They win and all survive. Everything's whoa, whoa. fine. So okay, so some... wait. He by leaving them at the thing, he he didn't even realize that it was a danger until like well after he, like, yeah, like when it went to the competition there wasn't he wasn't sending him into danger like on purpose he only found out that there was danger long after they had attended interestingly though it is a problem caused by the hero that he now needs to solve and so if you're looking at this from a broader overarching thing as to how effective a hero is he and is constantly needing to save people from stuff ups his making that doesn't come across as a competent, you know, hero as a result, which can be civil war criticism. wouldn't have happened if there wasn't that happening to enable it. I mean, Age of Ultron is no, a no, bad no. Movie, Age of Ultron is the, Age of Ultron is the better example. Civil War, not so much. Well, what I mean is, Age I, of Ultron is bad, but like Civil War kind of makes it work, at least in the consequences well, of the heroes made the mistake. You I, know what I mean? Like, I appreciate this argument. Do you want to shelve it for a little bit later? The idea of like a um, an incompetent hero and how to sort of portray it, it to stick to high tops. Ah, yeah, I'm thinking of it. To stick to High Top's goal here, we're just identifying <laughs> consequence and sort of discussing it. So, the idea that um, the friends are endangered, nearly killed, but they're all rescued, everything's fine. My issue there is he's drawn the event, he started describing the events way too late. It was like, Peter's looking into Vulture, he's focusing hardcore on Spider-Man at this point, at the expense of Peter Parker, he doesn't even go to the decathlon. He's playing with this Chitari core, he doesn't exactly know how it works, and by having Ned hold on to it, um, the consequence of him pursuing all this shit with Spider-Man is about to kill every one of his friends, and so he has to act. So m my take on the consequence there is already there. Like, he's like, good god, that's a pretty big consequence. His friends are all about to die. Yeah, what yeah. is he trying to say? He's saying that they didn't die, so it's no consequence. He saved them, so there Which was no consequence. Which is a post-hoc argument, and I don't like it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. maybe he's trying to argue that the problems Peter is causing are all turning out fine. And that if he's causing this many issues, he's saying logically something should impact far more negatively on his life as a result of this many stuff-ups. They did, but, though, because when he, he lost the suit because he made another, he made a big mistake. Well, he we haven't gotten the to the suit yet. Well, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Could be, that could be one he brings up. But in the examples he's giving be. at the moment, he could be trying to say that um, everything is like everything is turning out fine when that could be considered um, unrealistic. Um, uh, you know, where it could take away any concern that something horrible could really happen to the protagonist okay, um, because everything is just working out for him even when right. it's stuffing up majorly. Okay, well, in, in Spider-Man 2, Doc Ock fights Spider-Man on the train and then he destroys the train and then it starts moving right towards the end. Spider-Man saves them, everything's fine. You see what I mean? It's like, it's kind of a stupid argument because there I is consequences know. in the scene in the train so to fight. Me, yeah, to me, that sounds like a whataboutism, and it doesn't invalidate the criticism. That well, what what I mean is, you, you would explain how in Spider-Man 2, it's like, well, there clearly are consequences to that scene. Like, the scene itself is a consequence. 
yeah, you know what but, I mean? Like the scene itself is the consequence of things that happened before. No, no, yeah, but that's not exactly what I'm uh, pointing out. If there's a, a valid point, is making it's that with all these problems that is happening and Peter Parker is causing, perhaps is arguing that they are too easily resolved without any um, permanent uh, negative. Per or permanent impact on his life and story, which then might undermine any investment we have in the problems later on if it's just showing that Peter Parker always comes out on top. How is he coming out on top? Like, in uh, what sense? Right at the end, you mean, or well, with the examples he's giving at the moment, are there permanent impacts to his life or character from these things that are happening. He loses Liz. And no, that's no, permanent. no. The examples is given so far. We are not oh. Liz yet. Well, I mean, we're not through the movie yet, though. Yeah, yeah, but he's giving examples that, that like, because if he tries to criticize, you know, the fact that Vulture's the father and he loses Liz and everything's fine, well, then we can say he's wrong in that instance. But no, we're looking at the examples he's giving thus far. And I think he's trying to say that um, uh, there's no permanent impact on his life or character as a result of these issues. Well, I mean, I'd say that there are important growth experiences, for one. How like so? in terms of things that he learns. Well, these all reinforce what he learns by the end of the film about, you know, the way that he needs to conduct himself. So it does have a consequence, at least in that sense, beyond the ones that have you know, already been illustrated before, like that the actual consequence in the scene or the consequence later in the film, him showing up at DC is what gave away that he was, um, cause remember in, in the last scene with Liz, where she's like, you disappear like you always do, like you did in DC. And then Vulture literally says, well, it's a shame what happened there. I bet you were really glad when Spider-Man showed up. And then he says, well, no, I, I saw it from the ground. It's like, well, so the consequence of this scene is that Vulture finds out he's Spider-Man and then tries to kill him. Which would be yeah. a permanent consequence, right? Which is a okay. consequence. Very, very valid parry, sir. This, this film is all about cause and effect. That's why I find it odd when someone says that okay, everything so, has a consequence. Okay, so you're, yeah, you believe yeah the direct consequence of that scene is Vulture finding out. And that well, that's more the indirect yeah. consequence. That's like the consequence that you don't see coming. It's something that comes later when the twist comes, and you're like, oh shit! And it all builds up. It keeps building up the things that he does, and yeah. it ends up screwing him over at the end. All right, good point for this specific one. Yeah, very good point. And not to mention, um, he's using Spider-Man Two as a reference, just to say, okay, well, this is the reason that. You know, this is a bad Spider-Man adaptation, and he's using Spider-Man 2 as the example of what he's going off of. So when you come, come to the train sequence, it seems like there's far less consequences, except for, you know, getting bonked in the face and taken out at the end. But it seems like the consequences of that are, I think, in the grand scheme of things, far less than in Homecoming, wouldn't you say? Well, the, the thing is, it's like, I use that as an example because I disagree with the idea that you cut out, mate. Is a, oh, well, I was using the train scene as an example because the train scene's really good. Um, and, like, it is a consequence in and of itself, the scene happening. But then, of course, if you if you really try to stretch it, you could say, well, nobody died. His identity was revealed, but nobody's going to tell anybody. So everything's fine. You know what I mean? It's like, it's 
it's almost as if he's like ignoring that the scene itself is the consequence of things that happened before. And just because no one dies doesn't mean that it wasn't important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so the concept of reducing the, the, the consequences as a whole. For example, the fight in the airport scene in Civil War isn't really have any consequences because nobody died would be a much more expected consequence considering it's every single hero fighting each other. That's a whole other argument that me and Fringy despise, but we'll get to that some other <laughs> century. Um, <laughs> when you're dealing with a, a high schooler who's trying to balance his social life with his superhero life, um, everything is crushed down and... Uh, so the idea that it's like it's not a consequence unless someone dies, and I'm not saying that's what everyone here is saying, I'm not saying that's what anyone here is saying, but the idea alone, frustrating, because it almost limits Nobody's me. making the death makes consequences. Um, didn't he literally say when the exploded, the shop owner didn't die, didn't, his caddy didn't even die. Pay attention! <laughs> Um, high top dose not subscribers, your logical Falusi. Stop judging him by it. Noted. Okay. <laughs> he endangers the lives of the decathlon team after leaving them at the competition. They win and all survive. Everything's fine. He ditches Liz at homecoming and everything is fine. What? The film no, is sometimes no, 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 that was the last straw. Yeah, Alright. Why did he? Yeah, why did he have the gap? Was he doing some kind of joke, or is he actually serious? Like he was. What I, what I think he was trying to do is like he was. He went into big detail on a whole lot of the other things that had happened, and then there was just that one moment. Like I ditched her. Everything's fine, you know. So he, See, he was, I was actually making, making to a, make joke. a joke. He leaves Lizard homecoming. Gap, gap. Okay, that one does have a permanent impact, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I that's, honestly, what I that's what I was expecting. I was like, I wasn't yeah, expecting everything. That was fine, the thing. But... Yeah, that was the thing. That was the last straw for her. He lost the the woman that he was trying to pursue throughout the film because of that moment there. That was it for her. Mm-hmm. Oh, hang on. Let's try and break that down because Mola, you got a better memory of this film. Um, uh, is that why she ditched him, or is it because his would she have stuck with Peter if her dad didn't go to jail? Uh, so she says that one line where she says, he says, I'm so sorry, Liz. And she says, you say that a lot. What are you sorry for this time? Or something like that, implying that she doesn't take him seriously whatsoever anymore. This is, is it the second or third time he's ditched her? Um, there's no, what I'm trying to say is there's no line where she says, I will not date you, Peter Parker. But there's definitely an implication of, you know, she's got absolutely no interest in, in him because he keeps just failing over and over again. But it's kind of dwarfed yeah. by the fact that her dad is I'm not sure I got that. Like, I got the impression that she probably would have stuck with him if she wasn't moving away. I don't. I don't get that. I don't either because he ditched her so many times throughout yeah. the movie. Like, she'd actually be kind of insane. So, yeah. Like, she's totally justified in her response at that point. You know, but like she didn't. Yeah, but I didn't see her say, like, you know, you left me alone, I was so embarrassed in front oh, well, of everyone. Well, um, interestingly, I... Shad, would you not agree that um, either way it's a consequence of Peter's actions because he's the reason Vulture's in jail and thus moving his family out? That's true, yep. But um, I'm that. curious what that gap was for, and I'm, I'm, let's just see where he goes with this because he's doing these in sections, obviously. Is Liz at homecoming and everything is fine. The film was sometimes aware of its lack of consequences. That's why scenes oh, like this are played for comedy. I was hoping maybe I could. Yeah. So as it stands, he's wrong, and there's there's this tismic Rhea in chat that's saying we're taking him out of context consistently. Um, what are you guys' take on his point in that moment? If he if he reaffirms the point later on and justifies it as something completely different, that wouldn't change what the point just there was, would it? 
Oh, well, I'm doing my best to try and keep him in context. Trying to understand exactly what is <laughs> yeah. that. As it stands. Am I, the, am I the only one who's offered any defense to some of the things it's saying? Even if you guys convinced me against, you know, my initial assertion. Well, it, it, I'm there's... doing my best here. <laughs> I think he would have an argument if he was phrasing this with a much more fine-tooth, like, sort of, the consequences are not to the degree that he thinks should be considering the actions. Something like that? That might be a fair way to put it. But the idea that there's no consequences? Like, well, that's just patently false. He's aware of its lack agree, of consequences, yeah. that's why scenes like this are played up for comedy. I was hoping maybe I could rejoin the team. No, no way. You can't just quit on us, stroll up, and be welcomed back by everyone. Hey, welcome back, Peter! <laughs> yeah, so the idea there is that Flash is constantly put down trying to achieve and get attention while Peter is too intelligent to be dropped. And if you're going to say to me, well, you'd still have to agree that that's a lack of consequence where there could have been one, I'd be like, absolutely. There's a lot of places where you can place consequences in this film that aren't. There's also a lot of places where there are consequences where you didn't have to have them. Vulture could have yeah, found out his identity hard. in different ways. Yeah, and sometimes you get you have multiple options as a writer to choose which path to go down to service what you want in the plot. A good example is with his friend. What's his name again? Um, Ned. Ned. Ned being okay with Peter ditching him. Now, I actually felt that was a character-building moment for Ned, with him being okay with it, which actually serviced the plot in that regard. And so, uh, yeah, there are absolutely different options you can choose. It's not an absolute net negative thing that, you know, the character didn't react the way that we thought he should have reacted, when it was valid that Ned reacted that way. And so the way we were seeing um, Flash react is absolutely valid, and it's in line with his character and establishes who he, type of, who he is. And it's also establishing certain elements about peter parker's character and also the, the teacher the teacher's obviously a bit incompetent but he values peter you know yeah because well, he's intelligent uh, someone um, in chat said if he's too intelligent to drop them why did they win so if you've got a stacked team and you can make it even more stacked you probably choose to make it even more stacked yeah you'd cut out all the stops to win except for you know cheating mm -hmm. like a you know i just figure that if you've got a choice because he, he replaces flash and flash is shown in this film to not be very intelligent so yeah, I think his point in this scene exactly is a more subjective one where he feels there should have been more um, consequences for his actions and it came off as unsatisfying. But yeah, my, my take is that there are m multiple ways you can choose to go in a scene that are, many can be realistic and you usually go with the one that you feel best serves the plot of the story that you're trying to make and things. Because like... If he wasn't, if he wasn't allowed to go on the decathlon, how would that have derailed the story? Um, you wouldn't have a alibi for going to Washington to search for Vulture. Yeah. And if he didn't search for Vulture, he might not have been able to stop him. So, for the service of the story, he needed to go to, you know, Washington. And, and that's so, the thing. I don't think anyone can say that it should have been X or Y. It's like both of these scenarios would have worked if the teacher said, "No, Peter, you've you know disappointed us several times." We're going to leave it behind. And I think it's perfectly in line with this teacher, by the way. He's very, um... How, how would you describe him, Fringy? He's a moron. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, he... He's not very assertive, I'd say. He's mm. kind of like... He's, he's, um... Yeah, a little bit weak. Especially when, in Far From Home, you find out that... Lied about getting snapped so that she could... <laughs> Yeah. Another guy. <laughs> it, it, it's almost like he would make a very unsatisfying protagonist. Oh, probably. Yeah, probably. 
objectively so possibly oh, well, depending on if his films depends. arc depends yeah welcome back by everyone hey welcome back peter flash you're back to first alternate what but being self-aware does not excuse the flawed hand if i take a shit on a spider-man toy you know what we call that we call that a web slinging ass kicking and flush it down the toilet. Ah, very funny, you douchebag. But the truth is, I still clogged the fucking toilet. I don't think that would clog the toilet. No, no. Unless you that it does clog the toilet. I'm trying to understand his analogy here. I think, I think what he's, I think what he's, um, I think what he's saying is, um, okay, so I, I clog the toilet, and then I'm like, whoops. It's like, yeah, okay, funny, but the toilet still clogs. Okay, yeah, that's the point he's trying to make. Yeah. Like, making a joke out of something dumb doesn't change the fact that it was dumb. No, well, it's kind of the same argument, okay. I think. Um, you know, like, how yeah, in movies, they'll be like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, this is formulaic and cliche. It's like, yeah, yeah, funny, but it's still formulaic and cliche, and even though you've, yeah, made the joke. My issue is that I don't agree that it's a flaw at the base. It's just like a, it could have gone yeah. either way sort of thing. But the truth is, I well, still clogged yeah. the fucking toilet. You see what I'm getting at? You could argue that Liz leaving Midtown is a consequence, but the movie makes it abundantly clear that Peter really only yeah, likes her it's, because it's almost she's like pretty... it's a high school crush. So this is this is him <laughs> arguing positive qualities to like somebody. So this is him arguing the point. Yeah, then yeah. I don't know why he didn't put this earlier, but yeah, let's listen to this in full. Otherwise, people are gonna get very upset. Spider Man's a sensitive topic. We've we've um, listened to points in half across all of EFAP, but we can't do it with Spider Man. Guys, make I, me so angry. <laughs> And I know that we probably can't do it with Godzilla as well. We'll be careful if we ever cover a Godzilla video. Gotta to listen to him full. You see what I'm getting at? You could argue that Liz leaving Midtown is a consequence, but the movie makes it abundantly clear that Peter really only likes her because she's pretty and smart. He doesn't even know her. He knows pretty much nothing about her. She's just his first crush. Which That sounds pretty significant for a high schooler. Yeah. I mean, I don't think high schoolers think way too hard about, you know, what they're feeling they just feel it and they just gotta jump in well, i don't know he says he doesn't know anything about her it's like yeah that's why he wants to get he's to know her to, yeah. exactly he's trying to like, get like with her to get to know her better no just the fact that she's pretty smart and obviously kind and a nice person that's definitely enough like to yeah. what be interested in someone like what yeah. I, don't, I don't get yeah she'll show up like what's he supposed to do stalk the shit out of her and then get with her? They needed to know each other for longer before she was taken away, I think is his point. I don't agree that that require, yeah. is required to represent a consequence. Yeah. Nothing about her. She's just his first crush, which works great in keeping the light high schooler tone. But Liz and her relationship to Peter carries almost no emotional weight. Compare the humor- Yeah, I disagree. The idea of it having no yeah. emotional weight for a teenager who has a crush on a girl who has now left school. But oh. he is uh, comparing it to something that he feels had far more emotional weight, and therefore the homecoming version is worse, in theory. But that would be a change of argument. I thought that this section was on no consequences, not no consequences, or no significant consequences by comparison to a different no, story. No. It sounds like he is changing an argument. It sounds like he's adding oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, why this is bad, and the, and it's that there was no emotional weight in their relationship. I might concede the second he... argument, but not the first. Okay. That's all I was saying. 
Compare the humorous lack of consequences in Homecoming to the humorous abundance of consequences in Spider-Man 2. Everything Peter does in Spidey 2 in the Raimi trilogy and the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon in the 90s Spider-Man show from your childhood and that really dope MTV show and in the comics has consequences. Not Question everything, but I think he's saying, he's referring that there's far more and he feels that the consequences are not as large as they should have been in Homecoming. Which... I mean, this is a small stake story though. Um... Isn't he, like, like so the idea of, like, a consequence that's permanent. The end of Spider-Man, Raimi Spider-Man 1, he chooses not to be with Mary Jane. The second one, he ends up with her, and the third one, is it ambiguous? I can't remember. Isn't it, like... Yeah, the third one, if I remember, it's been a while. It was kind of, uh, they were on good terms, but not going out, and I expected that was to set up his other relationships with, like, you know... Gwen Stacy or Betty Brant or, or Black Cat even, any number of... He has a lot of girls he goes through, old Parker, and so you got to put <laughs> Mary Jane on the back burner to get to him. It's just that the thing is, he just keeps framing it in a way that says that Homecoming has zero, absolutely zero consequences, when that's just not true. Mm -hmm. he's, he's going to the other, other films saying, like, there are consequences, but it's like, well, just because somebody just doesn't die all the time doesn't mean the consequences there's are a certainly an implication when he said everything's fine like he said that like four times it's like no yeah, no exactly. <laughs> no they're not they're well, let's, let's give him a bone and and say what if he's saying that they aren't as large as they should have been and as a result had less emotional impact on your uh i guess reaction to the story i could potentially well, concede I mean that what it should have, though. Like that's yeah, that's a problem. Well, I mean, this is the thing. If a story does have more emotional impact, you generally regard it as a superior. Well, but... I mean, I guess um, I guess think about um, so in the Dark Knight, you have you have two scenes that I think are probably a good you know example. So you have the scene where the Joker has the two boats um, rigged with explosives, and the idea is that you know he wants to convince one group to blow up the other group. And it's like, that's pretty high stakes. There are a thousand, you know, there are hundreds of people on these boats, a lot of civilians. I mean, and then you got the prisons on the other one. And then you have the scene with Harvey Dent that's incredibly tense. And it's only really involving three or four people. And yet the stakes are really high because of the personal attachment. Bigger doesn't necessarily mean higher stakes. You can have things that have less people involved, you know, like, like less of a consequence on, on a, a smaller number of people, but still, yeah, I think, the, I think he would you know, agree the stakes with... are high. Yeah, well, I think yeah, he would, he would but that, that's what I mean. Um, it's like because because his reference was like the the relationship he had with was it Liz? Oh, um, right, but but yeah, it's yeah. Also, it's also the other stuff like nobody on the athlete yeah. died in the yeah, yeah. Um, in the elevator or anything. To, like to, that, ha yeah. to have higher stakes doesn't necessarily mean them to be larger, more lives are at risk. I, I to have a better conflict can simply be there's more moral implications involved with the conflict. It resonates deeper with the audience. You like the yeah. character whose life, life is at stake much more and, and, and things like that. And so I do feel that the relationship or at least Peter's investment, say, in Mary Jane in the Raimi films was much greater than, you know, the relationship Peter has with Liz. And so I think that's valid here. Um, it's, I don't really get the impression that the relationship with Liz is like the foremost, most important thing. Like it, it's a part of the story, but I'd say the bigger focus is on the trying to, you know, 
impress Tony or trying to be an Avenger and stuff like that. Well, I don't know. Like, if no, it is important. Yeah, like but... the fact that Peter has to uh, abandon this girl to uh, save the, you know, the world, not the world, but just be, well, to stop Vulture. Yeah, yeah, to, to stop Vulture. That would have had far more impact if the so if more was invested in the relationship and if it was going to really hit him harder and that is you know you need to take more time to establish that relationship between the two and stuff and everything but i think that is a valid enough thing to say that that scene could have been improved upon if the relationship was stronger or your the the emotional impact or resonance from peter's actions would have been greater yeah i don't i don't think the film really needed to be any longer achieved what it needed to achieve in the time that it had well i don't know like i mean if a film could have been better and you can identify areas where there was room for improvement I think no what i mean is i don't think i don't think it could have been i don't think it should have been any longer, it, it, longer like yeah. the scene well all of the scenes in the film have a purpose every scene has a purpose because characters keep coming back like um when you see uh it's Donald Glover's character. He plays um Miles Morales's uh, oh Aaron Aaron Davis because he, he even in that scene with the weapons, it's like he's in that scene. He comes back later. Um, yeah, I want to like take that. back what like I, all the I, scenes. Are... Sorry, I do want to take back what I said before in response to you. Uh, okay. If if you wanted to add something that increased the length of the film, that simply would have improved the quality of the film. I say. Sure, I go. Oh, oh, yeah, there's obviously yeah. a limit. There's obviously um, a limit. Out of curiosity, though, even a small increase. Could we feasibly always increase the stakes and potentially the emotional uh, payoff, if you will, lack of a better term? It's tricky because to do that, you do need to take the time to establish certain things to reach that point. Like, if you want the relationship to be stronger between these two characters, you need to have the right story beats and scenes to get you there. And so sometimes you do need to try and make a balance as to what's, what's better, what will have the greater result versus what will take too much time, what might bog down the pacing and such. And so you just need to try and find the best balance between them all to get the best result possible. Um, and I think it, it would be giving the movie too much credit to say that there's no way in which it could have been improved upon. I think, you know, most movies you could yeah all films can be improved yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um yeah. but to clarify so like we would we would all agree that the stakes of infinity war are higher than that of the avengers in terms of the world scale like just by sheer numbers yeah, yeah um but would it be would it not be a form of whataboutism to say avengers would have been improved if the threat was were uh, universe-wide or even earth-wide as opposed to just new york in that moment even though technically that is worldwide because if they just you know Maybe. I mean, my own experience with trying to get uh, an audience invested in stakes is to try and create some type of connection with it. And um, uh, and so you can have people far more emotionally invested in a story where one life is at risk if they really care about the character mm -hmm. than the whole world. Uh, and so... I guess um, if... Civil War is probably a good example of that, though, because fight hmm. is bigger and Broad, it has larger implications on the world because of you know the effect that it has on the accords and all that. But the fight between Tony, Cap, and Bucky is absolutely the yeah. more intense fight because of the personal stakes. Even though it's really one person's life at stake in that battle, or two people, I guess. Yeah, yeah. it's always it's, a matter um, of yeah, it's always a matter of how up. you identify with the characters. Yeah, yeah. and so to it's, bring it's it back, 
like I said, I felt that everything was scaled down in Homecoming, and I suppose the argument would be that if they had established Liz and Peter's relationship in a stronger manner, the payoff of having her being taken away from him would have been stronger. I wouldn't disagree with that. Is that a change of consequence, though? I guess it would be because he'd be, he'd be personally more invested in her. Would that be the argument? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I suppose. And he is using the point of reference of Spider-Man 2, which he feels has far more emotional investment. I mean, he argued almost... What's at stake? He argued a lot of iterations. Obviously, I haven't got experience enough in all of them to be able well, to question I mean, it, but... When he said that, you know, Spider-Man always has consequences in every... Like, obviously not, but I, I think he's trying to say in most instances. Um, when Spider-Man is written well, it's usually playing on that theme of power, responsibility, Will he do the right thing versus how it affects his life and stuff? And mm. those stories end up being really, you know, great, like just phenomenal. Um, and I, I was about to think as well, I think there's an argument to be made that throughout the film, every time he tries to start up and develop his relationship with Liz, it is subverted by his interest in being Spider-Man. Like, um, the party's his first yeah. shot in, because they obviously establish yeah. in the gym where they're like, we want to, you know, if anyone has a shot with Liz, it's you, because, like, you know, he's, he's Spider-Man. And then it's like his shot to impress her and get to know her and potentially be her boyfriend is ruined by him being Spider-Man in the in the party, in the pool bit, and then finally with Homecoming, which is probably the most significant because he's literally her date. Like that would, that's his. Yeah, that's his, an interesting. It's an interesting counter that if you're trying to explain why he wasn't able to have that relationship with him, it's because of him being Spider-Man. That's interesting. So, well, I mean, that's. I figured that was what the what was happening constantly. Like Spider-Man gets in the way of him being able to do things and then when spider-man is away from him like when tony takes the suit and he's focused in things start going well he gets to talk to liz he secures the date he's doing better in school hanging out with ned you know what like, i mean it's, 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 an, it's an explanation but it doesn't mean that they couldn't have established a closer relationship in spite of the issues he runs into um well, I suppose, which, which he has done i suppose I mean, that when you think of far from home coming afterwards MJ is uh, somebody that he's got more in common with because she's also a little bit reclusive, a bit, um, you know, different. Um, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's clear that uh, Liz long term is not super important because she is the high school, you know, the first high school crush. Um, but it's important yeah. to him in this movie, you know. It's yeah, as a character, she's not very interesting for me. Oh, uh, sure. So yeah. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I probably agree. She's uh she's fairly you know one dimensional um but uh I guess it's um it's it's about how they allocate time and what what they're trying to focus in on and and then it's I guess you can even see it in the um the warehouse scene where um he's talking to Karen and she's like oh who's Liz and it's like oh you know she's great she's uh and he doesn't really say that much beyond what was said before she's pretty and smart you know what I mean like he, he yeah you're right he doesn't know much about her. Uh, so we good to move on? <laughs> yeah, yes. All right. The Spider-Man show from your childhood and that really dope MTV show and in the comics has consequences. Question time. What is one of the fundamental characteristics of Peter Parker? Go down in the comment sections and type it right now. You have like three seconds. Three, two, one. One of the fundamental characteristics of Peter Parker is that he can't catch a break. Everything goes wrong in his life. Even if he makes the right choice, even if he makes the hard choice, his life still sucks. That's what's endearing <coughs> about Peter Parker. All right, sorry. Oh, right, okay. 
so I wouldn't say I would say this is a result of a fundamental characteristic, not a fundamental characteristic that you can subvert if it works in the plot. Um, yeah, I think there are times in which you can have things go his way and his life could be fine um, and still be true to the true theme of Spider-Man, in my opinion, which is a great power comes great responsibility him being a uh, aspirational, heroic figure. Th those are the core elements of Spider-Man that I feel that you can establish by making a, an appeal to previous continuity um, or not just continuity, previous works um so yeah i'm not sure i'm on board with this one uh that he has to like life always has to suck for him generally that is a a common element that makes for great stories i fully agree but i don't think that means you can't have a good spider-man story where things start to go his way well i guess then, um you know it's you're kind of limiting yourself at get him I think in the comics he started his own company at some point, like Parker Industries well, or something. Well, I, I don't like that. think I don't think that um what that uh oh yeah I mean is I, I, uh, much, yeah no, that, that's fine. But what I mean is it's uh it's a little bit restrictive to say that he I I prefer your interpretation of it where like him not being able to catch a break is just a consequence of um I guess his principles or his motivations. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think saying well he can't catch a break it's like well. So I can't do stories where he does catch a break. And, and it's funny he says this because in Far From Home, he's literally on break and he can't catch a break. Exactly. So, like, so I, Far From Home is a good Spider-Man movie. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, the other thing too... No, okay. yeah, well... Yeah, yeah, no, the other thing too is like, aside from the social capital thing, I guess the other thing that would make a really good Peter Parker is the fact that he's a total nerd and that like mm -hmm. he's just a little socially awkward because of because he's so freaking smart, you know? So I think that's, you know, just, yeah, and just kind of just, just, just kind of adding to his question, I suppose. And uh, I think he's, he's, he is definitely like socially awkward in this movie. Um, oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm totally not the person to ask, but my one would have been uh, he has to deal with the dichotomy of maintaining Spider-Man yeah. and Peter Parker. I thought that was sort of the yeah. core. Yeah, that's another. That bigger. is the core. Yeah, but I guess like when it comes down to it, it's like that's that's how he would start out. But I don't think it, it would probably be just a little strange for him to constantly be struggling it with it like well into his like mid to late 20s, you know, at you would think he'd have figured yeah, see, that out. By so you're right. <laughs> like, it, it, with the beginning of his character, it's a very strong, um, important part. But one of the reasons why I find it's important is because it makes the point in which where he doesn't need to struggle as much between those two things very satisfying. Like when he finally reveals his identity to Mary Jane in like, I remember Ultimate Spider-Man and stuff. It's actually a great scene, great comic book scene where, you know, she is on the bed and she cracks up laughing because she doesn't believe him. And then, and then in the later stories, she starts to try and help him out, balance that dichotomy. And it becomes a, an active, interesting thing where yeah. you know, she tries to make excuses for him to his teachers and stuff. And he has like someone fighting in his corner now. And that enhances the story in a different mm -hmm. way, but it isn't restricted to, having to remain in that that thing i mean he eventually marries mary jane and she certainly knows him and then mm. he has to balance you know taking care of her as his wife while being spider-man and stuff. well yeah that's so, that's exactly what i mean it's like when when you set a very restrictive rules on what must be done you're kind of limiting ways with which you can experiment with the character and do different things and and explore well, he considers this a core uh, element yeah. and i'm sure shad would argue that there are core elements you need to maintain uh, yeah, but this isn't one of them. I would, right. This is a uh, natural byproduct, but you can go against it and not betray what Spider-Man is. Yeah. 
character is that he can't catch a break. Everything goes wrong in his life. Even if he makes the right choice, even if he makes the hard choice, his life still sucks. That's what's endearing about Peter Parker. He still chooses to be Spider-Man, even if the consequences of being him outweigh the benefits. Peter Parker is us. His entire purpose as a character was to be relatable to the reader, a dorky, nerdy outcast with a good heart. I won't make him the handsomest guy in the world or the strongest. You know, a, a dorky, nerdy outcast with a good heart. I, I, I wouldn't say that that applies to Tom Holland in Homecoming. What do you, why? I don't know. I, uh, I, I, I think it does. Wait, what yeah, do you think I said? You said it doesn't. No, I said it does. Oh, I thought you said yeah, doesn't. I agree with you. Yeah, oh, if, sorry, sorry. If I said it doesn't, I misspoke. I meant to say it doesn't. Okay. Well, this, okay. this is part gotcha. of the reason why I've never really been on board entirely with the it's a bad adaptation. I watch them like, yeah, this seems like Spider-Man to me in, in ways that are important. Not in all the ways, like as in, you know, accurate to the comics, but in ways that are important. Good heart, nice person, even though he makes mistakes. And um and that he wants to do the right thing. I guess it's more of a I don't know. That's no, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I had it. Yeah, that's that's why I sort of was trying to head yeah off there. But I say um, I mean that's that we'll talk about that later. So I won't delve into that too much. By the way, miss you, Stan. Done bless. Yeah. Yes, Rip Stanley. I do like Stanley's um philosophy though on suit on Spider Man and his explanation. You know, like Spider Man is the everyman. He's the uh he's not the the big you know popular handsome. He's just a normal guy who's trying to do his best. And that and that's probably that's the reason why Spider Man is is so liked by people. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that can be taken too far because at the same time he is very noble right um, yeah exactly yeah i would say superhumanly noble um and stuff and so he has qualities that transcend the average person but well, because he also he's, has he's, things yeah. that ground him in the world as well makes him so compelling because you can relate to him and honestly it, it becomes a very great role model because you see this person who's like you who is there now making such noble decisions it makes it made me as a kid want to be like that i want to be that noble i want to be tom that. holland is that every man that received Tony stark except for the suit that he made you're a cutting out Spider man oh Sorry. yeah no it was um oh the every tony uh like tom holland the every man who gets a suit from tony stark or gets everything from tony stark but it's like he had his own suit for six months and then he got his suit taken away and then he still went after Vulture. <laughs> I, no, no, no. Like, so I get what they, they say with this argument here that the fact that he does get a really powerful suit can work against the idea of him kind of struggling and, you know, going on his own and stuff like that. It doesn't subvert it completely. That might be where people take it too far. You can still have a character who is the everyman and deals with regular things. He's still a teenager dealing with crap and being unpopular. That doesn't change by the fact he has a really good suit, um, but it can work against the conflicts he runs into and the struggles he has to deal with because it takes away just one of those hurdles he generally needs to leap over because now he has a good suit. So that's kind of, I feel, where the criticism is coming. Yeah, but, there, but there's enough stuff that you see in the movie that shows that he, he's pretty savvy. Like when he makes shooters in the lab, you see how he does it. It's like, ah, oh, well, there's a process there. 
And in Civil War, you saw how he explained the whole purpose of his little goggles, you know, to help him yeah. focus in and stuff like that. There's enough, you, you see enough of him being injured, like, and the fact that he hacks into the suit as well, you can see enough instances that he knows how to do things. And the whole point of the movie is that he doesn't need the suit. You no, know, I the mean, suit, like, yeah, I actually he, remember, I like the fact he gets the suit um, because with all his skills, being a master, a seam, a seam, I was going to say seamstress. How do you say the yeah. male version of seamstress? Uh, seam, seamster. Seamster. <laughs> oh, no. There you go. <laughs> um, that was ne- like, that's never been a prominent element of his skill set, yet he, he suddenly had it to make this phenomenal suit, and then it never comes up again. Like, that's always been a, I mean, a little. Annoying. Yeah, like, I, I mean, the reality is, like, I would highly doubt you know toby Maguire would be able to build that suit in his house you know what i mean it's like the the homemade suit in homecoming i is way more believable as a suit that a kid could make at home yeah, yeah. you know what i mean um, like it, it's a cool suit i really the, like the other the, criticism uh, yeah the other criticism of the suit is the um uh, the internal computer karen, karen yeah, yeah karen yeah. the thing is though like it does. Uh, I'm not sure if you pointed this out to me, Maul. Tell me if you did. You can take credit for it if you want. Mm. Um, that it serves a narrative purpose. Where in the comic books, Peter Parker is always thinking to himself. Like thought bubbles are everywhere. And whenever you make a movie, you run into that struggle in trying to adapt literature because voicing thought on in movie can be really hard. They tried to do it in June, and it comes off really weird by having people's you know incorporeal voice. Yeah, they have like you know, the mind. The- breathy yeah, sound effect or whatever it's like yeah. i wonder what they I, think you know that's yeah, sort of thing. yeah like yeah. It, it can be really jarring in the film in film and stuff and so the the karen you know computer is serving a narrative um uh, point narrative purpose in enabling him to voice his thoughts in a more realistic natural way so we get the peter parker thinking to himself element without it being this disembodied voice he's get to speak to someone and and i actually think they that's successful that that works it serves the purpose in achieving that and so i think it's a good argument against the karen uh, computer yeah i mean i i think i agree that in a monologue do in um in live action film it's a, it's a lot easier to do an animation i mean no, that has like yeah ages yeah. and ages of uh in a monologue but it's because you can hit pause and it's not too distracting whereas in live action things need to move normally well well yeah like because in the in the cartoon spider-man is thinking yeah. to himself all the yeah, time exactly but has anyone here watched the the old june where they're thinking to himself all the time and how weird it comes off I haven't, no. The old Dune. There's a film called Dune, Dune is it? Or... Dune. Oh, Dune. Oh, Dune. Oh, Dune. Dune. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Weird pronunciation. Well, it's like, <laughs> I thought you said the old Dune. And I'm like, yeah, never <laughs> speaking. French. I was picturing like an old lady named Dune. I was like, yeah. <laughs> she like thinks. Feeding <laughs> <laughs> the ducks and My pronunciation is retarded. I get it. Okay, guys. Um, Dune, the old Dune with the inner monologue always happening. It's weird. It comes off so strange. Yeah. Yeah, I, no, fair the, enough. Yeah, I don't really, I don't care too much for the uh, inner monologue types, especially throughout the whole thing. It's like, I get sort of why they did it. 
uh, in the original. Uh, it's because of the books. Films. Well, sorry, yeah. I, I, sorry, I got to still talking about Dune because Dune, the books are written in a third person omniscient, and p- characters' thoughts are being voiced all the time. In like, because if you're writing in third person limited, the narration is always from a single perspective, even though it's in third person. But with omniscient, it's it's a no holds bar, and that's one of the classic kind of um, examples of a book effectively written in third person omniscient, but translating that effectively into film when you have so many thoughts happening amongst so many different characters in a given scene it's really hard to convey those scenes the same way or convey the same information um in a film that was conveyed in the book because of the different format it can be really um, tricky and that's why they opted for it biometric and chat you're thinking of juno the movie with the pregnant teenager yeah, exactly. and the awkward boyfriend i was, I was just about to type that <laughs> Leave me alone. I won't make him the handsomest guy in the world or the strongest. I won't make him rich. He'll- isn't uh, isn't Spider Man uh, phenomenally strong in the comics? Uh, no? well, yeah, strong enough to a, get. He's not as strong as like Thor or anything like. But, he can, uh, he can pick up a car and throw it. He, like, he can stop his a train. Yeah, his strength level is is it's impressive. But yeah, it, yeah, but it's, it's high, um, but it's not like Superman it's generally, high. Yeah, it's generally on. Uh, actually, it's a bit higher than Captain America. Um, yeah, and uh, but yeah, nowhere near Thor or Hulk, like not even close. Right. I'll have money worries. I can relate to that because I had money problems in those days. Yeah. So I guess he's trying to highlight here that he's friends with Tony Stark, a billionaire. Therefore, he cannot have money woes, which is a fundamental issue because Spider Man is supposed to. Um. Well, what do you what do you guys think? Uh, I'd say the money woes is like tied. It's not. It's not a thing that is. It's sort of tied to the other problems, right, of him just being a, a normal person. It's not really the money problems in themselves. It's the normal problems sort of thing. Well, a lot of it I, has to do with his age, too. He can't even work it. Yeah, exactly. And he's too young to have money problems. Yeah, so I, I do admit that it takes away one of the points of conflict in the story by um, uh, having, you know, access to a... Uh, personal jet that can fly in on a call and then make you a new suit when you need it all right so that that's a pretty darn high-end luxury that he has access to and and as a result it takes away one of the points of conflict that spider-man has struggled with in many stories which can come across or which were very satisfying and stuff and so because of that you have less to work with narratively to make an effective spider-man story i wouldn't say it means you can't make an effective spider-man story because of that absence yeah it's not fundamental yet it's essential to peter's character somebody said you see what i mean when i'm talking finding like what spider-man is people have different like opinions on it no, no, see, I would say generally his poverty is a result of his fundamental characteristics. Once again, because he spends so much time being Spider-Man, he isn't able to hold down a job and he can't get enough money to pay the bills and stuff. And that's the, the natural result. But you you do not subvert who this character is, who Spider-Man is, by having Tony Stark coming in, come in and give him money. He can still be true to those characteristics. It loses a point of conflict that you can explore in the story, which I fully admit. And uh, and so, uh, is something missing in that sense? Well, yes, it doesn't yeah, necessarily but... mean that it will be a inferior Spider-Man movie as a result if you stay true to what Spider-Man is and you have a good story. It just means it's one of those elements that are generally a result of these characteristics. That I guess my thing would be that it's um 
as it's set up now, it's not impossible to do it. You could just be in a situation where you turn down true. Well, like um, Tony in the Stark video is, game, yeah. uh, in, in the Spider-Man video game, it's like he's work. Is that a spoiler? He's working <laughs> with a scientist. Don't if it's, um, I haven't played the video no, game. No. Okay, yeah, no, he, he's working with a scientist, um, and oh, he's not just, making that. I didn't know he was going to work with a scientist. You've ruined the whole thing yeah. for me. Wow. He, he's, Fuck, he's, he knows working, the ending now too. Stop. <laughs> he's, he's working with um, a scientist whose name I won't mention. Um, and it's mentioned many times that he could easily take up a job with Corp and get paid a lot more. And he's like, yeah, but this is what I want to do. You know, this is good work that we're doing. So I, I don't really, you could still have him have money problems. You could just have it be, he will turn down office for money. You know, like he won't, he, he just, you know, if like if Stark says, here's a big check, he's like, no, nah, I can't accept that, you know. Uh, well, it would need I'm to be logically consistent. Like, yeah, if Stark yeah, said, I want to give you a million dollars, gee, I don't wonder what reason would he turn that down? Oh, I think you yeah, would find no, that no. very helpful. I, I don't exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's well, the mean. comic says, I can't. Sorry, Stark. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing of it is, it's all like, I, you know, I know that he was broke as hell in the other like versions and everything like that, but that's because he was kind of like the only one of his kind. You know, he was a superhero, but nobody else was backing him. And therefore, it's like, you know, who is going to hire the fucking superhero. But right here we have the Avengers right. who are superheroes. They're going to recognize him and they're going to want him on their team. And that's why they're going to help him out. And, you know, that's why Stark's involved and that's why things the way they are. It would be really ridiculous for the Avengers to be in this world and the, for, for them to just completely ignore Spider-Man and for him yeah. to be a broke-ass bitch, you know? Um, and you you probably, it's, it's a thing where it's like, if you want Spider-Man to be in Avengers Infinity, you know, like, you got it. This has to happen. Like, you that, can't well, see, that, that point is good. Like, you, you do have to uh, structure the narrative to achieve certain ends. And if you want Spider-Man to be involved in Infinity War... Well, having said that, though, I'm not sure that means one or the other. I think they could have it where um, Tony Stark isn't on in his court and that, you know, the uh, Avengers don't fully trust Spider-Man because he's generally like in the public eye they don't know if he's a villain or if he's legit and that has come up in the comic books like if i remember correctly i know purists might really um take issue with me if i'm wrong here but i have a memory of like avengers being reluctant to recruit spider-man because they weren't sure about him they just didn't they you know yeah, no, like, it, it, it happens it's especially a more street level hero thing like with yeah, dead and but, there have been a lot of yeah but having said but all. even when they're reluctant to recruit him when something big hits the fan they're happy with anyone's help. And he and Spider-Man comes along and he's involved in the fight. And they're right. like, look, we're not sure about you, but we're glad you're fighting with us. And then afterwards, maybe that might change our opinion on recruiting you and stuff. And so yeah, I think the story could have been done the opposite way without him being helped by um, you know, Iron Man. Would it have been better? Well, they have more to work with in establishing plot conflict and stuff with spider-man's and that is a very satisfying story when his life is just sucking on multiple levels not just a couple because of him being spider-man and seeing him being um, choosing the right yeah. path as you know irrespective of how it's ruining his life is a very noble satisfying narrative so i don't know it well, it's, um, argued this about, is this think lesson, about, is uh what's going to come after him though it, you know it they've really put themselves in a situation where I'd actually be very disappointed if they didn't make that a big point that his real life is just really detrimental. And somebody made a great point 
Daredevil needs to be in the next Spider-Man movie defending him. Yeah, that's that sounds that sounds about right to me. Well, I'm not biased sure, at all, guys. You know, I'm not biased at all for Daredevil. Yeah, <laughs> not like, at all. Not one bit. The 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 lack of appearance of Daredevil who exists in New York where Spider-Man like is always annoying, but. That yeah. I've even heard that they might be scrubbing the Netflix Marvels from oh, the MCU mm, continuity. Bringing, I think you'll accept I, that what? if it means that you get to have him in the MCU, right? Um. Well, he he. Yeah, but wouldn't it just be good if if you could have Charlie Cox as Daredevil in the MCU? That that seems like the best thing to do. But the Iron Fist and Defenders. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I know they did. Oh, um, my I mean, my, my view was that all of the shows except for Daredevil <laughs> range from like okay to terrible. Um, yeah, like well, they might use uh, Charlie Cox. They might use him. They might. I think, I think it would be. Uh, I mean, we could. It could be the same thing as a certain J. Jonah. That's not a spoiler because we're talking about Far From Home as well in the stream. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, it it could work. It could um, I guess the thing is now that they have a five year time jump. They'd have to be like, cool, so I guess Daredevil got snapped, otherwise also, this makes things really difficult. Yeah, and uh, if they were to say that they're going to redo Daredevil, have his own solo movie after, like, Spider-Man oh, and... Oh, yeah, like, I'd be okay with do, that. Well, I was going to say that that would decanonize <laughs> the show, wouldn't it? But yeah. the show would still exist in my mind and in my No, of course, heart, of so course. I just fine. find that interesting <laughs> that yeah. that means they will be picking and choosing which shows are in canon and not, which is interesting. Um, I mean, I guess I'm not against them doing that, to be honest with you. Like, uh, mm. I don't... I'm Decanonize not really Iron Fist, I think is what most people uh, say. Yes! You know, but oh, I, like, the thing is, it's like, Luke Cage was also not very good, and uh, Jessica jo Well, Luke actually, Cage, hold on. Luke, Luke Cage was bad. Jessica Jones wasn't... Well, that wasn't bad. Jessica Jones was okay to good. Iron Fist was a dumpster fire of epic proportions. <laughs> Holy See, crap. The, the thing Does is anyone like just, that show? Um, I watched both seasons for some reason. Oh, <laughs> he is, um, I, I understand why Shad absolutely... He's such an ineffective, ineffectual protagonist. He lurches from one disaster to the other. He's indecisive. He can't figure out what his motivation is or what he should be doing. This is... I don't care if this is a spoiler, right? So in, in Iron Fist, the, the whole thing is he had to go to Kunlun, he trained and then he fought a dragon, and when he killed the dragon, he got the Iron Fist. So he is worthy of the Iron Fist. By virtue of the fact that he has it, he is worthy of it. Um, but he decides in Season 2, like, oh, actually, um, I'm not worthy of this. I'm going to give it to my girlfriend, and then she gets the Iron Fist oh, from him. Yeah, it's um, and I know that in Luke Cage, it's another issue of like fudged. This is why Daredevil works so much better. He's got a very clearly defined motivations, and the conflict is um, understandable, uh, conveyed and repeated many times throughout the films. Uh, not the films, the 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 movies. Whereas, it's, um, yeah, it's also the pacing and plot structure, like and better villains. I don't know, oh, I don't know who uh, took a hold of um. Iron Fist, but how many episodes does he just spend in a mental asylum yeah. doing? Oh, oh yeah. Like, uh, actually, I find this funny, this topic, because Daredevil for me is my, my favorite character. I wonder how I would react to a Daredevil movie where he's not blind, he's not a ninja. <laughs> like a, a Daredevil where Ooh, he's yeah. dressed like a frog exactly. for obvious reasons. He's dressed yes. like a frog, he can see, and he's not a lawyer, he's, um, he's a cop maybe. He's a and, nurse. Um, 
you know, and he, he uh, I don't know, he's in love with Foggy. You know, Foggy is his, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm just like, huh? The true, mm. the true test of Friggy's principles. Yes, <laughs> it probably exactly. would be the test. Yeah, it would be the real test. <laughs> anyway, oh, let, let's, yeah, kick let's kick on. on. <laughs> yeah, we got a video. The frog devil. Frog fist. <laughs> frog devil. The strongest. I won't make him rich. He'll have money worries. I can relate to that because I had money problems in those days. I said he won't be that popular. I mean, it's not easy for him to get a girl. He has to worry about getting dates. And I, I yeah, that seems unfair. What about he gets Mary Jane in uh in the in the Sam Raimi film? Actually, yeah. denies Mary Jane. She lives she lives right next door to the guy too. Yeah, he turns her down at the end of Spider Man yeah. One. Yeah. This is a I'll, strange argument. Let, let's be a like, little more generous. He goes through a lot of hiccups to get it. In the comics. I mean, look at fucking Black Cat. Look at her, and he gets her. I mean, <laughs> Friggy, are you objectifying Black Cat? I like Black Cat a lot, actually. I, she's uh, I really she's like more than like the God. flesh, sir. <laughs> <laughs> right, move on. So, but he's obviously play, playing this to try and establish that these are a fundamental characteristics of Peter Parker, but I think it's pretty clear that these are the results of his fundamental characteristics. Um, and so, yeah, I've already mentioned my argument there, but... Be gone, thought. <laughs> Be gone. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, just, you know, he doesn't deny her in the second movie, obviously. I was just saying the first no. one. It's not easy for him to get a girl. He has to worry about getting dates. And I figured that most of the kids or the teenagers or the young adults who read those stories would be able to relate to that because no life isn't easy for anybody, really. This is great. If you ditched your friends with... Implication being that life is pretty easy for Peter in Homecoming? Question mark? Yeah, no, would that be a fair he, interpretation of what he just said? He's still dealing with many issues that regular people do. Absent, you know, one or two, but that doesn't undermine what Spider-Man is. Yeah. And he was playing the clip that he was using when he said everything's fine. So it's like, you know, you get the... Like, <laughs> like I said, I think it's a fair interpretation to say High Top is saying that he's not facing enough of enough issues in his life in no. Homecoming. And I would argue that he's facing quite a few ones and some of them yeah. very significant. Yep, especially for a 15-year-old. That poor kid. Anybody, really. This is great. If you ditched your friends, would there be no consequences? If you indirectly led Maybe. to the destruction of a corner? Yeah, so uh, let's say, for example, Fringy was like, I really want to meet up with you in London, um, and then I agree to go with him. I don't turn up, and I tell him, yeah, uh, someone was trying to kill me. I think Fringy would be like, Jesus Christ, are you okay? Like... <laughs> And, no, uh, you should. But but what if you couldn't tell him that because to protect his own life? Oh, but we have to do this in context. He does tell Ned that. Yeah, yeah, but he's. If I did, if about, I couldn't tell Fringy that, I would he, make up a good lie. Showing, yeah, he was showing everyone there, so I think he's referring to the what was it, the spelling bee that they were going to or something. Oh, the decathlon. The decathlon. Yeah, that um, they forgive him for ditching him there and there. I think um, it was a party, wasn't it? Where um, he. Because he's like, like, oh, it's not cool that you left me here. And then. So, no, let's yeah, break that happened? down a bit. Like, 
if they really felt they needed him to win, right, and he's not there, I would, and if I had a lot invested in that competition, I would be rightly ticked off that he's not there. And then if we won in spite of him, it is a natural response to expect that, well, we don't really need him. And uh, would there be a reluctance to let him join in uh, and be still a part of their study group? Afterwards? I can agree with that. It would have been cool if we had yeah. a bit of a, like an awkward thing having for him to having to get back into the team. Yeah. Sorry, this is this is valid. That he, yeah, yeah, this is a valid part. I thought. Well, let me go back. I could have sworn I thought he was referring to to them separately and then to Ned separately. But if he's referring to them as a whole, then fair enough. Nope. Life isn't easy for anybody, really. This is great. If you ditched your friends, would there be no consequences? If you indirectly led to the destruction of a corner store. Would there be no consequences? Hopefully the answer is... Of course there would be consequences. Yadik. <laughs> yeah, so in fairness, he wasn't specifically referencing the Ned at the party one. He did reference it earlier, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and did we agree that if that guy was in that shop, he should have died? Like... Um... I mean, people have survived explosions it's, up close. Like, with that, it, so, like, he should be dead. It, like. he, well, it's likely that he would be dead, but... <laughs> If you had asked me, if you'd asked me, I'd have said he'd be dead. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's improbable, but not really impossible. But the way he was standing up, it does kind of make yeah. it suspect. Like he didn't just <laughs> yeah. get sawn right. Like in if half. he, I can, I can totally, I, if I he can totally ducked, buy the cat being alive. The cat was like if he ducked the second the laser started to approach his, like he was like, oh fuck, and ducked. Like yeah, I guess he could survive it. <laughs> but there was yeah. fire everywhere, and there was engulfed in flame at the. Very oh yeah, yeah. I'm talking. He's like, you know, he has like a counter, wreckage. right? Like so, if he's behind that ducking, maybe because he he comes out with like all soot all over him. So it's not like fire didn't hit him. Yeah, it would have been nice to at least see him duck, and everything would be fine. Yeah, I think he should be dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird yes. conclusion, but I yes, know. I think he should be dead. We Answer yeah. is of course there would be consequences. Yadik. Because consequences are real. Consequences are what ground the spectacular nature of Spider-Man. Consequences what are what make there. us believe in the man aspect of Spider-Man. All that being said, it is important to acknowledge that Peter does indeed face one real big consequence when he loses the suit by trying to do the right thing. See, I'm interested in how he defines the big and small of consequences because the biggest one. IMO can is we, having his true identity revealed to Vulture. Sorry, sorry we're, we're seeing this scene, and I think we should appreciate the fact that that boat is still floating. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, why did he... He said that Spider-Man gets the suit taken away for doing the right thing, but Tony listened to him. He was trying to, to do the right thing. Yeah, he was, but he, he did it the wrong way because the FBI were there. It was being taken care of, and he just was like... He just decided to do it anyway, even though Tony said that he was looking into it. So, so just uh, like to try and break this down a bit. With what he le learns at the end of this movie, doesn't that reinforce his actions here that he should have tried even though he failed? Because well, the thing that's is, kind um, of the point of the film. In, in uh, Homecoming, it's like he has to act because nobody knows what's happening. Like it's, it's presented right in front of him. You know, he's about to do it. And you need to stop him, as opposed to this one where Tony's like, "Yeah, no, we're looking into it. We're going to be onto it. So you know, stay out of it." And then he just goes but, anyway. But, like in the defense of the people who criticize this, that was a flippant kind of. It came off as just brushing him off, like. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, it, sure. it's fair that Peter thought. That oh, I think no I think Peter is completely sure. justified in thinking this was the the right thing to do. Yes, but um, yeah. there's other things to consider, I suppose. Other other perspectives.
And um, and then you find out it's less. It's it's still important. It's less about what he did and and more about why he was doing it. Which was I want to be an Avenger. I want to be an Iron Man. I want to be like you. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Aspect of which is Spider. That that kind of uh, goal is a subversion, and I would say a lesser, worser interpretation. Well, the, the idea of Spider-Man it, character. Yeah, but the idea in the story is that he is misguided for behaving this way. Yeah, the film He's condemns him for that attitude. Bribery. Yeah. Like, the film wants him to want to be Spider-Man, and that's where he's at at the end. Yeah, but people's criticism is that that should already be established as Spider-Man. Like, that's generally taken, you know, sorted out in the first act of any Spider-Man story, and then we get to see the Well, you could say this is the first act of a, a three-act Spider-Man trilogy. Well, see, like, this is where my criticism comes in, because it came home more fully in Far From Home, that... um he's still going through an origin story to establish who he is. And that annoys me because no, it's, um, that, I like, don't really, that... I'm not sure I'd say it's an origin story, but more so like the stories that lead up to him being in the position where he is more recognizable as Spider-Man. I don't know if I'd call that an origin story though. It's just like his first couple seasons or something like that. You know what I mean? But see, he's still making new mistakes and, uh, especially in far from home. And, uh, uh, and it, we'll, like, we'll we'll definitely do it. it Don't worry. Work, again, yeah, it works against yeah. him as um, a effective hero protagonist. We might actually, depending on the availability of everybody, we're probably gonna have to split this into two episodes because I can't. Oh, <laughs> like... I came here fully ready to argue far from home, <laughs> and not even getting to it. Peter Man. All that being said, it is important to acknowledge that Peter does indeed face one real big consequence when he loses the suit by trying to do the right thing. Which leads to me. So, like having Vulture find out he's Peter thanks to his showboating as Spider Man and having his entire family threatened, I would consider that probably a bigger consequence than losing the suit. What do you guys reckon? Sorry, what was the bigger consequence again? So, I would personally stake that the bigger consequence than this uh, losing the suit was having Vulture find out that he is Spider Man thanks to his showboating as Spider Man, or at least the intention to do that, and it resulting in Vulture threatening all the people that he loves. But hang on, yeah. did Vulture find out he was Spider-Man from this scene? No, no. No, he found out from the other scenes that we... Yeah, so then uh, I guess he's talking about the consequence of this scene specifically. Oh, I thought he was talking about uh, as a whole in the film. I think what he's saying is he the main consequence is him losing the suit because of this scene here. Yeah, no, and I'm saying the the main consequence in the movie, rather. Uh, the, I, thought, I thought he was positing that losing the suit is the biggest consequence in the film. But, yeah, he but, is. But, but, but he let's is. break down that. So you, you like, you think Vulture would not have found out who Spider-Man was if he was trying to be Spider-Man without if the he never, of trying to be an Avenger? If he never used Spider-Man to try and impress people, I don't know what Vulture would have based it on entirely because a lot of the uh, connective dots from Liz are about how he came to her house because he's friends with Spider-Man. He's going to show him, but then he mysteriously disappeared. Like if he never went to that really? party. Really? When did he say that? Well, what happened in the it's scene? The was when, they're in the, when they're in the car. I like, need to watch um, the car ride again to know. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. That is a that is a good scene to have rewatched. Really <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, yeah, that's a really good scene. It, 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 it is. is a great scene. Great lighting. Great cinematography. Great acting. But yeah, no. There's a at the beginning. Um, he he said she said something like oh the Stark internship and then Vulture's like oh wow Tony Stark and then 
And then he says, oh, well, I thought it was art. I quit it because it was boring. And then Liz says, but you got to hang out with Spider-Man, uh, to which, you know, um, Vulture's like, oh, shit, really? What's he like? And then he okay. starts. And then he so goes like, I've heard your voice before, right? Like, we know each other. Is, is sort of where it goes from there. Okay, because all those things there, I feel, would could have played out just the same without Peter trying to be an Avenger. Like, if he was just being true Spider-Man to who Spider-Man was and everything, Vulture still could have found out who he was. Oh, I agree so that it's sure still that's... possible, but I'm saying that what happens in the film, if you follow the events, then it's, it's telling us that as a direct result of him having to try and reach that, to gain more social capital while also showboating a Spider-Man has cost him hugely. Uh, I, I assume it informs his decision to go after Vulture is the fact that Vulture said, like, you get involved in my business, I'll kill everyone you love. It's just like, Jesus. Yeah, I'm not sure about the um, the social capital having, like, a, like a, a very defined kind of irrefutable consequence or negative consequence in the movie that would have played out differently if um, he wasn't trying to get the capital. I, like, hmm, was I think, do you remember the scene where um they're in the gym and they're doing Liz says something like, oh, you know, Spider-Man's really cool. And then Ned yells out, Peter knows Spider-Man. That's yeah, the and... reason why she mentioned Spider-Man. Because okay. then he's like, I can try and get her at the, I can try and That's get him a good at the party. Point. That's a good and point. then but later on, Ned? Was that Ned uh, doing this? Oh, yeah, but in Peter, fairness... Yes. Yeah, like Peter didn't want Ned to do that. He didn't want to use Spider-Man. But he yeah, banks but on he it. he sort of played along with it, though. Yeah, he doesn't, he like, doesn't deny it. For the party. All he had yeah. to do in that scenario would go, is go, Ned's just screwing around. Yeah, okay, good point. But instead, he's like, yeah, I know Spider-Man, and I can bring him over. And she's like, really? And he's like, yep. Okay, good. Well-parried chaps. And then, yes, and then later on, <laughs> I think it was after she says that he knows Spider-Man that... Vulture starts thinking like, you sound familiar, you know what I mean? Like it gets him thinking, it gets his mind racing. He wouldn't have figured it if they didn't bring that up. Yeah, Actually, I would say the biggest piece of evidence is saying, you're really close with Spider-Man. It's like, he is. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, I love that car ride, it's so good. It's great. It's important to acknowledge that Peter does indeed face one real big consequence. When he loses the suit by trying to do the right thing. Which leads me to the second big reason why Homecoming is a bad Spider-Man movie. The suit. Hey, remember that billionaire superhero that reluctantly takes on a high school protege? The high school protege is gifted with this really dope high-tech suit. The suit has a bunch of cool features, including a tracker in it, so that the paranoid billionaire hero can keep an eye on the new wise-cracking hero. The protagonist's dilemma is to become his own hero instead of living up to the mantle of the original. Yeah, me too. Spider-Man is- I mean, I think there's more than one way to tell that story. Yeah, like, I've already shared my thoughts on the whole suit thing. Um, and to me, it actually answers a slight, you know, issue, plot hole already. Um, and I don't think it undermines the core of what the Spider-Man character is. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not as on board with the whole suit criticism. I guess, um, is, is this more the mentor thing as well? I don't know, because it, he's kind of conflated them. He says he's talking about the suit, but he's mainly talking about similarities between Batman Beyond and well, Spider-Man uh, Homecoming uh, in terms of the mentor mentee pro thing. I guess we'll, we'll have to see how he develops like this. Point that been done before. Oh, the point that I was just going to say, I'm not saying he's saying this, but does it make the film any worse that it shares a lot of similarities with Batman Beyond? 
Well, Batman Beyond yeah. is a good show, so... It is a good yeah. show. That, like, <laughs> so... the, the, the comparison could actually be used to try and establish that it's an improvement, <laughs> so... I don't know, we'll see. Uh, like, Alright, supposed to become his own here somewhere. instead of living up to the mantle of the original. Yeah, me too. Spider-Man is not Batman Beyond. Spider-Man should not have an AI that he can talk to. Yes, I do understand the- Okay, um, so first of all, it's a false equivalence by saying Spider-Man has a suit, he is then equivalent to Batman Beyond. No, there are many differences still. And I've already even talked about the reason why I feel the, the computer having someone to talk to is a very useful narrative tool um, to get a very Spider-Man-esque thing that exists in the comics into the, into the movie, so. We're supposed to be arguing for him. <laughs> well, I'm not like I. There's, there's Sorry, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's, just, it's just me freaking desperate. You might just be like, "All right, yeah, <laughs> we agree." Spider-Man should not have an AI that he can talk to. Yes, I do understand the point of the AI is so that Peter can talk Ooh, to someone to give away his expositional thoughts, almost like the thought bubbles in comics. But there's so Such many guys. better ways to give Peter introspective moments. There are like better ways to do it. Okay, I want to know the better ways, because yeah. if there are, I'm fully on board with it. I want to hear him, though. I want him to tell me the better ways. All right, let's he, hope he, he does he, it. He said, yeah, let's see. ...ways to give Peter introspective moments like this. Can I tell Liz that I'm Spider-Man? Who is Liz? Who's Liz? <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's the best. She's awesome. But yeah, I just, I, I really want to tell her, but it's kind of weird, you know? I'm Spider-Man. What's weird about that? And what if she's expecting someone like Tony Stark? I mean, imagine... Thanks, Karen. Perhaps make him have a heart-to-heart -heart moment Good with too. Ned, or how about giving him some form of interaction with Michelle, I mean... So to have him discuss okay. it with characters no, instead. No, he's basically saying convert all his inner monologue into dialogue, and no, that's... So it's no longer inner monologue, it's dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not only, it not only like, was a, a chance for him to get all expositionary, but it was also to come to grips with his suit functions oh. as well. True. Yeah. I mean... I'm not saying you can't convert a measure of internal monologue into dialogue, but, but sure. the, by the nature of that conversion, you change the, its structure and what it's supposed to achieve or what it could achieve. Because with his inner thoughts, usually he's battling with himself or he's going through things. And as soon as you change that to dialogue, if you're going to do it honestly, you're going to impose the other person's opinion, personality into that thought process and it's not the same it's it's not an equivalent you've, you've upset a lot of people in chat we've got it's still Hello? dialogue when you speak it to an ai yeah and that's the thing too it's all like why yeah, I mean, this, that's a good why is it a problem that he's talking to an ai again is it just well weird? i was just going to highlight quickly that um, I was gonna, like, AI the, the, the ai is more personless than yeah. a real character there are things yeah, that you say you would say to an ai that can have basic responses that you won't say to a person is kind of the point right exactly and there's very little like greater impact the ai could have on the greater world unless someone like hijacks well, or anything then a character uh, can like the idea of the inner monologue is their security because you're talking yeah, to yourself talking to and yourself. you have security exactly and um, it also means you peter parker with his inner monologue can talk about anything that peter parker knows about like being spider-man he can't really talk about too like well not with mj with ned maybe ned knows who he is but what if he wants to think about how ned is really annoying him can't talk about that with Ned, but maybe I don't know. It's still, I think there are limitations in trying to convert it all to dialogue, and the limitate and sorry, the issues that you have in talking with the character is lessened by talking to the AI. Uh, Patrified recommends. What about having him talk to the dog or a cat from the deli? 
the dog or cat doesn't go with him wherever he's going. Not to mention that the, the AI is able to respond, but while maintaining the fact that it's still him alone, if you know what I mean. Yes. I guess uh, if they wanted to go very stylized, they could have done it like a game stylized as um, text bubbles, like from a comic. It'd be a bit jarring, though. That's the thing. Yeah, it's, for it's it to come out of nowhere that. like that. Yeah, just suddenly in the MCU. Yeah, well, yeah, it'd be like in the in our uh, Spider Verse. Yeah, but I guess it works better there because it's animated. I don't know about you guys, but I want Karen to get an artificial android body and become a love interest for Peter Parker. No. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how disappointed she'd be when she sees me. Well, if I were her, I See, wouldn't look, be disappointed. She's, at she's all. so understanding. Gosh, she's a very yeah. friendly AI. I would. Yeah, I would. I'm obviously uh, now. I'm arguing against my uh, yes, statement. It's a personless. I love character. this AI. I love her so much. I do like it too. Perhaps make him have a heart-to-heart -heart moment with Ned, or how about giving him some form of interaction with Michelle? I mean MJ. Instead of making her a one-note character, she knows what it's like to be an outcast. Maybe have Peter talk to Michelle about his feelings for Liz, completely unaware of the fact that she's clearly into him. That's Peter Parker-esque. There's so many better ways to give your protagonist an introspective moment without taking away what makes the protagonist. So hang on, clearly into him. I think you could only say that from, you know, hindsight and third party. Like if you, if I was Peter and I got all this crap from MJ that he got in, you know, Homecoming, I wouldn't think she's into me. I, th I would think she's a jerk. I don't jerk. think the audience should necessarily think she's into him from the Homecoming. Yeah, There's... that was... There's pieces of evidence, but they only get contextualized in Far From Home as evidence, if you know what I mean. Like, oh, yeah. she's she's kind of looking at him a lot. You'd be like, you could look at him for a lot of reasons, which is highlighted by Far From Home, actually. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah. Um, but, you know, could it be good that... I, I just, like, that's an alternate story, I guess? Because, like, she's a very... Um, she's a very... She, she occupies very little of the screen... Uh, MJ, she's a very thin tertiary character in Homecoming, so the idea they'd be like, well, when you write uh, it so see, that he I, has I, discussions I with her. I don't know, I don't necessarily like that, because even sm something small doesn't uh, mean that it's not bad or it's easier well, to... Well, that's not my argument, like, if it, currently. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my, okay. my current argument is that he's suggesting you make these changes, and I'm saying, like, you're taking a character that's barely anything, and you're going to change her into a, a secondary, to the very least, which is going to change the format of the movie to a degree. Um, yeah, um, that could, that could, that I, could uh, improve yeah, it, I guess, could improve it. I guess yeah. the idea is that it's meant to be a misdirection, like if you, if you had gone into the movie blind, you'd be like, who, who is this? You know, you know why I feel they misdirected everyone. If they, uh, yeah, I mean, no, it was I pretty, it was pretty obvious. Yeah. You know, if anyone looked at the casting things that she was cast as MJ, and then they know that this is not a replacement for Mary Jane. For the people who didn't do that, it was a far more subtle insert to replace the redheaded character. See, I don't, so. I, I honestly like, I, you could have just called her Mary Jane, and I, I don't think I would have really cared actually, because it is kind of one of those things where I'm like, ah, uh, it's meant to be Mary Jane, though, isn't it? Yeah, Michelle but see, Jones, I don't know, I mean? like, that you, you, as soon as you make a connection like that, you are creating a story no, for it to be well, judged against. Just like with Spider-Man being called Spider-Man, as soon as, and so I actually think they were a bit smart to change her name, but I don't think it's, 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 that's just lip service, because by calling her MJ, she is Mary Jane. The, yeah, I was going to say, like, there's not going to be Mary Jane in the MCU because you already have no, MJ. If they did, I would actually be happy about that. <laughs> um, oh, would you? Yeah. 
Drinking the real Mary Jane. I'm like, yeah. And, you know, this is the thing, right? I actually, like, because comic book purists and everything, and people might say, I'm racist for this. I say, shut up, let me get my point across. Is (laughs) that if they actually actually kept the character the same, right? MJ character the same, right? And cast a actor that matched the original character more more faithfully, a redheaded, right? And kept the character the same, but called her Mary Jane. I would actually call that an improvement upon what is actually in um, Homecoming. And this is an interesting um, comparison to what we were saying before. Like, if you if if the if nothing changes in the movie except the title of the character or something like that, how can that improve it? Well, it's my point of reference because of what's my already counter- established. And stuff. My counter would be, uh, you'll improve the experience for people who are biased towards a character that exists in an alternate piece of media, but objectively speaking, the writing hasn't changed. But I would say that improvement is intrinsically tied to the ability to judge the the quality of it based on how effectively it is, how accurately is it is an adaptation. Yeah, so an adaptation like, argument, I, I agree. Again, it's going back to that argument, I feel the adaptive value of something is inseparable from the quality of it. Um, you can judge writing in one category, you can judge, you know, special effects in one category, but if you're taking that as the whole, is this good or bad, the adaptive quality is always going to have an impact on the judgment of it. But CGI or shots or acting, none of these things would be relevant to a conversation about how good the, you know, continuity's writing is. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm saying... If you're actually trying to objectively judge the quality of something as a whole, not the quality of its component parts, you need to have a look at the um, the CGI. You need to have a look at the adaptive quality. I, I think um, my, my view on that is stuff like cinematography, sound design, editing, uh, visual effects, uh, like your objective qualifi- your, your objective um, assessments of like film or TV. Whereas you change it for book, for a book, you'd be doing things like prose or... Prose, yes. Um, yeah, exactly. And for a comic, it'd be art. So I, I think it varies. But the the baseline, the fundamental across all stories is the the plot and the... Ca- and, like, plot progression characters because that's a consistent in all media. All stories. Yeah, but that, storytelling media. It, doesn't, it doesn't discount the quality. No, I don't think, I don't think it discounts. I don't think yeah. it discounts either. I, I think I agree with you. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> oh no! I, I like I said, like uh, some of the some of the arguments have been more just trying to, I guess, figure out where I stand on it as well. Mm-hmm. That's the value of discussion. There you go. So, yeah, oh, for I, clarification, feel... Mola, do you apply the same standard for historical films? You could have an inaccurate historical film that's well written because the story is well written, but it could be mm, absolutely that's inaccurate. Because like Battlefield Five, we all remember that game. I often forget <laughs> it exists. Um, I greatly dislike that game historically accurate um and i guess that would be uh discussions about immersion like it's probably difficult sure to yeah uh, the, world. the problems arise in with like inglorious bastards which is an awesome film but it's not yes. accurate at all um i guess that's partly tethered to tone what kind of tone you're going for because battlefield 5 was advertised as like this is a gritty you know this is a gritty or well no they avoided authentic they used to call Battlefield authentic, but then they avoided that. Yeah, that see, that would be a lie at that point, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what did they say? They had a word for it. They said um, there was some marketing word for that. I can't remember. It wasn't authentic, though, um, because, again, that would be a lie. Um, woke? 
Wow, that you can't, you can't <laughs> say that. <laughs> wow, Shad. Oh, it's, it's, oh, oh I'm I, sorry. I, this is a woke podcast, Sue. I, I think my favorite thing about the Battlefield 5 thing, like, oh, you care about Battlefield? It's never been really, like, cool. So if Battlefield 4 had laser guns and you rode on Tyrannosaurus Rexes and, <laughs> like, like, oh, yeah, that's fine because it's a video game. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it ultimately comes down onto what the film is supposed to be. There is a, a like, by how you define it, how, what the film is, it creates, like, inescapable standards in which the movie or whatever is going to be compared against. And Would you start, like, genre definitions for that? So, like, even, I, even that sometimes, yeah, like, but at historical adaptations, like, that's a big one where you get a standard that you cannot you separate when you're judging yeah, its quality. I, I, think, um, I think what I think of there is, you know, a director would say, well, this is a romance story. It's like, well, there, there literally is no love plot in this story at all it was like well i say it's a romance so it is it's like no at that point we have definitions for what we're talking about mm-hmm. and it just isn't that anymore something like that and so i guess going back to the point yeah i actually feel it would have made the film better even objectively if they could have kept the character the same but just you know cast the ca- the actress right to be more true to the source material oh apparently they did say it was authentic what the hell? Yeah, pro- <laughs> running around with prosthetic limbs That's... and cricket bats in World War II. Okay. Well, if I remember the quote correctly, oh, he said, how could I'm I turn to my daughter that, and tell oh, her that women weren't involved or something like that? Oh, uh, d- uh, that's bullshit. I'm glad you brought up the katana. Have you? I'm insulted Man, they Jack- gave... Oh, exactly, Mad Jack Churchill. I'm sorry they gave someone a katana. If they want to be authentic, yeah. there were swords in World War Two, right? Yeah, I mean, like, like Mad, Mad Jack said, um, any soldier who goes into battle without his sword is improperly dressed. He is my hero. He is my hero. That I just love the idea that he went into battle charging the enemy line with a sword in the Man, air. It, can, it can save your life, let's be honest. Is, is my spirit animal. All right, let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Liz, completely unaware of the fact that she's clearly into him. That's Peter Parker-esque. There's so many better ways to give your protagonist an introspective moment without taking away what makes the protagonist the protagonist. But Alex, hang on, hang on, hang on. So he's saying that giving him the suit or the, the AI take, makes, takes away what makes him the protagonist? Is that what does, you said? Does, does having introspective moments with the robot suit take away elements of his protagonism, if that's a word. No, not really. No, I disagree with that. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> Alright, like, I mean, he hasn't really qualified it, so we can't, like, can't... I think he might be saying it does... Like, he's trying to say that um, he defines Peter Parker as someone who is always poor and struggling with things, and by him having the suit and the AI makes him not the true protagonist version of spider-man as he sees it and i I would contest that definition of what spider-man is um and for reasons i've already gone through here ways to give your protagonist an introspective moment without taking away what makes the protagonist the protagonist but alex he loses the suit at the end of the second act and goes back to basic spider-man stuff yeah exactly as soon as he loses the suit this movie becomes a pretty good spider-man flick the if this be my destiny but moment, you can't is my- set that up without the, the stuff that you have. Well, you could do it. But he is contradicting setup. his 
statement at the beginning there. Um, yeah, he said it was good, and now no, he, he said, said it's no, only he, good. No, he to... said it wasn't great, not even good. Um, oh, and then it is and, good when he says it. And then he is yeah. conceding that there's a part in here that is a good Spider-Man Is he suggesting story. that this scene may be good, but it doesn't make the film good? Perhaps. Perhaps that's what it's saying. I would assume that's how it slots in. The if this be my destiny moment is my favorite Spider-Man moment since, well, no, no, this. I also thoroughly enjoy the fact that Peter turns down Tony Stark's offer, realizes that he can do better, and needs hey, to go yeah, that was, all that on was his own. That was set up by the, uh, the whole first two acts. That again? You're cutting out a lot. It was set up by the first two acts of the movie, him turning down the suit. Yeah, the what makes it a meaningful decision is the is the first two acts, is what I would argue. The fact that he believes that that's what he wants and then realizes it's not through his own growth. Mm -hmm. So, like, what well, I guess what I'm assuming what Fringy is trying to say and what I would say is like being like, oh, I like that part, but not the other parts. And it's like the other parts make that part. <laughs> yep. offer realizes that he can do better and needs to grow all on his own that's all well and good but he gets the suit back and in infinity war gets an even nicer suit and joins the avengers which leads yeah, me to the next time passed since then but it's, it's but it's, it's the minutia matters um the motivation behind it like i want to be an avenger why i want to be an avenger well, that's, that's not, you know, you're supposed to be protecting people. It doesn't matter if you're called an Avenger or not. And then in Infinity War, he's provided the label after he's already committed to actions that would identify him as an Avenger. Where he, does not, he doesn't care if he is an Avenger. Do you understand what I'm saying? But, but <laughs> there's something even more fundamental than that. If he didn't have the suit in Infinity War, he would have died. True. The like, suit yeah, is exactly. to protect him from space. Uh, like, uh, so the suit actually becomes fairly essential to that part. Now, could you avoid it that he just got inside the spaceship before it went into space? Yeah, okay. Well, but I mean, it, that's a bit of a stretch for a kid who's never seen a spaceship. Oh, I'm sure there's a fuck there somewhere. In <laughs> fact, he, he does get inside the ship because a flap is open, so. Yeah. Well, not um, to mention, it's not like he had to pilot the damn thing. But my, I guess my point is, I don't think it detracts from the story of infinity war especially that by the fact he has a more fancy suit um in in, in certain elements it could be considered it enhanced it enhanced it because he can do some pretty cool stuff with it and infinity war isn't a story about spider-man struggling with being poor and everything like that in fact that's completely separate to what happens in infinity war um, yeah well, i do so, want to so, highlight yeah. he does get the suit back at the end of the film yes but the third act is proof that he doesn't need it it's just, like, in the same way that, I guess, you would argue that Cap, his fundamentals are tested, whether or not he has the serum, he's a good-hearted hero. Same for Tony, I mean, to a degree. Personally, I feel it does create a larger inconsistency in the MCU uh, as to why, uh, you know, uh, Tony Stark doesn't give all the Avengers some type of suit to benefit them in whatever capacity. Yeah, like, why doesn't Black Widow have an Iron Lady Exactly, she she would she would do great with that. I like it. even if it wasn't a full Iron Man one, but it helped out with her espionage activities and had good, you know, stealth things, everything. Cap could have been done really well with the suit. Uh, the I fact actually, that yeah, I think that's him more with the shield MCU though. What didn't he provide him with the shield though? Yeah, but that's kind of why I, that's actually why I find it to be a problem. If it was all or nothing, as in Tony doesn't give anyone any tech, they do what they do, and he tries to help them where he can because he doesn't want to provide any 
technology outward of himself as a part of his character, I'd be like, okay. But he clearly does give them all upgrades based on their abilities. Like, he gives Hawkeye, like, you know, better gear to shoot arrows, and it's kind of like, okay, so why not just, like, give him armor, too? Like, yeah, yeah. And you might be like, well, he doesn't know how to use the Iron Man suit. It's like, maybe train them? They're really good suits. <laughs> I would say it's pretty intuitive based and on And then you'd be like, well, it, it'll take it. away what makes Iron Man Iron Man in this universe. Everyone's running around with them. I'd be like, yeah, that's true. But, you know. Yeah, but in, in, in the universe, you're not thinking like, oh, man, I'm so unique. You're thinking like, yeah, so we got big alien invasion. Practical. Well, I mean, when you have Thor on the team and then you're like, Black Widow, she's got pistols and little zappy things, you're like, uh, maybe we should give her some gear or just tell <laughs> yeah, her to sit on the exactly. bench, because, like, holy shit. And I mean, and Iron Man 3 establishes that he's certainly not, you know, um, running shy on resources to make no. suits of suits. And so it wasn't, it wouldn't have been difficult, so that's, a, that's an annoying inconsistency that's now established because of this. That would be my yeah. criticism for it. You'd think Black Widow would be just a little irritated using little baby Glocks and feet. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I don't really consider it a homecoming issue. I think it's been an issue for when you even came out. It's well, like, you cut out again there for you. Yeah. Ah, damn. <laughs> I, 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 he's right. Well, I, I, I still got what he said, though. He's right. Yeah, it's, it's a consistent uh, issue of what you could call world building slash continuity with uh, the MCU as a whole. There's, especially with Wakanda being introduced, now everything gets really to me. It's because it's like, how does. If Wakanda is sharing the the tech, like, holy crap! What's going to happen in future for like I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have I mean, to see does that. that ex but does that explain where Iron Man got the nanotech for his upgrade? In, in oh, maybe I'm I'm referring to just everybody getting fundamentally affected. Like, is is Black Panther going to mass produce those necklaces the next time you know something happens? <laughs> I don't know. It'd be useful. He's willing to give Captain America, you know, weird vibranium shields that are different, but he's certainly willing to pass out some tools. Mm. So, yeah, why doesn't he go all the way? Yeah, so I wouldn't say that it, it's like, I, I guess High Top's like, oh, so why is he giving Peter stuff? He won't give anyone else stuff. And it's like, well, he does give people other stuff. He's not giving them as good a stuff as him. So the problem is with almost the other films rather than this one. I think it's kind of the same as, you know, how Far From Home has its stuff with um, the snap, and it's like, you almost can't blame them because Endgame set up rules that they had to follow, and they're kind of deficient, broken rules. Right. Everybody comes back where they are, so if you're in a plane, you spawn in midair and fall to the ground. <laughs> yeah. we, can, we can talk about that. We'll talk about that. You're walking down the street, and suddenly a hundred people just. Well, and right. another one was um, like, what if what if somebody got snapped on the pavement, like on the footpath, and you're walking, and they spawn like through you, so you you've got like arms and legs sticking out of you. A hideous you know? monster just yeah. going like kill me. I think I. Honestly, I think those can be simply hand waved with the, oh, yeah. the, the yeah. intent of the snapper um, is reflected oh, through the thing. And also, yeah. worthwhile to note that planets do move, mm. so in reality, everybody gets snapped back into empty space. Yes. Dies instantly. <laughs> oh, good, yes. but he gets the suit back, and in Infinity War, gets an even nicer suit and joins the. And see, I don't even have a problem with that on fundamental character levels. Like, yeah, but the point was he learned that he didn't need it to be the hero. He is the hero. The suit mm -hmm. is just a tool. Avengers. Which leads me to the next reason why Homecoming is a bad Spider Man movie the Avengers and the entire MCU. Now, having oh. Spider Man be in the MCU was a web dream of mine, literally. So when he showed up in Civil War, I got goose pimples. Goose pimples? Look. Gonna pause it for the sake of copyright, I guess. I don't even know. I don't know what this is. I already made a video about why his introduction is so great, so go watch that or don't. 
but what seemed like a blessing at first now seems like a curse. I want you to remember the days where these superhero flicks weren't all connected, where a movie was just a movie. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man is just a movie about Spider-Man. No sequel setup, no character pop-ins, no timeline continuity. It's just a film. All of those things are not negatives. He's, he's bordering on blasphemy too. Well, it's, it's interesting. I, How can you I, argue from- I hated that- no, okay, wait, well, calm down. Superhero <laughs> movies. It's like, no, like, for real, that's, uh, that's very odd, you know. Comics, one of the main things about comics that were really cool and that the MCU is kind of tapping into is the idea that everything is in. Yes. Characters will yes. interact with other. Like, it's cool to, you know, see, you, to be reading a Spider-Man and then just have, like, Sue Storm show up for maybe a chapter and then go off elsewhere and then other characters pop up. It's like, yeah, yeah the films were standalone, but you like the comics, don't you? The yeah. comics and aren't standalone. For the most there's part. Also, yeah, and there's also an inconsistency that exists with these standalone films because it, these films establish that people with extraordinary abilities can exist, and it's not just one-off because all the people he's fighting have equivalent-ish levels of power as well, and so this is a thing that's happening in the world. Why is it only happening in New York City? Like, yeah. and you know, so clearly it must be happening elsewhere. Why aren't the characters even mentioning it? Like the fact that I'm get, I've got power, spider powers, and oh, this is kind of interesting because there's a person with power on this other side of the world doing something. Like you'd think that would be a fairly relevant point of reference that would come up as soon as you get these powers. And it just, it's, it's like I didn't, I've never liked the fact that they were self-contained and only happening in this one instance, in this one city, in this one point in time. Mm -hmm. Always in New York as well. I just want to yeah. see, what were his three references there? They were all connected. Where a movie was just a movie. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man is just Heard. a movie about Spider-Man. No sequel setup, no character pop-ins, no timeline continuity. So timeline continuity, character pop-ins, and sequel setup. I mean, it does have timeline continuity. There's, sorry, I think it's saying that there's errors in the continuity, which is... I thought he was saying the fact that... That's a thing they have to actually concern I know, themselves I, I would with. Because if it's saying that merely having continuity is a problem, it's like, no. That's bizarre. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Continuity is a good thing. Character pop-ins are a good... These are not... None of these are inherently Well, I was bad just... I wanted, the character pop-in needs to be referenced. It's an awesome one. It's Captain America, who yeah. is this altruistic, wholesome guy. He's recorded a bunch of PSAs <laughs> for kids' schools. That's so, <laughs> like... That would totally really happen. Funny. Yeah, yeah, that consistency, that's great. It's, in and it was so refreshing to see it, because you're like, oh my god, finally, worlds is, is like, there is a world it, it here. It makes it feel lived in, you know, it's believable a bunch of and, uh, Dude, the, the line of dialogue where he says, pretty sure this guy's a war criminal now, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the dismissive PE teacher just doesn't want to be there, I was just like, oh, it's great. Yeah. But, uh, Alright, well, maybe he's saying, I don't know, let's see what he says about Spider-Man. No sequel setup, no character pop-ins, no timeline continuity. It's just a film. Now, I don't have a problem with any of those things. I like Easter eggs. I like it all if those things don't detract from the film at hand. Oh. In Homecoming, it seemed like Sony was so keen on being able to use Iron Man and the rest of the Avengers that every single goddamn story beat scene and character moment involves a reference to the greater MCU. We have an opening sequence and a villain motivation that directly yeah, ties really it. Yeah, that's really cool. I it's well integrated. It's very yeah. well integrated. I'm not, uh... And these other elements can be used to enhance the core Spider-Man story, and that was done in Endgame. Like yeah. the, the implication of Tony Stark and the existence of the Avengers to give him an arc. And like, even though there are, I have there well, there's certain nitpicky things I don't like, and I can argue for the criticisms against it, even though I can 
ignore them for the most part in homecoming yeah like these are not categorically negative things as is stating them it's odd to me because a lot of the seminal comic books have crossover with other characters um like batman dark knight returns superman is a major character in dead of a born again the avengers show up in like the last um in the last sixth of it um yeah sorry go Oh, no, I just don't see how this is really anything bad to have these sorts of things. Maybe he's just, I don't know, maybe he just kind of prefers the idea of Spider-Man being very, like, the most special thing in the in his particular yeah. universe in New York where there's no others like him. Maybe that's why he likes it as much as it is, but at I, the same time, I don't see how that's a bad thing. I think, I think you've honed in on something there. I think, I think part of the... I, um... I think some people have an issue with Spider-Man is because Spider-Man is the Marvel superhero. You know, he is the most important Marvel superhero in terms of um, recognition and impact. So it's, I guess it maybe does come across as a bit strange that he's not the most important player in the universe, you know? But yeah, he kind of has to share comics. the spotlight. No, I, yeah, that's what I mean. I think it's, I think it's more of a meta thing because Spider-Man is such an influential part of pop culture and, you know, when you think of, like, the big three superheroes, it's Batman, Superman, Spider-Man. Um, but, you know, in the MCU, there are so many heroes, and he's come in late, so they need to build it. you gotta, you got to work to earn these sort of things in stories, you know, recognition. And um, it's part of the reason why people don't like Rey in, um, in Star Wars. It's like she suddenly comes along, and she's awesome. I, I mean, yeah. she sucks as a character, but, you know, like, <laughs> she suddenly comes along, and she's great at everything. Whereas, also, um, yeah. Sorry, go. Well, oh, no, I'm basically finished. <laughs> I was just going to say, also, having a point of comparison in-world can be a very, can be a great tool to enhance the core story of the character. I've got a graphic novel, which is the uh, Ultimate Spider-Man Sinister Six arc, right sitting in my shelf next to me. And yeah. uh, th- and having him meet, uh, well, they're the Ultimates in this version, which is, they're the Avengers, but anyway, um, meet mm-hmm. Iron Man and Tony Stark and everything. There's a scene where, Tony, uh, like, um, uh, uh, sorry, Nick Fury introduces him and says, like, team, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, team. And Tony Stark's looking like, did you go back in time in- to get him? And they have this kind of interaction where they can't believe he's so young. And then um, uh, then Fury says, hang on a sec. The six guys we're trying to get, this guy just beat them all single-handedly. Everything. So don't, basically, it st- like, by having the contrast between these heroes, the Avengers and Spider-Man, and that is so young, it builds his character up that he's achieved so much the guys that we're having trouble finding and beating now so don't take him so lightly and everything and that was a, well, um, a character building and enhancing thing by having the contrast in him meeting these other heroes that was great would an example of what you're talking about be that he manages to essentially take the punch from winter soldier in civil war yeah yeah, yeah it's just impressive you know, like, it's just like, like oh, oh. <laughs> you know you're like like don't take this guy so for granted and stuff like so having more characters to contrast and uh, to try and enhance the qualities and characteristics of the character you want to focus on is hugely beneficial and useful in storytelling all right well i mean the thing is so far he's sort of declared these things are happening i'm waiting to see how they're detrimental i suppose keen on being able to use Iron Man and the rest of the Avengers that every single goddamn story beat scene and character moment involves a reference to the greater MCU. We have an opening sequence and a villain motivation that directly ties into the Avengers and more specifically Iron Man. 
A second opening sequence that recaps no, the No, just the Avengers. Sorry, yeah, people- a lot of people yeah. say that he's directly tied to Iron Man. Vulture's not directly tied to Iron Man, it's, it's the Avengers and Tony's joint venture with damage control. That's the only time his name is specifically mentioned. That's what he showed, that scene, that's, that's just telling us it's Stark Industries plus damage control equals where they steal from. Yeah. There's no like, personal like vendetta with Tony. He's got a problem with the yeah. 1%, he's very clear about that. Yeah, and that's not- and Iron Man. I just wanted because a lot of people are like saying it's like oh he's just entirely connected to Tony Stark. It's like not not necessarily. He has as much of a problem with him as he does with Thor, or like Cap, or right everyone in the Avengers. <laughs> Specifically, Iron Man. A second opening sequence that recaps the last big Marvel movie and contains the backsides of pretty much all the Avengers. We have multiple cameos from Captain America. A bank heist where the criminals are wearing Avengers masks. References to black, but like he said that like it's a problem. Why is that a problem? I want yeah, to see no, where no. it goes. I'm, I feel like, I, I, yeah, okay. Cameos yeah, from I think Captain he's trying America. to say they're, they're distractions. Bank. When I don't think mm. it undermines the plot. In fact, they're used to, like, in, they're used integrally in the plot and stuff. Well, I mean, the, the motivation first and at first, the misguided one is he wants to be an Avenger. Yeah. So it makes sense that the Avengers would come up. So, some people in chat are like, no, he is literally tied to Iron Man. So, Spider-Man or... Uh, Vulture. It's uh, the Avengers, Vulture. it's not Iron Man. It's he doesn't it's... like Iron Man. No, for he, sure. For sure he doesn't, doesn't like, like him. Iron Man. But he's, on, when, why, when Vulture gets to share... if he is? We'll get why to that. We will get to that. that. But um, the warehouse, when he's like explaining his entire motivation to Peter, doesn't mention Iron Man. He's just talking about like the people up there. Like, they do... Um, he, does, he does say, how do you think your body... Oh well, yeah, but that was like a, 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 a not an analogy, a yeah, reference exactly. for um, how he's not a bad guy, right? He's trying to explain to mm -hmm. Peter that he's like he's just a victim of circumstance, just like Stark is. Yeah. Um, my point is that his motivation to steal from people is just a matter of the fact that they're they're downtrodden. They're the they're the people who pick up the scraps from the people yeah. up high. People like us, people like you and me, you know, we gotta go through their tables. I'm not scraps. saying he likes no. Iron Man. I'm saying that. No. I must have forgotten the speech where he mentions Thor and Hulk. He mentions the Avengers. They're in the Avengers. Are they saying that Vulture's value as a villain is lessened because he only exists due to Iron Man? Um, I'm not understanding the criticism. Neither am I. Well, that one, yeah, I, I mean... I don't mean, I don't want to straw man them, if that's not how, what they're saying. I'm just trying to understand what they're <laughs> Vulture is literally tied to IMAB with a vibranium cable. <laughs> All the Avengers. We have multiple cameos from Captain America. A bank heist where the criminals are wearing Avengers masks. References to Black Widow, Thor, and the rest of the team. All of Peter's internal conflicts involve Iron Man and wanting to be an Avenger. Hell, Holland's three big emotional moments revolve around trying Why to- Why is he showing the scene where- Sorry? Why is he showing the scene where he's pinned under debris? He doesn't. Um, he thinks it back to Iron Man's that. statement saying, if you're nothing without the suit, then you don't deserve it. Oh, right, okay. All right. The thing is, yes, Iron Man said it, but it, the point is that he's thinking about the statement, the sentiment, even. Like, whether or not yeah. Iron Man said it is irrelevant at that point. This involve Iron Man and what. Oh, sorry, whether or not it came from Iron Man is what I mean to be an yeah. Avenger. Hell, Holland's three big emotional moments revolve around trying too hard to be like Iron Man and realizing he needs to be himself. 
No, when he's picking up the debris, it's not that he needs to be Iron Man and he realizes, no, I need to be Spider-Man. It's... Yeah. He's saying, come on, Spider-Man, let's go. You you gotta do this. Like I said, I, yeah. see, I see that moment as him combining Peter and Spider-Man to, you know, mm -hmm. get the job done. It's not that he needs to get rid of one or the other, it's that he needs to combine them both. They're both important. Mm-hmm. And that's why he says, come on, Peter, and then come on, Spider-Man. They're the two halves of his hull. I mean, that's pretty evident from that shot, plays. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and then his theme plays. They don't play ACDC in that scene. They play his I prefer Iron Man Jr. <laughs> that's what I'm going for, rather that's than Spider-Man. No, 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 that's a full-on meme now. But the thing no. is, um, it's... That is, a, that is something people criticize. But I don't. Yeah, but see, I so the thing is, I don't even necessarily agree, uh, disagree with the idea that he's mentored by Iron Man. Does that make him Iron Man Junior? Maybe he's not going to be Iron Man Junior post Far From Home, though. Does it? Though I mean, look at um. Look well, at I'm curious what they, if their definition is literally was mentored by Iron Man. I'd be like, okay. Yeah, I mean, like, I think of Dick Grayson. It's like he's part of the Bat family, sure, but Nightwing is his, and Nightwing isn't Batman. And he was mentored by Bruce. So I think the argument here, and I've spoken to Mauler a bit about this as well as you, Fringy, um, mm -hmm. is that the idea that he is uh, tutored, mentored by Iron Man, and in some instances he seems beholden to Iron Man's judgment and, uh, and stuff, even though, again, Homecoming, he seems to overcome that. But... There's that still whole Mr. Stark, Mr. Stark thing that is present in his character and and stuff that that detracts away from his uh, sense of uh, oh, what is it identity, um, his his strong independent nature that does exist in the comic books and stuff, and I think that is uh, something that well that's fair enough to try and consider and to try and determine like is his independent go at yourself well. When he goes at himself in the uh, other iterations, that's usually by necessity because he doesn't get help. Not that he's choosing to go at himself. I actually feel if he had the option to get receive help from others, even the true Spider-Man character would be dumb not to accept the help. Um, but because no one hel is helping him out, he has to go at his alone, and he never gives up as a result, establishes a very admirable, strong individual character, and that is missing in this interpretation. I don't think that a character being mentored in an individual. Oh, uh, I don't think um, somebody being mentored in and of itself means that they're not necessarily independent just because they get like independence. I don't view dependency and independence as like you know binary. You I know suppose I mean? you could reference Luke is mentored by Yoda, and yet he still makes decisions for himself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what is more impressive, or you could say stronger, a character who is able to achieve the same amount by figuring it out himself? Well, like Captain Marvel. Oh, no, well, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> like, if we can see the process... If we can see the process and it's justifiable and it's a likable character on the types of beats that they can for like, it's not a complete perfect comparison there because they fail in the many ex in the way they execute Captain Marvel. But with Spider-Man and that we have a point of comparison to be able to see how it was executed, which is the comic books, 
and, and it comes across as a very strong, admirable, and again, in the, like the, the notion of is independency a virtue? Well, I mean, it shows that they can get things done when they need to get things done and they don't necessarily need to rely on other people. That yeah. is an, 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 like, a strong characteristic. Yeah, like, uh, like when he went to the plane and did that. Yeah, like, and we say that that was a good thing because he's doing it himself. Well, are you talking about when he goes, when he goes to fight Vulture without the suit? Uh, yeah, he does that on his own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so, and that that is, uh, I think we've all been acknowledging that that's a moment of character strength because he is relying yeah. on himself and is doing himself. Yeah. Um, and so, people are saying that that characteristic, I, and I, I agree with him in this instance, is more broadly represented in the Spider-Man story in the cartoon, the comic books, and everything like that, and is a better character as a result. Um, I think that um, in the case of this story, it's the it's seeing him not be like that that makes it to when he finally does sort of uh, do that. It's more effective because you get to see he did it he did it differently and wrong and made a lot of mistakes. And then he finally you know sort of gets to a point where he does it right, and it feels like it was earned. Because he had to work at it there was a progression if you know what i mean like it, there was a progression from uh but could you have the same story with him going through those struggles independently without iron man i mean it, I, i'd say it would just be, yeah but the thing I, is i'd say you could point, i'd say you could have a story you, you like could, that you could do it but at that yeah. different as opposed to necessarily better or worse well again this um, goes back to can, the can you try and define certain characteristics that are objective yeah, yeah, but, for a heroic but, character but, and i think this you, is one of those things yeah but but then you can come back with um uh like when we look at um setting up a character and the arc that they go on you want you you know having them start in a position where they're not as you know they're not doing as well as they could be and then progress towards a situation where they're doing better. If you have them doing well at the start and well at the end, then there's no progression. Whereas if you have them starting off sort of doing worse and then progressing and then getting better towards the end, you can see that progression. Hey, and it sort of ties into his arc, yeah? Somehow, two people in chat interpreted your argumentation to support The Last Jedi. Hell, no, Fring Fringies, I find it fascinating. If anything, Fringy just argued the opposite because uh, The Last yeah. Jedi takes a character and arbitrarily flips their switch. The Last Jedi has no progression. Ray is great at the start and great at the Hang end. On. Before we get derailed and I forget my reply to what Fringy said, let me just try and get that out, is that um, I feel Peter Parker's progression in terms of what he has to overcome to become a aspirational heroic you know figure and independent and strong and everything is encapsulated in the uncle ben beginning the the first act of the story and then the rest of the story is enjoying this just awesome character going through not necessarily just going through the motions but going through life trying to str struggle and do the right thing with all the problems that he runs in along the way and the comparison would be like trying to say that if superman had a, an arc where he needed to obtain his powers would that be a better story than seeing superman try and operate with his powers and knowing when to use them effectively well, then, and the moral yeah. questions that are associated with it well and i so, just say it's a different story um in the same well, sense it is like, different but that doesn't mean it's equivalent i think the argument is making that it is actually no, I, inferior yeah, and they do have certain worse. yeah they do have objective points that they're pointing to 
to say that it is an objectively inferior character um, as a result. And I honestly got to agree I, with I it. just, I don't understand that personally. I um, imagine that the, the arc is of like real importance i'm sorry right. I just, you know you know what I this is like so so because again it's point of reference so fringy this is like me trying to explain to you how great the best spaghetti bolognese is when you haven't tasted it it's it's hard to convey but i can try and no i've i've read text. i've read yeah. spider-man comics like right. i'm not i'm not sure like this is what i mean it's like i've read spider-man i'm not as big a fan of spider-man as i am of like batman Daredevil, deadpool and stuff like that sorry i just saw another comment before where someone said it sounds like Fringy is arguing that who your mentor um no it's um, it's important because what the mentor believes will inform the way that the character behaves i mean i guess a good example would be you compare when ben was the mentor he was you know he was just a good guy a very straightforward understandable good guy who had a framework that was clear from the very start and really you're not really going to, you understand it, even if you misinterpret it, even if you don't act on it correctly, you understand it. The great power comes great responsibility. Whereas with Tony, there's that added element of, um, he's an Avenger. I want to be an Avenger. I want his status. He's really cool and impressive and awesome. But see, even, even, your, even your way of trying to define that element of his character sounds childish sounds selfish sounds um, like, well, like it, and, yeah, and the very uh, fact that these are character qualities he needs to overcome is evidence that they are negative character traits and therefore creates a more unlikable hero as a result whereas the spider-man that's already established and being the aspirational noble character is objectively better well, because couldn't, he has couldn't you better turn around and say, um, could, yeah but couldn't you turn around and be like well iron man's hang on you cut out again well, I mean, it wouldn't it be like, um, like saying, uh, well, Tony's not a very good hero. He's narcissistic. He's um, egotistic. Well, that's kind of superfluous. He's a yeah, womanizer. He's a and, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all about execution. And Tony Stark's selfishness and narcissism is executed in a very engaging, interesting, funny way and stuff like that. The execution of these specific character traits in even Homecoming, like I think even the way that you explain it, uh, you were explaining it before shows that the execution didn't come across in a positive way. You can I make think the execution did come across in a positive way, though, because it, it was for in service of the uh, of the arc. Uh, but okay, but so is that you saying that they are negative character traits? Though you're saying they're in service. Well, the thing is, is they um, are negative character traits. They are character traits. Um, negative whether... specifically because he needs well, to overcome them in the narrative. Surely you would agree that all characters should have some negative character traits, right? Well, it depends what the character is supposed to fulfill. And the whole idea of Spider-Man is to be this aspirational no. Right, but like, if he has, yeah, but he has negative character traits. Well, let's like, look at the, uh, let's, well, hang on. Let's look at the, the core, most true version of Spider-Man that is established in most of the works, right? What are his negative character traits? Selfishness is definitely not one of them. Okay. Um, uh, you know, trying to please other people in lieu of what he decides is right is not one of them either. Um, that like was he something he did in the early comics, so when he was trying to get Liz in, like, the very early comics. I need, I need to see the examples, but we are trying um, to look at the, 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 uh, the characters was, established by the sorry, general I'm, I'm trying to remember. There was an instance where Flash was in trouble in the early comics, and if I remember correctly, Spider-Man genuinely considered whether or not 
he was like, for real, should I actually help him if I you cut it. Sorry, you're cutting out. Oh, like, so god damn. Um, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> in one of the early... talk, or are you in voice thing? No, I'm on. Uh, I'm on the voice thing. I think. Should I, I notice that that push... cuts out a lot for me? So I've been switching to push to talk lately. That might help. Huh. Let me give that a try. Um... By the way, you we still see... have the video. We're almost two yeah, minutes. Yeah, we know, we have two uh... minutes left. <laughs> uh, we can do because... it, you guys. I just I saw you know someone say chat a character without flaws is boring and look that's generally correct but it again depends on what you're trying what story you're trying to tell and everything like that and and the story of Spider-Man isn't necessarily focused on his character flaws he has very few character flaws he is a noble aspirational hero it's the crap he has to go through because of his character qualities he is choosing to do the right thing and his life is being ruined all these things and so that's the whole kind of point of of the Spider-Man character, and he that's and the, and for that type of story, it is brilliant. It is a and I'll, and yeah. So, and I'm not saying um, that there are no flaws. I think we could pick out a couple, but the flaws that are present in Homecoming are not the flaws that the character that Peter Parker character has generally. They're, they're, some people will even see it as a betrayal of that character type. For me, the uh, the flaws are what. You can hear me now, right? This is working. Yes. I yeah. Um, so good. Okay. Oh, oh, good, good, good. Um, for me, the flaws are what make the characters like um, because you have your positive traits, and characters generally should have at least a couple of positive traits, but it's the flaws that make them believable. Um, and and you can have characters who are flawed who are still aspirational. Like I find Daredevil to still be kind of aspirational, but you look at a character like Daredevil, like. His morality is very questionable at a lot of times, <laughs> like why he does things, because um, he's a devout Catholic, um, so he's obviously kind of worried about his eternal soul when it comes to, you know, battling people. Um, and then the, the central dichotomy is like, do you you enjoy beating people up or, you know, do you, or, well, no, for real, like the, you know, yeah, the yeah, fundamental that, thing is again, like... Yeah. The execution of those flaws are done really well in Daredevil. The question is, is the execution of these flaws done well in Homecoming? And I think there is a legitimate argument to criticize the execution of these flaws. From within Homecoming or from without Homecoming? Well, more so in home, more so in um, Far From Home, absolutely. I mean, the but criticism of, the, of how it's of handled the, within the film. Are you going of to be... how it comes across. Is his selfishness, is his, you know, um, lack of independent in the because sense of I don't want to deny you calling it a selfish attribute that he wants to uh, achieve the label of avenger but there is there, there is there is a shit ton of evidence for him being a selfless person in this film um on mm -hmm. top of it so the idea of is it handled well I'd be like is a 15 year old who fanboys after the world's you know <laughs> heroes handled relatively well in this film I'd be like well yeah they have plenty of um progression in each of the scenes to show this is something that's on his mind a lot oh, yeah, but it see. doesn't take away from yeah. his core value of wanting to help people yeah. well that's my point i'm not saying this isn't justified or it makes sense in the plot or anything like that i'm just trying to compare the actual character traits themselves if they these are positive character traits or negative character traits and comparing them to the uh, more established version of spider-man and why people might prefer the other more established version i wouldn't have a problem with anyone preferring it mm. Uh, it's just but, e what, but even comparing it trying to say what is objectively a better heroic character um in it relation to the on what you're using as your uh, as your metric for that yeah that like, be, um, 
Well, I guess, people... I guess my thing would be um, I can just think of a lot of heroes who have deficiencies. Batman has very clear oh, yeah, deficiencies yeah. as yeah. a person. Um, Deadpool is an anti-hero, so I guess maybe... I'm guessing maybe you have like a different view when it comes to you've got your heroes, then your anti-heroes and well, your villains. And the, 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 metric, yeah, the metric that a lot of people will be judging it by is the inherent fact that this is a Spider-Man movie by it being called a Spider-Man movie. That's the metric they'll judge it accordingly. Is it a good Spider-Man one? But then we're just going to repeat the discussion we've had before. Yeah, yeah, no, so, no. so maybe we'll get back to the video. <laughs> Very well. Yeah, let's, let's do it. To be himself. I prefer Iron Man Jr. <laughs> That's what okay. I'm going for rather than Spider-Boy. Now remember guys, this is all my opinion, but I think the reliance on the Marvel brand definitely makes the movie seem less like a film and more like an issue of a comic book. People often say that's what makes the MCU successful. The sense of connectedness. I... You sound like you I want to say that. something. <laughs> I thought you were arguing from the comics. I don't understand you. Well, to be fair, to be fair to the guy, he did. Uh, he he didn't try to lump in way too many, you know, wrong facts or anything like that. He got us on that uh, corner store thing and everything. So, so yeah, but he didn't I, get I us. He, he, he still got a, said, a bunch of other things wrong, like the consequences, and then. Well, yeah, but <laughs> but for the most part, I do like he's he's been pretty clear that a lot. I of understand him. Opinion heavy. I understand what I'm not sure I, 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 think I think I'm on Fringy's really page really of the whole like I don't understand his like is is sort of disdain for continuity uh elements yeah it was it was weird how because he said that they're okay yeah. as long as they don't detract and I don't think he's explained how they detract yeah he really hasn't so it's it's kind of pretty clear that he liked uh spider-man being the lone wolf in pretty much the whole city. yeah I think I think he would have loved the MCU if it was you know instead of Iron Man 1 it was Spider-Man 1 and like, like it began with Spider-Man and then Iron Man was a character that came in later sort of thing and it more revolved around um a Spider-Man sort of thing it's just yeah. this continuity isn't that I guess it makes the movie seem less like a film and more like an issue of a comic book people often say that's what makes the MCU successful the sense of connectedness. No. What makes the MCU successful is that it has a bunch of really heartfelt, well-made movies with characters we know and give it- Yeah, but this is the They're thing, you're highlighting bad. progression. Like, yeah. um, and you can't have progression without continuity, so... And you might be like, well, it's, yeah. it's the important progression, it's the characters. It's like, yeah, but you ha- So, Civil War doesn't work without Age of Ultron, Iron Man 3, and Iron Man 1, and Cap 2, and Cap 1. Like- Yeah, like, the scene that's paused on right now couldn't work without the movies that came before. And even to go further than that, without all the movies that went before, arguably we couldn't have gotten one of the best movies ever made in Endgame. Like, it was phenomenal. I, don't, <laughs> I, relied on so I, I like that you like that so much, but I think people will be surprised that that's your take on Endgame. I love it. It's so good. Maybe, I, look, I love fan service as well, and there was, you know, there were some great scenes that just gave me fangirl moments, and I was like, yeah! Uh, but yeah, it was oh. so good. <laughs> It's I okay. fangirled mega hard at the uh, the after credit sequence of Far From Home. <laughs> we'll get to that, but I just had... he's talking about <laughs> he's like... talking about Jameson. I'm talking about the other okay. thing. Oh, oh yeah, the, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. shit about yeah. yes, the Easter eggs, references, setup, and all that other shit is just the icing on a well cooked cake. But in Homecoming's case, if the cake itself isn't that well baked, the whole thing suffers. I was overjoyed. When so it's not it's not well the continuity is the problem. It was the the base was already broken in the first place. I guess. Well, then why even bring it up? 
Yeah, this is this is weird. If you're saying that the the cake was baked poorly, wouldn't you say icing on the top would have improved it even more? <laughs> it might, yeah, yeah, I would think it might have improved like, it. Like, like, like if the movie is so bad, the only enjoyment you can get out of it is these cameos and internet connected parts of the MCU and stuff like that. That's an improvement, I would say. Like, yeah, I imagine you'd be saying at least we got the continuity. Yeah. I think he wants this cake to have more dead people in it. In Homecoming's case, if the cake itself isn't that well baked, the whole thing suffers. I was overjoyed when I saw Civil War. Spider-Man was finally interacting with Iron Man, Captain America, even freaking Bucky. That's awesome. That's so damn cool. I left Civil War so excited about the new Spider-Man. I wanted to know more about him. I was excited to get the good Spider-Man movie again. A movie that focused on Peter, his motivation, Uncle Ben. Maybe they would even have a screen-accurate Mary Jane, a character we haven't seen in 10 years. An MJ who had an abusive home life and made herself the party girl to avoid feeling alone. Maybe they would even do the face a tiger moment. Maybe they, they would explore Peter wanting to be a photographer. Maybe he would get his money by posting on the Daily Bugle YouTube. Explaining himself as Spider-Man. Kind of sounds make... like he wants, like, Raimi. Yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know how to respond to this. another Raimi movie. It's like, okay, you, I can see what you want. I see it. I get it. I get what you want. You didn't get what you wanted. Okay. I get it. I understand. I do. But <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. Definitely still wants another Raimi movie. It's like, yeah, well, we got him. We got the Raimi movie. Making two cents per video. Would this younger Aunt May not like the idea of Peter trying to support her? How does Ben's death affect her? I had so many questions after watching Civil War and was so excited to get back to a smaller, more personal story involving Peter Parker. A Spider-Man movie that didn't need to set up a universe or have a Batman Begins-esque tone. I don't, I don't think that Homecoming does set up a universe. It just benefits from one. Yeah. There's no real, yeah, like... say they don't touch on Ben later. Well, they might do. They might not. I don't necessarily see it as um, a requirement. I know that, that I'm going to be... I have to shad you to have a different perspective on that one. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm waiting there. for it. I'm just saying, like, they, they, can, they can subtly cover it. If they really want. Or have a Batman Begins-esque tone. A Spider-Man movie that was the clear vision of one director and not a studio. But Homecoming doesn't focus on any of that. It doesn't really focus on anything that makes a Spider-Man film. The movie doesn't focus nearly enough on the human element of Spider-Man. Ooh. See, like, I'm with him when he's like, it's not doing these specific things. And then identifies them and I'm like, it didn't do that one. Yeah, it didn't do that one. Yeah. And then he says, like, it doesn't focus on the human element of the character. I'm like, oh. It's like, ooh, wait a minute. There's a problem there because there's a lot of things that makes character human. Like, need we go straight back to the crying? <laughs> no. Is, is, no. You don't do no, that with 15-year-olds don't cry when they're nearly dead. Let's not bring up the crying. <laughs> the film's director, John Watts, described Homecoming as mainly a John Hughes high school movie. Just because you reference Ferris Bueller doesn't make you Ferris Bueller. I don't think they were trying to be Ferris Bueller. I think they were... Yeah. It's a know. reference. Well, I guess if you reference another movie, you're trying to be the movie. I don't know. John Hughes movies focus on character. Establishing characters. The relationship between characters. Yeah, and, and the implication there is that they didn't do that in this film. And I would say it, Peter and Vulture are some of the most, like established and developed, well, understood characters in the film. Could Ned get some more work? Sure. Uh, Liz? Sure. Um, what else we got? 
It's like, yeah, this is the protagonist, antagonist, and then secondary. That's about it. But um, yep. then, then the question comes in of how many well-developed characters are you supposed to have in a film? No answers. I want to see Uncle Ben come back with Spider-Man powers. I want Uncle Ben zombie. Un Uncle Ben Spider. <laughs> Spider-Ben. Characters. The relationship between characters and the drama involved with being in high school. That way to approach a Spider-Man movie on paper is excellent. I wanted the perks of being a wall crawler, but I ended up getting 13 reasons why Spider-Man Homecoming is not a good Spider-Man movie. Was that a final good line? What the f You know what we call that? We call that a web-slinging ass-kicking. As always, guys, you can support us on Patreon. Patre All right, that's it. All right, then. So, I get where um, he's coming from. I, I get where he's coming from. I don't agree with everything, of course, but I can understand some of his points and and uh, feel some are valid. But yeah. In the end, uh, it, it's more the title should be "Why Spider-Man: Homecoming is Not a Sam Raimi Movie." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like he opened with saying, "I'm just gonna say Sam Raimi fab voice." Like, well, that ending, dude. That ending. Were you like? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, I was about to say, we're at nearly five hours, we've got content remaining <laughs> before I've even managed to approach Super Chats, so I'm going to try and end the EFAB there, and then we will reconvene to see who's going to be guesting for the second part of this, if anybody. I don't know how long everyone's going to be around for, but before we go, I would like everybody to now plug their shit. So, <laughs> Fringy, would you like to go first, my good man? I have a podcast... It's linked, so watch that, and that's it for now. Maybe something soon, we'll see. Wow, so why should they watch your podcast? Because I told them to. It's objectively brilliant. Oh. <laughs> Are you going to have Shad guest on it, Fringy? Yeah, I'll try and get him one time. We'll, we'll schedule it in, see what he can do. Pencil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, linked in the description. I'm trying to get to my own stream so I can actually post it, but um, I am about to. Uh, in the meantime... Why don't you, Shad, tell them why they should subscribe to your channel as well? Well, it's interesting. I don't talk about stuff on my channel that's similar to what we talked about here. It's all about swords, medieval stuff. No, I do talk about pop culture a lot and fantasy and how fantasy, uh, you know, is adapted into many different elements. Uh, Role-playing games, the occasional video game review and stuff. But uh, I actually really enjoy coming on EFAP to talk about e some of the things I don't get to talk about on uh, on my channel. Like, you know, though I do have the occasional movie review, like I reviewed... Um, Captain Marvel and, 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 and others. It's only if I really love or really hate a movie I'm prompted to do a review. But uh, a lot of fun, people. Do go check it out if you're interested in it. I mean, I think a good oh. start would probably be the uh, the Thanos sword video, right? That's, oh, that's an easy yeah, one for them to get fun. into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, Thanos' sword is dumb. <laughs> hey, it, it breaks Cap's shield, okay? So it can't <laughs> be that good. It's objectively good. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I've made a whole video of that, so watch that if you want to see my take. Yeah, both are linked in the description, and then I guess uh, that's bullshit. When's your new video coming out? No fucking clue, dude. I'm chipping away <laughs> at that son of a bitch. Well, it's a uh, slow process. They can continue to see you pop up over on the old EFAP. We bring people together here. That's what Shad said at the beginning, so it's objectively true. It's wonderful. It's true. I would Excellent be willing stuff. to come back as long as it's uh, before the 26th. 
But yeah, uh, as insane as it sounds, I will be back in like a half hour. We'll have a nice break so that we can stand up, walk around, and then discover maybe <laughs> how we're going to waste the rest of our lives. Um, oh, that's going to be good. The Super Chats will be read as a collective next stream, so this one will be broken up on its own. It'll, it's pretty much all about Homecoming. The next one will not be about Homecoming. Well, it will be to a degree. Yes, I've got a video on the way. I'm slaving over the Episode 5 one. It's going to be like two hours. It's taking ages. It's just like Captain Marvel. It'll come out. I swear to God. There's people who are saying, like, he's never going to do it. He's just saying he is. I was like, no, it's coming. It's going to come out. It's just going to take a while. I swear to God. And then TFA things will happen too. Oh, it's so... I hate disappointing fans, but I... This is why I don't promise a date, because it would be even worse. They'd be even more upset. Um, but yes. going to be nuts. We shall return. Thank you for watching, everybody. See you soon.